Savvy Savs podcast. This is episode 76. Chris Hedges and Richard Wolf duopoly. Chris Hedges and Professor Richard Wolf recently spoke about the problems with the duopoly. The question is, how do we break this duopoly and is it even possible? And I just want to go ahead and make sure I have my media volume on really quick. Let me check that. Great. That is all set. And we can go ahead and get started with the first caller. Whoa, Robin is first. All right. What's going on, Robin? You're on the mic. Hey, Sabby. It's good to talk to you today. Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, you know, and I got a lot of stuff to say and I'm going to try to speak fast. You know, I'm from the South, so I can't speak as fast as some of these people that come from like New York and New Jersey and all that other kind of stuff. And even right now, my pace <laughs> is like way faster than what I'm used to. But I am going to talk about your uh, topic, but I want to hit uh, some other things first before I get to that. Go for it. All right. So. First of all, your opening thing about that video or whatever. Um, you know what? When when I called after that uh, interview with Marion Williamson and I told you that they were going to, you know, people were going to come after you and say, oh, these people are deeply unserious. And mm-hmm. then what did they, what did they do? And it's, it was almost like, I mean, I can't know if they, were listening to our call in and then did it, or if I just, you know, just predicted it and was just like spot on. But either way, they did exactly what I said they were going to do. Um, you so- did. Like they have multiple, like these people, just to tell you guys how crazy it is, these people have multiple accounts. They have like different YouTube accounts. I've had to block them numerous times for trolling and saying ridiculous stuff. Like they have. They have no life. They have nothing else better to do. And like I said, if you're supposed to be fighting for Medicare for all, why are you spending all of your energy attacking other healthcare activists? I don't have time for it, man. Like, I really don't. Yeah. And and so, like, I don't know how many, uh, you know, different uh, bot accounts on YouTube that they've got out there. But the one that I found, it was created on uh, January 28th. So literally uh, just a couple of days, just this random account just pops up. And that's the only video that they have out there is trying to so-called, like you said, expose you for having a multicultural family and all of this other kind of stuff, you know? And it's just like, this is, this is terrible, you know? Um, (laughs) I I think anybody that knows that that's been listening to me calling in on you knows that, you know, uh, if we were talking down and hash out all types of different things or whatever, we don't agree on everything, but we do agree on some things. And like I always say, I love your uh, intellectual honesty. The fact that you are out front about stuff, you know, and like you were saying that you're not hiding any of these things, you know. And if anybody remembers, I think my first call in to you is I came right out and said, hey, I used to work for Raytheon, Yep. you know, right out the bat. And, yep. you know, full disclosure for anybody else, if you want to look at my LinkedIn, I don't think I actually, I don't think I have this on my LinkedIn. But let me tell you, I actually used to work for Lockheed Martin before I worked for Raytheon. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so before you guys put it out there. Oh, and also I have a multicultural family. 
da, da, da. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. This is so crazy. This is what we what we've come to. Really? You go- <laughs> I can't. I cannot with these people. You know, which is another reason why okay. What I mean, I, I look, I started supporting you like two days ago or whatever, you know, because I, I said I said, look, this this woman, she's putting the grind on. I'm learning from her or whatever. I give uh, $4.99 a month to the Wall Street Journal. I'm actually learning more from you than I learned from the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I can give $5 a savvy. Okay, I can, do, I can do that. She has earned my $5 and more, you know? So this is just, this is ridiculous the the tomfoolery that's going on and i mean and also too the fact that they are hiding behind these stupid bot like things or whatever it's just ridiculous you know my name is out there for anybody to see you know uh your name is out there for anybody to see but then they come up with these you know garbage names and profiles and all this other kind of stuff you know to do these behind the scenes hit attacks i i, I have i I, I'm not impressed, is what I'm saying. And actually, it looks kind of juvenile, <laughs> to be honest. I, and I'm actually, uh, in, in some respects, I'm also kind of offended that they wouldn't spend a little bit more time to make the video more compelling than what they did. <laughs> that video was deeply unserious. Let me just say that, okay? Well, it's just really interesting to me, too, because the thing is, is like, again, like I get attacked all the time. Like someone made a video of me not too long after I started my channel. I didn't even have 2000 subs. And somebody made a video of me saying Sabby is racist. And I was like, uh, OK, that's that doesn't make any sense. But I was just like, whatever. Like people have nothing else better to do. So when people come after me, like I'm kind of used to it. I expect it. It's like whatever. No big deal. But for you to go after my family, like that's the lowest of the low. Right. And, you know, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, um, like I said, people can come after me for being, you know, uh, an employee of uh, the military industrial complex in my past and stuff. You know, I mean, I like I said, that's that's not a secret from my perspective. It's not a secret in terms of what your family background is. And as you said, you can't help that. And somebody could say, well, Robin, you could help that you, you know, worked for Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and stuff. But I mean, from my perspective, what I look at is, is that, um, you know, I didn't have all of the information that I, that I have today. And so like people say, when you know better, you do better. In in my situation, uh, would I go back and work for Raytheon again? No, I would not. But I don't, I don't just put on somebody what their situation is you know and i i wasn't developing weapons for raytheon or lockheed uh martin or anything like that but i mean you just don't know what people's stories are and then also too when they put your house out there let me tell you savvy um the house that i mean that house in houston uh in texas it would be probably one fifth in Texas, the value of what you're paying in, in, in Massachusetts for that house. 
I'm just telling yeah. you right now. I mean, because of just the different cost of living. So the fact that they're trying to make it seem like that, oh, you just living high on the hog or whatever, that's just cost of living adjustments. You can literally buy a small mansion in Texas for like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You seriously, you can. We don't even have the thing is we don't even have a big house. We have a Cape Cod. For yes, those who the, the exactly. Like we have a cape. It's the, one of the cheapest houses that you can get here in Massachusetts. And it's just, again, like I've talked about this on my show numerous times. Like I did a whole segment. I had a whole series where I talked about the house, the home buying process. I had one called um, first time home buyer part one and part two, because it was so much information to tell people mm-hmm. about the process. I had to split it up into two different parts. The only reason why you don't see the house tour, because I did a house tour thing, stuff like that. You know how people do like those YouTube house tours and stuff. I did that kind of thing too. The only reason why you don't see that on my channel anymore is because people started attacking again, started attacking my family. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't want to bring them into this. That's why you don't see it. But for people who have been with me for a long time, they had already seen those videos. They had already seen, oh yeah, Sabby, I like your house and stuff like that. I mean, it's no big deal. Look, I work damn hard to get to where I am. Right. And that's and, and like I said, that same house in Texas, depending on where you live in in Texas, you could buy your house for two hundred thousand dollars. And I'm not making that up. Because mm-hmm. I probably had the ha- a house of that same square footage when I lived in the Dallas area. Uh, and this was way back in, you know, in the early 2000s. But I paid one fifty for that same type of square footage house then. And so I'm just looking at inflation and everything. So, okay, it'll be about two, 200,000, maybe 250 at the most or whatever. But, you know, you just can't compare. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe or whatever. That's just ridiculous. Oh, and also with Massachusetts, let me say a few things about Massachusetts. Um, like I said, I used to work for Raytheon or whatever. I would um, be in uh, the Boston area probably on average about once a quarter. Uh, for business-related things or whatever. Uh, working for Raytheon, I will say that a lot of the progressive stuff that, you know, that we were taught and we were supposed to, you know, share with our managers and things like that, that was a front, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, I, I, I worked for Raytheon when, when the headquarters was originally in uh, Lexington. And then, you know, uh, I stayed until uh, after some time when they moved it to, and help me with this Worcester. I don't even know how to spell that. Okay. <laughs> Most of the time though, when I would go, I would go to Marlboro and we would always laugh at about how, you know, they would spell Marlboro like the, the cigarettes, but you know, it was originally spelled like Marlboro with the O U G H type of deal or whatever. And I just never could. It's like, well, how do you spell your city? Do you spell it like the cigarettes? Or do you spell it like, you know, it was crazy. Yeah, exactly. And and I think just for me, it's like, it's just funny to me because I'm like, I've always been upfront about this information. Like I've never hit it. And it's like, and these people, and I know exactly who they are. Like I said, they've been on before. I've seen them go after other activists. I've seen them go after their own members who are no longer a part of the organization. And I honestly, I see why I watch them call a black man, a bad father, like on Twitter to the point where his wife had to jump into the conversation and say, don't talk about his, his fatherhood. Like, and they wouldn't apologize for it at all. These are vindictive people. Like I said, 
They're totally fine with you as long as you agree with them. But once you disagree with them, they turn on you. They've done this to numerous people. That's why they keep losing people from their their action. That's why last year the March for Medicare for All was so damn small because they pissed off so many people. They attacked the the whole Washington Red Berets group who were trying to get that accomplished in Washington State for like single payer. They were attacking them viciously, like on Twitter, just back and forth, back and forth. I said, this don't make no damn sense. We even had the debate like on my channel with them and the other group. And I said, this don't make no damn sense. Both of you guys are healthcare activists. Why are you fighting each other? Yeah, I don't understand it at all. You know, um, you know, as, as I said, uh, I'm still, I, I listen to you. Whenever you come on, I'm listening there. Whenever RBN is coming on, I'm listening to that or whatever. And then if somebody said, well, what are your political leanings? I'm a libertarian. I'm still growing and learning and changing and things like that and evolving or whatever. But I mean, if somebody says, well, I don't believe in a libertarian view of blah, blah, blah. You know, it's okay. <laughs> My libertarian view says, okay. That <laughs> so I, I mean, so I'm just not a purist in that perspective that you've got to walk in lockstep with me every single step of the way. Otherwise, and even if you don't, I don't understand the uh, the attack. That's the thing. Why can't you just say, okay, we don't agree and just keep it moving and keep it pushing? I don't, I don't get that at all. They said on Twitter that their goal is to purge anyone who supports the state-by-state -state strategy. That is ridiculous because our constitution is set up to literally have a state-by-state -state strategy. Yes, we have a federalist system where there's an overarching goal uh, for, you know, providing for the common defense and promoting the general welfare. But, the, you know, and so then the argument is over how expansive is that providing for the common defense how expansive is that promoting the general welfare but outside of that the constitution is very clear if there are not specific enumerated powers and things given to the federal government then everything else is done at the state level and so why not do that it's almost like it's this built-in experiment for all of the states to kind of figure stuff out and kind of work their own plans and stuff and then if a state figures it you know looks like that they're doing it right then you say hey you know montana is doing it right over here or whatever that state is where you say that you know they've got the public bank or whatever and you and roger have been like public bank public bank public bank i didn't i didn't even know about this concept of the public bank until you and Roger brought it up and me listening to it. I still don't know enough about it to advocate for or against it at this time, but just the, the fact that one state has, you know, has shown certain type of results about it. And then it gives me an opportunity to take some time to research it and see if that really applies and, and can that be implemented throughout the states across the union. That is the whole point of our constitutional government and how it's structured. So, I mean, these people that are arguing against that format of Medicare for all under various states are literally arguing against the Constitution. Now, you can be against that, but okay. 
uh, alter the Constitution. But as long as our Constitution works that way, and if you know that as long as Joe Biden has already said that he is going to veto Medicare for all as president over the federal government, then why would you be opposed to people implementing it on a state by state level? It's an ego thing. Like I really do. I think, you know, some people may look at this like as their, their own kind of brand and they've put a lot of like energy and effort into it and stuff like that. And I, I get that. I totally get it. But at the same time, like, I, I don't care why, I don't understand why you're so invested on what another activist group is doing for their state. Like that, that really should not be of your concern is, is kind of how I see it. And my whole thing is, is like, if you're going to be that vindictive with people, then don't come complain again when people don't support your efforts, because this is what happened last year. Like last year was the Medicare for all March. The year before that, there were Medicare for all marches in over like 50 cities in this country. That one, the first go round was a lot better in terms of attendance, like more people participated. Right. But then last year, when it was done, it was, the turnout was very small. And part of that has to do with the fact that it was only in one city. But the other part of it has to do with the fact that, again, like I said, if people see that you're trying to organize this effort and you're asking them if you can come on their show and promote it and all that kind of jazz. But at the same time, they see you constantly fighting on Twitter and smearing other healthcare activists. That takes away from the action that you're trying to do. And so for me, like I still brought them on even last year when a lot of people, in fact, I don't know what happened like last year, a lot of channels would not bring them on. I was one of the few, like me and RBM were one of the few that brought them on, whereas some of these others did not bring them on, even though, you know, they were part of Force the Vote and all that kind of stuff. Like they were pretty much, pretty much ignored last year. But I still brought them on, not once, but multiple times. The year before, when they first announced it, and at that point, it was only three cities. It was um, uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, and D.C. when I brought them on the first time. I was the first person to bring them on, and I continued bringing them on and promoting like the effort. But I, I'll tell you what I won't do. When I have organizers a part of that group, telling me not to talk about race, telling me not to bring up the black thing, telling me who I should and should not have on my show, telling me that who I have on my show was divisive, getting mad at me because I brought on the red berets in whole Washington. I'm a grown ass woman, Robin. And here I was, it was, it was five white people trying to tell me what I should and should not do on my end instead of worrying about what they were doing. And that's what I noticed. The moment I disagreed with them, then all of a sudden it was a problem. Yeah, they gonna, they gonna say, let me school you. You know, you with the master's degree. It's the same thing with me, me with the master's degree or whatever. And and as again, anybody that has been listening to me call in over the past few months or whatever knows that, you know, 
the two of us are not, you know, if we sat down together, we're not going to disagree on everything. But do you think I'm going to call in on your call in or you, or go in on your YouTube and tell you what you better do and what you better say and who you better not, you know, that that's no utter foolishness and it, it will never happen. And I would never disrespect you like that. And I, what I want, what I would want to do is again, on those things where we do agree on, like I said, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, ending these uh, never ending wars, abolishing all of these uh, alphabet things. And I will say, even uh, as, as things go on for my end, more and more demilitarizing the, the police force in the United States. It's just, you know, you, you've got to give yourself room to grow and expand and evolve. Yep. And this litmus test where, you know, if you're not with me 100% then you're against me 100%, that, that stuff has got to stop. It's got to. Well, this is why, uh, you know, one of the frustrations I have, and I think some of us that have been involved in these efforts as well on the left, this is why we get really frustrated because there may be good initiatives or ideas, but because there's so much, I don't know, I guess the purity test or also the fact of you disagreed with this person or you brought this person on your show, so I'm not going to organize with you. Nothing gets done in the end. We don't get anywhere. And meanwhile, like I said, Republicans are organizing left and right, especially on the local level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, if, you know, uh, it's to the point where, yeah, I haven't decided yet because, you know, I got things that I need to, you know, to, to put in place. So I'm giving myself 10 years, but 10 years from now, I may throw my hat in some place or somewhere or whatever to do a little something, something. You know, but, uh, you know, but I'm not going to toe a line, but if I do get in, I'll probably run as a third party candidate or as an independent, because I do not want to be a part of that duopoly. And I am going to get the part of, uh, get back to that duopoly thing, uh, just to kind of wrap it up. But before I get to that, um, I don't know, have you listened to the Brie and Vouch, um, uh, podcast that she's put out these past two uh, podcasts. Yes, I saw. Well, I saw part one. I haven't seen part two yet. Okay, so part one. Yes, I saw that. That to me, you know, uh, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time commenting on that. But even with part two or whatever, what are the things initially when I was listening to that was I was thinking, oh my goodness, I was so turned off by him because. He spent so much time denigrating the average American and basically saying, oh, they're they're too stupid to understand. And, oh, they're, you know, they've got the brain cells of a goldfish and all of this other kind of stuff or whatever. And, you know, he speaks really fast and I'm from the South. And so I don't speak that fast. Um, But then also as a Christian, you know, the Bible says that you're supposed to be uh, quick to hear, but uh, slow to speak and slow to respond. And so, or or I I think I got that messed up, you know, Uh, because quick to, uh, slow to speak and slow to respond is the same thing or whatever. Uh, But whatever the verse is, it's basically you don't just spout off at the mouth 
just right out of the brrr type of deal. You take your time to kind of break down and understand, well, where is this person coming from? What angle are they coming from type of deal? And I have noticed him. I didn't spend a lot of time listening to it. I may have, you know, I can probably count on one hand how many times I've heard him before uh, I listened to him and Bree go over these discourses and stuff. He's, he's a very fast talking. Um, but, you know, if you just kind of pause and listen to the discourse between Bree and Vosh, he never discounts anything that she says. She's, she takes her time and she debunks everything that he says. And his, every time he opens his mouth, it's always, but the American person is dumb. They, they got a fish for brains or whatever. Oh, they're dumb, dumb. They're poo-poo brains. They're poo-poo-poo-poo-poo. You know, and stuff that you would say when you're in first grade in kindergarten. You know, I don't like you. I don't, your shoes, your shoes are stupid. Oh, okay. Well, you're just dumb, dumb poo-poo and your breath stinks and your mama wears combat boots. I mean, <laughs> but he says that really fast and you go, oh my goodness, he's so intelligent. No, he hasn't said anything but poo-poo brains and your breath stinks and your mama wears combat boots. You know, he mm. hasn't opposed anything that, that she said. And it's just so stupid or whatever. But, you know, and so when I was listening to this, um, this last part two, and I was so angry. And, well, I wouldn't say angry. I was so offended. But then I said, you know what? Uh, because I know that there was a whole debate about do you, do, why should Brie platform Valsh or whatever? I'm glad that she did. I'm so glad that she did because it gave people the opportunity like me to sit back and listen and then come to that conclusion on my own that this man is full of hot air. He is nothing. He has no legitimate arguments or whatever about anything that she's saying all he can do is say, oh, the American people, you know, they, they have uh, brains like a tadpole type of deal, you know, and then it just shows you set himself up, you set him up to um, to hang himself, basically, by his own rhetoric, because he's so vapid and it, it, there's not there's no there there behind anything that he says. And so I'm actually glad that she is so adept at letting people hang themselves and just, and just okay, you know, you say whatever that, and then I'm going to actually uh, uh, allow my audience and, and, uh, and uh, actually believe that my audience is smart enough to realize exactly what he's doing. And let me say this, he's not doing this on his own. I, you know, it's, it's, he's not coming out of nowhere with this type of tomfoolery. This is stuff that we see on MSNBC and CNN, Fox, whatever, you know, pick your media outlet. They're doing the same thing. They're just not being as overt about it. He's actually saying the quiet part out loud type of deal. Well, I will say, you know, I like I, for one, didn't have an issue with uh, Brie bringing Vosh on. I, I know some people did. I don't really care who other people bring in their shows, to be honest. Like, that's right. really is really none of my concern. But um, I think that, you know, I, I met Vosh like once briefly. It was on a panel. 
uh, when Jen Perlman uh, had her, it was a birthday celebration and I was on that panel and Ross was on the panel too. He wasn't like that though. Like, like the way that he was um, on Bree's show, that debate, he was not that way. In fact, he was the exact opposite. So I haven't, um, you know, but watching the debate between him and Bree, it was just kind of like, I don't know. Like I, I think, like you said, like sometimes when people talk like really fast, the message can get lost. So like, and you, you're right. Like mainstream media does that too. This is why when I play, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but this is why when I play news clips, I play them twice. I play it full the first time I play it all the way through. And then I'll usually come back the second time and pause in between because when they are speaking really fast like that, it's easy to miss what's actually being said. So I think that it's something to, to like pay attention to, but like, you know, some of the things that, that he said, like to me, it still wasn't surprising. Like I've, I've seen some of his stuff. Uh, I would say in the past couple months, and the things that he said to me, the things he said to her, it was not surprising. Yeah. But I, I think, go ahead. I think Brie handled her own, you know, which I had no doubt that she would. Um, and I know what you're saying. Like some people were like, well, why is she platforming him or whatever? I mean, technically, I think people need to get the word platform right because technically he has more subscribers. So he's actually platforming her by coming on. So I think people need to get that right. Like someone told me this one time, like, how dare you platform this person? And the person had like 4,000 subs. And I was like, or no, no, it was the other way around. Sorry. They were like, how dare they platform me? And uh, they had, or I had more subs than them. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like it's actually the other way around. So I think that I have no problem talking to people that I disagree with. It doesn't matter to me if they're a candidate. It doesn't matter to me if they're activists. I have no problem having those conversations, but some people do. Some people don't want to talk to people that they disagree with. I like to talk to everybody if I can. Like I like to talk to people where maybe we can come around to an agreement on some of the issues. Like when I interviewed Andrew Yang, we didn't agree on some of the issues. But, you know, same thing. When I interviewed Rokana, we didn't agree on anything. Right. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> but I think it gets kind of boring if you only bring on people that agree with you all the time, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I guess I was just trying to say that uh, I'm not mad that she uh, brought him on her uh, podcast. And, I, and I'm not mad that she, you know... Uh, it's so-called platform and like you said he was actually platforming her or whatever because i do believe that he actually exposed himself in that it brought you know from my perspective brought him down a notch because you know i didn't really listen to him much or at all before he went on breeze thing but then because he went on there and then all he could say was dumb dumb stupid you know uh, uh, fish brains and whatever. It's just like, well, you're just not saying anything. So I do credit her for that. So I'm, so I'm actually very glad that she went on, you know, that he went on there and did that. Uh, but I was just, you know, I brought that up to just say that I am at, <laughs> I find him deeply unserious is what, <laughs> as you all would say. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and then, um, in terms of, the actual topic that you brought up with the quish hedges and the wolf duopoly thing or whatever. And I kind of touched on this before in terms of, 
you know, um, how uh, can it be done, you know, to, to break up this duopoly and things like that. And I think it can. And I actually do think that it is my opinion that it, it can be done by the state by state solution. Um, I am uh, vehemently opposed to trying to put all of your eggs in the federal basket. I think that's a terrible strategy. Um, and I do believe that, as you were mentioning before, uh, and, you know, not just necessarily today, that how Florida, who is literally a bright red state, blood red state today, also, you know, passed the $15 minimum wage, which if you would do it at the federal level, would not have ever happened. But because it was done at the state level, that would that that actually passed. And so I do think that the state by state method is a very valid method. And I think that if it's going to be done, it needs to be done, like I said, the way the Constitution says of it, we have these 50 little laboratories. And then when people look and see, oh, well, that actually works over there. Oh, Roger Meadows says, oh, you have to have these banks over there, these these public banks. Oh, well, let's try it over here. Well, it works over here or whatever. Oh, well, you know, and here's like, here I am being um, uh, uh, controversial here. Oh, constitutional carry happens over there. Well, maybe we could try it over here. Well, it kind of works over here. Okay, well, let's do this here. You know, so... There's all kinds of ways that you can kind of manipulate and just kind of test things out, you know, where, okay, well, if it fails in Texas, okay, that's 30 million people. That's terrible. But at least it doesn't affect 33 million people across, I mean, 30, I mean, sorry, 300 million people across the United States. I like that. Uh, So that's all I got to say about that. Thank you so much for that, Robin. I, I think that's that's very important for people to hear. Like I, again, like I was one of those people too, where I used to only focus on like what happens on the national level. And it actually wasn't until I moved to Massachusetts that I started to pay more attention to local politics. And there's so many things that are happening on the local level that I think just not enough people know about because there's not attention brought. It's not brought to attention. I think the only time it's brought to attention, it seems like is if... It has some type of, in some way, it can transfer to the national level. And some people forget this, especially if you're a healthcare activist. I think it's important for people to remember, before we had Obamacare, that was actually called Romney Care. Right. So it happened on the local level first, and then it went to the national level. So this is just something to keep in mind. I don't see anybody passing $15 minimum wage on the, on the national level, by the way. They already voted against it. So go ahead, Eric. The, the question I, I'd like to pose, I guess, to, to both of you, Sabrina and Robin, is what is your take on, on why is everything, and, and we're on Collins, so I guess we can swear, why, why is everything so fucked up? What's, what's, the, what's the reason? What's your theory of? of why that is everything in reference to politics or just in general politics our society war and peace i mean i mean you know what i'm gonna say eric i would say it's because what's robin's theory (laughs) 
it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this, you know, honestly and in good faith, it's, you know, in the discussion. Wow, that is a deep question. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and let me say this, Eric, because uh, I will, do you have a call in of your own? Who, Eric? I don't think Eric does. Okay, okay. No, I'm okay. just here. Um, you can talk to me here, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I, I the re- only reason why I'm saying is that I know that there are a lot of people that are waiting to call in and, and speak and things like that. And oh. I minored in philosophy um, in my undergraduate education. So uh, I have all kinds of thoughts and ideas. And then also, uh, I'm not sure if I've shared this, but I think I shared this. I'm a, I'm a current seminary student, part-time, but I'm a seminary student as well. So I have a lot of ideas and thoughts about why things are the way they are. Uh, so, um, I, and here's another thing, I guess with me becoming a new member or whatever, I don't know how to join the discord. And so if maybe somebody can put in the chat, how I can join Sabby's discord, I can do that. Uh, and I can talk about all of those things. Now, my, that's if you, it. Uh, I am not for the, for the discord, I, I'll just say for the discord, um, at the, in the description of all the Sabby videos, there's a link. And then you can hit that link and that should take you to it. And then you can create an account and do stuff like that. Okay. So if I go to Patreon and do the link. No, to... just any video. Oh, you don't, you don't even have to be on the Patreon. Just any oh. video. It'll be right there. Discord link. Yeah. Listen, y'all. Y'all hearing all of this? Everybody join the Discord, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. I think you're not a troll. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Okay. So. Here's the thing. I don't mean you. I mean other guys. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Okay, so um, I will post my thoughts and opinions on uh, what Eric said on the Discord once I log on. Okay, awesome. That sounds great, Robin. Thank you so okay. much for calling in. I want to go ahead and get to the other uh, callers. All right, looks like we're going to bring in uh, Brent, and then I'm say, going to pivot I'll just say, to... It's the- yeah, I, I'm, we're going to bring in Brent, and then I'm going to pivot to uh, Roger. What's up, Brent? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. It's kind of... Sh- here, let me... Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Hello? I can hear you. Okay. So, um, a couple things. So, before I address the duopoly, the, the question... Um, so I was thinking about that Marion Williams, the what happened during that interview, and um, I decided to watch like the other ch- like the RBN um, the video, like the, their opinion, like the opinions that were done on that interview after it ended. And I feel you were a hundred percent spot on by about the importance of being professional in order to gain access because. A, a lot of people in our society are hung up on civility politics, and if you piss them off, people off even the slightest, then they won't they they won't want to come back on your channel again. Well, no, it's not about like not. Well, no, it's um, not. Could you be just for a second, Brett? I think you have a slight echo. Um, it's not just about um, pissing people off, like because when Ro Connor came on, I don't think he was happy with the things that I had to say. It's not about that at all. I can push back on people. I push back on people all the time. So when I say being professional, you have to understand, like, that's just how I am in general. Like, I come from a field 
where we cannot talk to people that way. I've never spoken to people that way, like in my life. So that's where it comes from. It comes from my background. I have had to be in spaces, a lot of professional spaces where I cannot speak to people that way. I was an academic advisor. I can't talk to the students that way. I can't talk to the faculty members that way at all. So that's just how I am as a person. But that being said, we've decided, like, I think, you know, we've decided RBN, like, maybe not so much calling it professional, but being somewhat respectful. Now, if somebody came on and they just started cursing me out and stuff like that, then I got to take it to Savvy (laughs) 2.0. Then I have to take it to another level. But if they're not talking to me that way, I don't feel that there's a reason for me to yell at them. I don't communicate with people like that. I, I just, you guys might hear me yell when I'm reporting the news or something like that. But the difference is I'm not talking to a person like right in front of me. I don't communicate with people like that in my life. Like that's just not, that's not who I am. But it's not just about like gaining access per se. Like I don't have to have access to Marianne Williamson. You see what I'm saying? Even if you disagree. And by the way, if someone refuses to come back on because you you push back on them or you disagree with them, that's unfortunate because that means they only want to talk to people that are going to echo everything that they say. But there's a difference between disagreeing with someone and yelling at someone. And I think we have to understand that not everyone communicates that way. And some people, I don't know Marianne personally, but some people that I do know personally, they get very triggered when they're yelled at because of past trauma. So that's something that I actually learned from my friends who have had those situations. But also I was listening to uh, Gabor Mate, Gabor Mate. He was talking about like trauma and stuff like this on the Jimmy Dore show. And he was talking about how people can be traumatized because they're spoken to in such a way. And it can bring back, it can bring up like old memories, you know, that kind of thing. But that's just not how I am as a person. Right, but I felt like what CJ said was 100% spawn as well. Maybe you could have interwoven what he said in the interview, but I took no issue with what he said, because what he said was 100% spawn on. And I feel like Marin Williamson, there's a different standard between Marin Williamson and CJ and Rome. Are CJ and Rome, are they politicians considered running for president? I don't think so. Marin Williamson, on the other hand, is trying to run for president. So if she's going to start complaining about two guys coming in and quote unquote ambush, ambushing her, then she, then she should be called off, uh, criticized on the spot. And she should, she's not fit to run for president. I'm sorry. Like if, if you're going to start complaining about two guys coming in and quote unquote ambushing her, like I question her ability to be president. And for her to start accusing Nick of mansplaining, like is that, I don't think that's very professional either, in my opinion. Like, you can't pull the female card it isn't isn't. and and honestly like i didn't jump in there because i know that nick can handle himself but i think that you know no i totally agree with you we talked about this after the interview like i didn't agree with i was kind of surprised that she said that because i have interviewed her before so i was kind of surprised that she she assumed that nick was trying to mansplain that's not what nick was trying to do nick was just trying to let her know that we did interview the Palestinian network as a part of our anti-imperialist summit. And that was one of the, the positions that was posed to them, which was what about the two state solution? And they told us very, you know, very strongly, no, that is, that is not a solution because you can't support, like basically what they're saying is like, you can't support the 
I don't know if they want to call them encampments, but you, you can't support like the the encampments and at the same time be like, okay, but these people have this land and they're they're somewhat free. So that's how it was explained to us. We didn't even I didn't well, I can't speak for Nick. I didn't even know that until the Palestinian network came on. So they educated me. And I think what Nick was trying to do was trying to explain to her, like, listen, this is what they they said to us. I think Marianne took it the wrong way as to like he was trying to tell her I have Palestinian friends and you don't. So she definitely took that the wrong way. Does it matter? Don't you think it was like a debating tactic? Like like a debating tactic to just if you don't if you feel you're losing the debate, then you just oh you're just mansplaining. Ad hominem. I mean, you criticize you criticize the 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 person, not the actual argument. I mean, yeah. honestly, like I, I was really kind of surprised like that came from Marianne. Like I said, like, I think that that was wrong. She shouldn't have done that. Um, right. In reference to uh, Rome and CJ coming at the end, I think it's what's important to know is like CJ was supposed to CJ was supposed to be there at the end because the show was going to continue with Nick and CJ and I was going to go. They were going to do news stories and it was going to be the rest of the Nick and CJ show. So when CJ came in, it was because the interview was ending and he was supposed to take over. Now, the Rome thing, uh, I don't think it was so much the CJ thing. It was when Rome came on, because like I said, like Rome had already went after her that day before the interview. And then right after that, she contacted Nick and said, I got 20 minutes. So we had like a whole list of like questions like prepared and stuff. And the next thing we knew it was like 20 minutes. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, like it was, it was last minute. So we had to like scramble. So these are the things that happen like behind the scenes, but Rome had, yeah, he had already come after her right before the interview. And that's why, because if you go back and watch it, notice when CJ came on, she didn't say anything. It was when Rome popped on. So, I mean, well, it is, it is mean, what it is. If you want to be president, if you want to be president and someone that you don't like comes on and you just run away, like, like you find excuses or you're mansplaining, you pull the female card, like, and you're, you're supposed to, be, you want to be a leader who wants to sh show an example to women across the country that men and women are equal and you're pulling the mansplaining nonsense. I mean, that right there shows me she is not fit to be president. And I'm surprised nobody's like, I'm sorry, like people could disagree with me all they want. If you're pulling that card, like because of Rome, someone that doesn't like you comes on. That's shit. I don't know. That just seems kind of. So as, it, I, it, so it, as it, I said, like, again, I don't think many of us on this call support Marianne Williamson for president, even before <laughs> that interview. I mean, I, I'm, just, no, I'm just being serious. I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just being serious. I don't think most of us on this call support Marianne Williamson for president. And I, I brought this up even before she had the interview. I did a segment about it and I was like, uh, no, I would not support Marianne Williamson for president. And I was very vocal about that. So, and Marianne knows that she saw that interview or not the interview, the episode. She saw that segment that I did. And I know she saw it because she quoted me at the beginning of the interview. So I know she saw that, that segment where I said, no, I couldn't support Marianne Williamson for president. So I, I, she, she was very condescending. Like, honey like nick honey's like and then like referring to, like talking to you like you're like ignoring nick like that was just kind of like whoa this this woman she's pulling some kind of like politics from the clintons or something i don't know what wh where she she's just another she's a fraud i mean just unbelievable how 
she, she her tactics were just kind of like she she came across she fooled the vanguard and other mainstream media because they 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 they're all about civility politics but seeing that interview my god like she, she she's awful <laughs> well i think you know i, I think that she kind of showed people like, and, and by the way, you're not the only one like saying that other people have reached out too. And they said, good God, like, I can't believe she did that. So that showed something about, about her, you know, I mean, and, wow. and it's not just, and it's not just our interview. I watched the interview that she did with Jordan, um, Jordan Sheraton, um, on status cool recently. And that was another revealing moment because one of the questions or one of the things that Jordan said was that Joe Biden is trying to privatize Medicare. And she said, that's not true. And Jordan had to push back on her and say, David Sirota wrote the article. And that is true. You guys know I covered that recently. So I think that was a revealing moment too. Um, I just, look, you guys know how I feel about this. I told you, you got to be strong on foreign policy, which I mentioned this on Bad Faith Podcast. When we went on there, I said, I said it then I would not vote for Marianne Williamson. And that was over the summer. And I said, she's not good on foreign policy and she's running through the democratic party. So for me, and it's, it's just the foreign policy takes, they are, they are cringe. Uh, John Stasevich is coming back on this week. He's been on my show before, but he's running as an independent. And it's just I, like, when people say like the only option is Marianne, that's not true. Like John Stasevich is running as an independent and more people need to bring him on. Right. Right. I mean, Oh my God, that it's just unbelievable. Like just the way I think CJ, what he said at the end should have been corporate in the, during the interview. Cause he was a hundred percent spot on. Like, uh, screw the civility politics. Like what he said is what I was thinking while I was watching that interview. Like stuff I, I would want to say, but I don't have the guts to do it because I'm just not that type of person. But CJ was saying what I was thinking, and I just think you guys should find a way to incorporate that kind of I don't know how to say refreshing takes, like the non-filtered takes, because that I think feel like that's what attracts people to RBN. The 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 they don't people don't like the civility politics they like the the real takes and i feel like cj really nailed on the head on they nailed it on the head so well i am being real like this is who i right. am like cj has explained this multiple times when he talks about the members of rbn we're all different we're not all the same and right. cj always says savvy is the professional one yes i am and before it was just the five of us there were other people that were professionals too there was Jackie, there was RJ. I mean, it wasn't just me, but then when they left, now it's, you know, it's, it's more so just me. I typically don't do interviews on RBN. I do interviews on my channel and I have more time. Like I, I don't do like these 20 minute interviews. Like I, that's not enough time. Like we didn't even get a chance to go in depth with some of these questions. So when I bring people on my channel, they're usually there for interview the minimum is 30 minutes. That's the minimum. Usually it's like 40 or 50. What? I talked to Glenn Greenwald for what? Almost an hour. Like I don't, I can't get as many questions out in 20 minutes. And so, like I said, that was told to us right before the interview started. So everything changed like after that. So that was a big, that, that was a big 
screw up like that really screwed things up because i was like fuck like i said you notice towards the end we almost didn't even get to the foreign policy part she was going to evade the question anyway you notice how she chose the easy the quote-unquote easy question you gave her an out yeah, you should have asked yeah. her about ukraine she, well i did ask her i we we didn't get a chance to ask her about ukraine again that's what nick was starting with until rome jumped in and started talking that's why Nick didn't get to get the question out. That's why I asked about Ukraine and Russia and uh, Israel and Palestine. And Nick said, go ahead, Marianne, and I'll go ahead and follow up with Ukraine. He didn't get a chance to finish what he was saying because Rome came in and cut off that part. So that messed things up, too. But if you want to know what she thinks about Russia and Ukraine, go watch the interview that she did with Jordan Sheraton. Because he right, did get that know. question. Yeah. So let's see the, the question about the duopolies and... Kashama Sawant talked about striking. I don't think, depending on the public to strike, I don't think that's a viable law, uh, nationwide solution because I feel like a lot of people on the inside are just selfish people and they're not willing to take the risks that come with striking. Um, one example off the top of my head, um, I was at a, a comic convention and I talked to one of the power range, I don't know if, you guys watch power watch Power Rangers, but I watched a lot of Power Rangers back in the day, and um, all of a sudden there was a casting change where three of the Rangers left and they were replaced. And I found out that they were going to sh strike to get better pay. But what happened was one of the guys, uh, Jason David Frank, who sadly committed suicide a couple months ago. He negotiated a deal with the boss to get a better pay, to get better pay, and he screwed over the entire cast. So I feel like that is just a, a small example of how people are selfish and they won't, the striking, I don't think will work because what will happen is people that are scared of the consequences of striking, they're, they could be easily bought. And I feel like many people, if they were, if they had the money that the politicians have, they'd be just as greedy and corrupt. So well, I think the thing we really need to focus on is the union leaders. Like that's what happened with the railroad workers, right? Like the railroad workers, they told me on my show they did want it to go on strike. But the union leader said, no, I'm going to negotiate with with Congress. So that's another problem that you run into with unions. I mean, some people have really good ones, but sometimes the union leaders, they will sell out the rest of the members that are part of the union because they get their deal. Um, and that's unfortunate. And I think that it goes to show you that some people can be bought and they're willing to turn their back on the other members just so that they get what's best for them. But if, the, if that's the case, then what's the point of a union, right? This is why we right. need local co-ops. Right. And I just feel like people, many of the, the people that are struggling, a lot of them are, are corrupt people as well, but they're not, have the, the resources. So their greed and corruption is not put into the spotlight as right. it is with the politicians. Like, I, not everybody who's poor is for Medicare for all, for all these things. They're, they're out for themselves. And a, a strike usually requires majority uh, participation. And I, I just don't feel like that's going to be very effective. 
Well, yeah. the rail workers had the majority, though. They had the vote, like the majority of them voted to go on strike and the union leaders did what they wanted to do anyway. Right. The powerful people need to be on board. This is what happened with friends. Um, they, they, they want better pay. They threatened to go on strike. Everybody was on board. Even the most popular actors were willing to strike and they renegotiated and they had a very successful tenure, 10 years, I think, yep. of friends worldwide, from all over the world. They're super popular. The, the subsequent shows because everyone was paid equally. The chemistry was there and they made a lot of money, but that's because everybody was on board. If even one, the one powerful actor, if he didn't agree to it, they would just fire the rest of the five and replace them all. But the, the person with the most leverage was on board. Everybody got paid. So I mm. feel like every, a lot of the most powerful people have to be on board in order for strikes to work. So I just don't have confidence in that. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Brent. All right. Thank you. Alrighty, I am going to Noel. I'm going to pivot to you for a second, and then we're going to bring in Delthea. So Noel, you just have to hit the unmute button. Oh, there you go. Alrighty, now. Um, good evening, everybody. Um, there's a lot to chit chat about, but I want to be quick. Um, in terms of the duopoly thing, I really don't think we'll be able to do it because we're in a race against time. This isn't just a forever, you know, walk in the park. We're working against, you know, the uber militarization of the policing in this country. We're dealing with militarization, you know, in terms of foreign policy. We're racing against climate change and global warming. And the society, really, the fabric of our society is just, I see it as just being ripped to shreds because all of the things that work to divide in terms of culture and stuff, they're all working at full speed. We're not growing together. We're growing apart. And it's based on no one wants to be left behind, but the people at the top. And when I speak of the people at the top, I mean both the Democrat, Republican, the elite, as a class, they're extracting everything. And it's just like the old um, paradigm of the rats in the maze. As long as you put tons of cheese in there, everything is a community and there's harmony. But when you start taking out lumps of cheese and it gets down to one lump of cheese, then you see cannibalism and everything else. The parent rats are running around, leaving the children, isn't it? And it just invites a type of chaos. And I see that type of thing coming into play. We need health care. We have a high degree of homelessness. The media is not reporting and telling us what the reality is. They're telling us what they would want us to see. They're, um, you know, the entertainment machine is on full spin to distract you. So I really think, and, and then to make these types of changes that I think we need, it's going to take a massive, massive organization of the masses, and it would need to necessarily occur across all the divide lines. And I just don't see anything on the horizon, save for the Shama Sewan and the Socialist Alternative Initiative of um, Worker Strike Back. 
I see that as potentially a spark, but there is so much division to overcome. And then we have to understand that, you know, we're not playing to an empty arena as the elites see a type of coalescing of the masses, they're going to work deceit. They're going to have all kinds of strategies to divide and conquer. And unfortunately, the um, the ecosystem of our country with this rugged individualism and all this type of crap feet and American exceptionalism, it just feeds all into those things. And so I think we're just moving so much in the wrong direction. Because the way I reason it out, the capitalism is our mother problem, including the necessity of race that it needed to be actualized. So even racism comes out of capitalism and it's just a raging beast now. And in, I think our global solution, and I mean that globally within state and globally internationally, it's we have to come away from all of this self-aggrandizement and greed and this and that and hoarding of resources, both domestically and abroad. And to kind of segue into the question that Eric raised, I think that is the reason, the unifying theory of why everything is coming to crap. Because we have taken, you know, my basic spiel on this is that we have taken greed, which we understand to be the source of all evils. We've dressed it up, formalized it, called it economic theory, capitalism, this and that. But at its core, it still creates the same I, me, my energy. And it's just run amok all through our society. You even see it in our TV programming with who wants to marry a millionaire, the bachelor and all of this <laughs> type of stuff. And I just think our whole energy is um, twisted. And at the very bottom, we are preoccupied with surviving. I see it every day. It's just not reported on the major media. It's just people are struggling out here, you know, and I am one of them. But I, so I would hope that there would be some chance to, um, thwart the duopoly. But here's the other thing. Like we say, the du duopoly is really just for our show and tell. I believe if the masses began to organize, if the elites felt threatened, they would begin to literally cross party lines and everything else. And they would begin to organize and coalesce in a more visible way. The deep state would operate in plain sight. And I think we see those things coming. You know, Democrats are just as much behind cop city as Republicans. And it's the corporate energy that both parties serve. So if they feel threatened that there's going to be a massive type of energy that would threaten their power, I think they would coalesce right away and become one party. And then we would really see the us, them in terms of the elite versus the masses. I think they would quickly realign themselves and it, and then it would be incumbent upon us as the masses to get past race, ethnicity, and all that. And those problems, as Professor, as um, Chris Hedges indicated, are so deeply rooted. I don't know if we could get past those to do the real grassroots organization across those lines 
that we would need to do. Yeah, I know some people, and Delthea, I want to go ahead and bring you in here. You'll have to unmute. I know some people have told me that they feel like Chris Hedges is doom and gloom, but Chris Hedges is giving you the raw facts that mainstream media is not going to tell you. Go ahead, Delthea. Well, um, you can hear me, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you have to make up your mind. Do you want to do you want to destroy the duopoly or do you want to control it? Which one do you want? It's destroyed. Because it's an energy. It. It's an energy that motivates it. And we call it the duopoly because it presents in this partisan way. But really, the energy to serve the corporate beast is the same. It's just dressed differently on either side. But really, that is the same energy. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless of what you want to do, whether you want to control it or you want to or you want to bring it down, the question is, is how how are you going to get the movement started? Because that's what you need. You need a movement. That's how you get things done. Martin Luther King did not wake up one day in 1955, get in his car, drive to D.C., go to the White House, sit in the Oval Office, say to President Dwight D. Eisenhower, we need to end segregation. Eisenhower said, you know what? You're right. Let's do it. Boom. King gets up, goes back home. That did not happen. That's not how anything ever happened. When King first walked into the Oval Office, he walked in there with a million votes in his pocket. This is what I, I think people really need to understand, too. You bring up a good point, Althea, because oftentimes the civil rights movement is referenced, right, when we talk about mm-hmm. movements. But people need to understand it started on the local level first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like you said, he didn't get in his car and just go to D.C. They started on the local level first organizing in in Birmingham, Alabama, and then spreading to other cities and other states. And then eventually it got to the DC point, but that's not, that's not how it started. No. And and I mean, if you're talking about the whole, if you're talking about the whole civil rights movement, that started with the Emancipation Proclamation. We're talking about the modern civil rights movement. That started in Montgomery with the bus boycott. And I'll tell anybody that wants to do this work, that boycott lasted for 381 days. If you can't give 381 days of your life to the struggle, you ain't ready. And That's why I said, you. but see, this is exactly why I said after Trump lost and Biden won, and Chuck Modi talks about this often because he got a lot of the video footage in D.C. for the mm-hmm. George Floyd protests. Mm-hmm. That's why I said when that happened, and most of the protesters went back home. That was a mistake. They should have continued protesting. Mm-hmm. It was almost like they were saying that the problem had been solved because Trump lost. And that right. right there to me said something. It made me realize, you know what? They don't really understand the problem. They, don't. they think that this is a Trump issue. Police brutality has been a problem in this country for years. So that right there let me know they didn't really get it. No. But here's the thing. It you no know, when, when we talk about the civil rights movement, and Delphia is correct in that officially 
it really got started after emancipation because the freed slaves and their descendants really got nothing but as um the i forget his name said you know they were free to hunger and inherit the wind Patrick Douglas. Mm-hmm. So they had skill sets and they were able to build communities. They were burned down X, Y, Z. But what I'm saying is for the entirety of the time that the Africans and their descendants have been in this nation, we have been fighting against an energy that is determined to extract out of us what it would. We were brought here originally for free labor. Once the car, the debt was shuffled and they were forced out of a crime against humanity perspective to set us physically free, the energy to enslave and extract was still prevalent in this country. They played around with reconstruction for about a decade. Then they turned their backs. And so I say to you, the project to disable, dismantle, deconstruct the duopoly, first of all, it 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 would be a long range project by any stretch of the imagination because it would take that much time to organize the masses. And again, I say, we are racing against time. We don't have the two, three hundred years that the descendants of slaves invested in trying to get an economic foothold in this nation, and we still haven't. I don't think, and like I've said before, the emancipation was really not so much a freeing of the slaves as it was a opening of the a socialization of the plantation. What you see across time is that this country has it goes full circle. It started in a type of slavery, and that's where we're headed today. All of the gains that we made through the labor movement, you know, and these things when we had multiple parties in this country fighting for multiple socialist ideals, the establishment has systematically dismantled them, and they have their eyes focused on Medicare and Social Security today. Their determined, their energy and motive has not changed. We've scrambled around and, and called ourselves different things, and now we're trying to get past race and all this. But they've played a master hand because they've always been focused on the same thing, subdue the masses for free labor. And now white working class Americans are starting to see the same disdain that they had for the slaves. They have it for them too now. And you find yourself having to reunionize, refight, relitigate the um, labor movement. This is the same thing. And I just, you know, it's so monumental. It is the actual blood that flows through the veins of this country. And that's why I think in terms of trying to deal with the real underpinning problem, which is capitalism, which is dressed up greed, I just don't think we'll be able to outrun it because who would we be if we tried to flip the whole thing? These people would lose their minds. Well, it's not a question of flipping the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you why, because what we're watching is empire is falling. We're watching an empire fall. 
And the people who are supposed to be running it are basically out here trying to rearrange deck chairs on the goddamn Titanic. They don't know what to do. So they're trying this, that, and the other. Never in this country, first of all, never in this country, I like to put it like this. Black people were allowed to go in the back door of the of the big house. White folk weren't allowed. The poor white folk weren't allowed in the big house at all. It's always been a thing where it's been black people against poor white folk. Why can we give poor white folk? We can give them a sense of superiority over black people. We can do that and we can control them. And that's why it's been very difficult for us to have any type of class movement in this country. And you exactly. see class movements in other countries. You've seen it. And we talked about Sri Lanka a couple months about ago. Like they all came together and they stormed the prime minister's uh, house and said, get out. <laughs> like we've seen this happen in other countries. But what we have to understand, too, is that in those countries, they're not a melting pot. The United no. States of America is a melting pot. So we have so many different races. We have different class systems and all that stuff, too. So if you're not a melting pot, the racial issue is not even something you're even going to think about. And I, I know this, like talking to friends of mine that grew up in South Korea, where South okay. Korea is one of the most monolithic countries in the world. They don't have to think about race uh, the way nope. that we do in this country. So I think when you don't have that piece to deal with, and you just look at it as though, hey, we're all poor and we're all being screwed over. It's easier to have a class of uprising. Of course, because then you're not confused. That's what race does. Race confuses people. Because it makes you think that there's something inherently wrong with somebody for no other reason than the color of their skin or the way their eyes are made. And the the the, the most diabolical aspect of race is race was created for that purpose. In the colonies, as they were contemplating establishing this democracy, they realized that the majority in the colony would be working class or laborers. And so they had to devise a mechanism to divide labor. And so they said the blacks are the slaves and the whites are one step above. And that was just enough of a natural division to perpetuate this cycle well into the current times. And like I said before, Working class and poor white people who have little to nothing gain identity from being non-black and they fight for it. And that's what Chris Hedges was saying. They're so deeply rooted into a psychosis of who am I? When the Irish were immigrating to this country, they found a type of camaraderie with the descendants of slaves. The establishment quickly yep. broke that up and, yep. and reinforced the Irish. And there are books written about how the Irish became white. And becoming white means accepting the privilege of white skin and treating the blacks in a different way. I just asked a friend today, how else could you explain one of the core constituencies in this country, which would be the, the slaves and their descendants, 400 years in, out of waves and waves and waves of immigration, we still are at the economic bottom. That just would not naturally occur. There is something in the water 
that is precipitating that and perpetuating it. And that is the divide line. You know, that's why they killed Fred Hampton, not because he was just radical, but he was saying to poor whites, we're more alike than we're unalike. And that was Hoover perceived that as a threat. Right. And the other issue, too, is that, you know, at one point in time when Irish Americans, uh, well, when Irish people first came to this country and became Irish Americans, there were signs on uh, stores that said Irish need not apply. And so to Noel's point, the United States government found a way to change that in the sense that they told Irish people, hey, you're white. So you're still a step above black people. And then when the Italians started to immigrate to the U.S., hey, you're still a step above black people and the Italians. So then you get the Italians that immigrate to the U.S. And, and they then have they're to told, be white too. Exactly. Then they're told they're white too. And then they're told, hey, it's okay though. You're still a step above the black people. So black people were still at the bottom regardless. But here's so the I thing. Know. But here's the thing. Right now, we black people under other black people. Because mm-hmm. right now we've got we've got Nigerians, we've got Kenyans, we've got people from Sierra Leone. All of these are black people. They dog black people, but they will but, get put above us because. Wait a minute, I have to I have to interject here because I had a friend who was from Sierra Leone. Uh-huh. I lived in New York, and she made it very clear to me that she should not be referred to as black. She made that very clear to me. She said, I'm not black. She said, I'm African. And I said, okay, I totally understand that. But let me tell you something here about about the United States. Here in the U.S. We we are the children of a stolen tribe. Right. But what I was trying to explain to her is that here in the U.S., the police don't see that. The police aren't like, I'm not going to stop you because you're from Sierra Leone. They have no idea you're from Sierra Leone. The police see you as black. And they will approach you the same way they'll approach me, the same way they'll approach someone from the Dominican Republic. And I've I've met I've had friends that are from the DR and they say the same thing. I'm not black, I'm Dominican. Let me tell you how it goes here. So I think I think for some people they don't they don't realize that until they come to the US, especially if you're coming from a country where everyone looks like you, and then you get to the United States where it's this melt it's a yeah, we're a melting pot, but white people are the majority. But you got to take this into consideration too with that, in that the black people who are coming here from Africa, these are college educated, they middle class, they upper class. It's just that when they get here, they got to start over. And here's the thing. They come from those foreign countries, including the continent of Africa. They come with an identity that is not rooted in race. It's rooted, it may be tribal, it may be national orientation, nationally oriented, which nation you come from. And there is a type of freedom and empowerment when you understand that who you are is rooted in something simply other than just your skin color. And so when they relate to white Americans, they relate on that same level of freedom, a freedom of identity. And when they come with these accents and last names and this and that, white America understands them not to be descendant of slave. And that's why they will pull, you know, a Barack Obama or, you know, these people for the Kamala Harris, because they don't come with the energy that says 
this country has taken something through my lineage and it owes me. And they're all too willing to jump into these positions. And because like another friend said, people immigrate to this country for opportunity, not for a fight. They're not coming to say, oh, our, you know, cousins in America are struggling and we're going to go join. the." They're coming here saying, sugar, I'm coming for opportunity. And if I can rise to the top, like the ones, the actors and actresses who are coming by way of England and they're getting all the prime roles from Harriet to everything else. And you've had hundreds, let alone thousands of black native born American actresses who could play Aretha Franklin, who could play Whitney Houston, who could play um, Fred Hampton. But we sit around and we see these roles going to immigrant blacks by way of Europe. And if you say something, oh, you xenophobic. No, we, we need to talk about this. You, um, I've been left behind behind white people. Now you telling me it's okay that I be left behind behind immigrant blacks too? There needs to be something said here. And you know, like you I say, agree. Because I agree. You, I agree. I agree. I agree with everything you're saying. What we, what, what I'm saying, what it's not quite that clean because these same black people coming from Africa are coming out of colonization. It's not like they had nothing to do with white people. It's not like they don't understand whiteness. Well, They're my friend playing. that came here, I just want to say, I want to make this point. My friend that mm -hmm. came here from Sierra Leone was mm -hmm. not college. I, I totally, I get what you're saying, Noel, but she was not college educated. Like she, she came from a village in Sierra Leone. Um, she came here because uh, there was missionaries that went to Sierra Leone. One of the missionary dudes uh, she met, proposed okay. to her, married her, and brought her back to the United States. And then, like, she, you know, they got divorced, like, later on. But that's how she, she came here. But she came from nothing. Like, she married a missionary. She did, and then married she got here. She did, and then she got here. And uh, he was from middle class, but she married middle class. He was going to a missionary. Well, yeah, can't he, afford to be missionaries. Yeah, yeah, but l let me finish. Like, um, she she came here, um, with him, and then she got here, and then she realized that his family was racist, which apparently he forgot to tell her. <laughs> so that <laughs> happened. Yeah, like she was like, she said he forgot to tell me that his family was racist, and I was like, oh no. And so, um, so yeah, like she, she came here and lived in Texas and then mm -hmm. she got a divorce from him and moved to New York city. And so by the time I met her, she had already been through all of that, but she, she came from nothing. Um, and she said her goal was to try to like help get her mom out of Sierra Leone and come to the U S too. And she was trying to get her papers and stuff. Uh, she was more, I think she was more understanding about like the the class fight and the struggle. But even she, she did tell me one time, man, like she told me, she was like, this guy tried to hit on her and we were at the bar and mm -hmm. she said, I can't, I, I can't talk to the black, the black man. And I said, Oh, why not? And she said, because like I was warned in my country when they told me I was coming to America, like if things don't work out with my husband, not to date black men, black American men. And I was like, well, why would they say that to you? And she was like, because they said that black American men are lazy. And I was like, 
Yeah. My, dad's, my dad's a black man. What do you think about me? Yeah. I've heard that. I've hey, heard that. What do they tell you about black American women? But here's the said, thing. It was okay. It's okay, Sabrina. You're different. You went to college. And I was like, wait. Oh what? my God. <laughs> and, oh, but not you. That's the but not you trope. Oh my God. I have lived that all my life. But see, black people don't do this, but not you. Here's the other thing. Don't marry the black man, but it was okay for you to marry that white missionary and make your way right. back over to the United States for opportunity. For opportunity. And then once you divorce, you trying to get your mama over here because you see that it may be a better way than she has over in Sierra Leone. So the whole modus operandi is still the same. You're coming for opportunity and you will align yourself in this struggle, however it takes for you to get ahead. If that meant marrying another one, she would do it. Oh, God, yes, she'll do it. Of course she'll do it. But here's the thing with that. Because Because they're coming over here for opportunity, they are willing to humble themselves. I work, I work in senior care. Okay. I do in-home elder sitting is what I do. And one of my clients is, it's me and a, like two other, uh, American descendant of slaves, uh, women work with her. Everybody else is from the continent of Africa. And I'm going to tell you right, they put up with some stuff. We don't. Because they honestly believe that if they just put up with it, if they humble themselves, they will succeed. The same way you hear poor white people in this country say, because they will humble themselves. I've seen white folk on a job take shit I ain't going to take. But they'll take it because they feel like in the long run, I'm going to put my, I'm going to put, cast my lot with the people above me. They're going to look after me. And I do that. I will succeed. It's very, very interesting concept. I, I want to go ahead and finish up with you, Delthea, because I want to make sure I have a line of people, so I want to make sure I all the ones too. Y'all have a good night. Thank you so much. All right, we're gonna bring in Zach, Mister Mister Zachary. What's up? Hey, Sabby, hey, how's, how's it going? Going great. Am I getting an echo from you, or is, I think it might have worked out? Um, I just had a couple things I wanted to, let me talk with you about, sorry, uh, I had to open my notepad again. Um, uh, my first thing, uh, what Delphia and Robin have said is right. Um, I, I vibe with it a lot. Um, it made me think of something, um. For a long time, we've been talking about changing the system or uprooting it and how we can do that. Um, I, I I just had this realization um, for for whatever we want to do, you know, change or, you know, uh, bring the system down. We can't do what we've been doing. Um, it, it's going to be really hard, but... Uh, we're going to have to come up with new strategies, um, new ideologies, even 
and uh, new partnerships. Uh, that's why I, um, I appreciate the conversation that you and Robin just had because like the boxes that they put us all in really have to be um, broken down or, or else um, we're just going to be in our little tribes and um, it, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, you know, a mass movement of people isn't going to be just the Democrats or just even, you know, uh, um, you know, the, the greens or whatever, it, it's, it's really going to have to be all of us together. Right. I, I agree with you. And I, I do want to say, like, I know that like different groups do have their own priorities and their own initiatives. And this is not to say that you should not work on those things. Right. So we all have like our own thing. Like everybody has yeah. their own thing they're working on. Like there's, there's women rights initiatives, there's initiatives for LGBTQ, all those kinds of things. And that is not to detract from that or say not to work on those initiatives. But at the same time, at some point, when it comes to the class issue, at some point, all of us need to come together on that because we're, we're never going to defeat it. This was something that, right. that Fred Hampton like understood. This was something that, you know, Martin Luther King understood. And I know we don't have revolutionaries like that today. But we do have organizations and some people who do get this, like Shama Sawant gets it, you know, Socialist Alternative, that organization, like they get it. I thought DSA got it, but I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. They, they seem to be okay with breaking a railroad strike. So I don't think DSA gets it. I think DSA is just another tool to help out the Democratic Party. I don't think it's a tool to actually help out the workers or working class people. Did this idea of democratic socialism, I'm going to have a gentleman come on, um, hopefully pretty soon, to debunk the American idea of democratic socialism when comparing it to those countries like Norway and Denmark. So this is someone who has lived in those countries, gone to those countries, and he's interviewed people to explain that what we actually refer to here as democratic socialism is not democratic socialism. And even though someone like Bernie Sanders references those countries, like that's not what they have there. So well, that person reached out to me recently, recently, and I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to have you on for that conversation because I think this is something that we really need to talk about. Yes. Because I think the whole thing about DSA and democratic socialism, I don't think this is really democratic socialism. Yes, and um, I just lost my thought, but... Um, I think it's important to remember, yes, um, what you and Robin were saying, not everyone's going to agree on everything, but what we do agree on, we have to not, um, we have to be strict about it. Um, and I, that might turn some people off, but I really, I really believe that in, you know, in my heart, like, uh, um, you just brought up the democratic socialism and to me, Dem socks have always been a little wishy-washy and the example you just gave kind of proves that to me. Well, no, these are what our ideals are. We can't be playing in this. I, I kind of don't know how to describe it, but like uh, they, they take what we talk about and they, they repackage it to 
you know, remove the steam and uh, that fighting spirit that um, we have. And we have to be very weary of that. Um, <clears throat> the My last point, um, I just, uh, I wanted to say, um, I wanted to push back on Robin a little bit. Um, uh, when talking about the the grand experiment of America, I, I appreciate, you know, ha having states be able to do their own thing. Um, maybe it, it's a bias of mine, but um, so like equal protection under the law is what I've always what what we've talked about before, um, like why I was for a national strategy of Medicare for all. Um, that is, that is my number one priority, it, you know, in the frame of the United States, which maybe it shouldn't be, but, um, so like take gay marriage, for instance, uh, or, I mean, so in my opinion, that one is pretty cut and, cut and dry, but abortion, or we could go down the list. The reason why I believe that what Robin was kind of talking about doesn't jive with me, um, and no hate, please, um, but bec because, like, if I was a gay person, I, I would want and demand equal protection for myself. Um, for being who I am under the law, right? For every state, every part of this country. Um, and that state-by-state -state, uh, approach, uh, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, kind of, like, makes us, like, go a little, I don't know, tribal. And, um, like, we have our we have our protection in California or... New York when it should be a fundamental right to, you know, whatever, which one of these topics we talk about protected and the, the local governments and the national government, we are protected and they cannot do anything about that. I, I wanted to uh, get your opinion on that. Um, we cannot do anything about what now? Um, taking my rights away from me, right? Like if I'm a gay person, um, yeah. a, a, a state like Alabama, they, because I'm protected under the law, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm using this, you know, one example that, um, I'm a little flustered, uh, so I, I can't think of any others, but that kind of thinking, right, for that issue and any other issue the government has said that I am protected to marry and love who I am anywhere in the country. It, it, so a state-by-state -state, um, model kind of um, messes with that, in my opinion. Can, can I add? I see what you're saying. Um, I, I'll go to you in just a second, Roger. I see what you're saying. I will say, um, you know, they did go ahead and codify the... Rem please tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe they did believe go ahead and, and codify LGBTQ uh, marriage into law. Yeah, so that happened a couple of months ago, I think. Okay. So because of that particular issue, like you'll still be protected. Like mm -hmm. even if the states try to come in and uh, the federal law will trump it. Right. So that's, that's a good thing. 
But I do hear what you're saying, like in reference to something like abortion, right? Like a woman's right to choose, like that kind of thing. And we see how the states or some of these states have tried to either overturn abortion laws or they already have done it or they've made it more strict for women to have those things. And again, I, all I have to say is that this is another reason why we need to pay close attention to local politics. This is why yeah. I keep telling people all politics is local and you really have to pay attention to what your governor is doing, what your mayor is doing and what your city councilors are doing, because I think. The overturn of Roe v. Wade was a big wake up call to people because people were like, holy crap, now it's going to go back to the states, which it did. And there were certain states that immediately, immediately it was overturned because of the laws they had in place. And so I think this is why you can't neglect local politics. You need to know what's on the books. There are some of these states that I've lived in, like North Carolina and South Carolina. They had these blue laws, which is like they don't really practice it so much per se, but it's still there. It's weird blue laws. Like you can beat your wife on the court steps on a Sunday, as long as it's with a device that's not bigger than a ruler. It's stuff like that. I'm not even exaggerating, but like even those blue laws, those need to be weeded out. Go ahead, Roger. Now, I was just going to say, um, well, Zach, first you have to believe that the federal government is going to do Medicare for all in the first place. That's that's I, interesting. Because the thing is, you have to have a plan. You, you have to come up with a plan on how you plan on getting Speaker McCarthy to pass Medicare for all and a president that's willing to sign it because Biden said that if it came to his desk, he would veto it. On top of that, you also have to take a look at the fact that Biden is going in the exact opposite direction with the ACO reach program, which is taking Medicare, traditional LBJ Medicare and handing it over to Wall Street. OK, he just started that process and didn't need Congress to do it um, earlier this month. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So but there's also something to be said about um, using all the tools in your toolbox not For neglecting sure. any of the tools in your toolbox it's not dependent upon your queen you know I mean, you get these people that think they expert chess players and then you take away their queen aka the federal government they don't know what to do you feel what i'm saying That's right so so what happens is when these things go to the uh the, the to scotus a lot of times they may what they'll do is just they you know what it's not that they repeal something they just kick it back to the states because the state by state strategy um, and I, it wasn't Robin was agreeing with me, not saying that you were saying that, Robin, but actually I was agreeing with Robin because that's a conservative strategy to go state by state because they was always this, this, the states rights people, states, whatever the case is. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm not surprised so, so that in, likes that. So, it, so in the chess game, what is the king? Go with this analogy. The, the the king it can either be the king, democracy, I, us, the people. That's what I was going to say, Roger. Us. That's what you it should I mean? be. But what is it right now? We have a democracy of dollars, right? It's it's the money running everything. Oh yeah, that, mm. yeah, Eric. That's you guys' fault, man. That's that's Buckley versus Belay. It happened in Massachusetts. I blame you guys. Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> But, but shouldn't that be the thing that 
that we're really concentrating on? Of course. But here's the thing. You I, gotta just, I be, just don't feel like a lot of, we spend a lot of time concentrating on that core problem. You know what? Because I don't know how to solve that. that because yeah, that's the problem. I don't, I don't well, know how to, how to solve The only thing I, I mean, can I think got, of... I got two big... Okay, so one yeah. is you amend the Constitution. No, no, to, I mean, um, no, I understand that. that part. But you got to get politicians that are willing... And you do ballot initiatives for public financing right. of election. Right. And that's the only way I see... One thing you could do is... Okay, so th- this is this is what I was talking about, right? They said that money is speech, right? So you can't limit big money in elections, not until we do a constitutional amendment, but y- you have to get people in office, enough people in office and enough people in the states to ratify that amendment to to do it in the first place. That that's a lot of people, right? So maybe one way to do it is if they're saying that, hey, money is speech and you can't limit it in elections because it's protected by the First Amendment. Okay. Oh, hold up. I don't mean to nerd out on you, bro. (laughs) I got a customer. He's like, yo, this guy's nerding out on me. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) But one way, you know what you do, Eric? You use the 14th Amendment against the First Amendment by saying, okay, so the First Amendment says that money is is protected speech, but when we look at it, that speech is uneven, okay, because big money has more speech than the rest of us. So you use the 14th Amendment to, 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 uh, to since it's the Equality Amendment, you use the 14th Amendment to say, okay, well, then the government has to provide a robust public financing of elections that can compete with big money. Roger, that's so that, really interesting. So, to, so that our voice so that our voice is equal to big money's voice. So you, you can't have a little weenie weenie, little pity puny uh, public financing of elections. You have to have it robust. Oh, but does that mean my tax dollars have to go up in order to do that? No, it does not. Because if you're talking about federal, Dr. Kaboob and Steve Grumbine said, Yes, sir. Taxes do not pay. When it comes to the federal government, taxes do not pay for what you want. The Congress legislates money, new money into existence. Now, yeah, MMT teaches all spending on the federal level is new money created. Right. But even so, see that. So I, I, I agree with you, Roger. And probably uh, uh, most, most the, the, of the people the, in this conversation agree with you. But, but the Supreme Court doesn't, and the Congress doesn't, and so what do we do about that? Well, that's what I was saying. I mean, that's that's why I see, like, I don't see a path through the federal just yet. You know what I mean? So the only thing I could think of is state by state, because you can, you can um, if you have a ballot initiative, for pub, a robust public financing of elections to make it equal with big money, then you then you have to issue charter public banks to create the money to that would finance the public good, whether it's public financing of elections and uh, social safety net services like a state version, like a Colorado version of single payer health care mm-hmm. um, and and all of these other things. You know what I'm saying? Like 
So I, I wouldn't be so quick to just neglect all the tools in your toolbox. You got rooks, bishops, pawns. You well, know what I'm, I mean? I'm actually not. I'm not disagreeing with any of that, but oh, no, I know. what I'm what I'm saying is, what do we need? What's the and what I'm proposing that we need is a mass movement. We need I to inspire and and energize millions of people. Well, and, and I so, think that goes back to, if I remember correctly, kind of what Noel was saying. We need to work to fucking sorry excuse me but wake people up to actually you know not that we aren't but actually organize like uh what was happening in the civil rights era so we can get this done i i and i'll and I just say say quickly uh focus on top percent versus the rest of us focus on the money and energize yeah. people that way right well, i think we're trying to reinvent the wheel and I, I don't think we need to do that. And I've seen this yeah. happen before, like when, you know, I, I still remember when I was in grad school and one of my professors was like, he told us to do lesson plans. So we had to create like lesson plans and stuff like that. And one of my professors said he was walking around a classroom and he was listening to us talk in our groups. And finally, he said, everybody just stop. <laughs> stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin and actually he didn't say that part but that's a song stop what you're doing because i'm about to ruin and he said listen i have yeah i've been listening to all of you and one thing you all have in common is you guys are trying to reinvent the wheel there's an easier path to doing this look at something that's already been done and model it off of that you don't have to say the exact same things that they did but look at he was like guys what are you doing look go online look at lesson plans that have already been implemented and then model it off of that so what we should be doing is there's two things number one you can join worker strike back which shama sawant is doing join that because this is what they're trying to do two if you don't want to do that and you want to do something different look at what has already been done in the past and model it off of that where do you guys think tour for the poor came from that wasn't something that just popped off of like, you know, Rome's head. He looked at what the Black Panthers did and said, okay, how can I recreate that? So tour for the poor is just the first step. There's other things we want to do. We want to open clinics, mm. you know, like we want to have like the free breakfast and the breakfast programs, all those things that you see at the schools that came from the Black Panthers. They did that first. So I think why this is so difficult for us is because we're sitting here talking about it and we're trying to reinvent the wheel. All we need to do is look at what has already been done. And this may mean, and this is something I'm still working on, this may mean talking to people who were a part of the civil rights, the modern civil rights movement. Those, A lot of those activists, they're still alive, guys. It wasn't that long ago. Looking at what they did and trying to figure out how can we adjust it and adapt it to the conditions of today? And I say this because they didn't have technology that we have back then. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, and they were still able to get their message across to many people. Look at what they did during the Harlem Renaissance. Look at what they did for the women's rights movement. Look at what has already been done and then just adapt, adapt it to the current day. I think that's that's the most important. And Zach, do you have anything else? I want to go nope. ahead with the other callers, if not. Yep. Uh, thanks for letting me on, Sabby. Thanks so much.
All right, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Soul. You are on the mic, just have to unmute. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Nice. What's up, Roger? Noel, awesome. We're all, um... Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Oh, it's Funky Fresh. Brooklyn. Hello. Funky Fresh. Do you guys hear my echo? Because I hear an echo. Hello? We're here. We so echo. So Yeah, hi sisters. Um I'm over here like um trying to understand there's a lot of there's a lot of subjects going on that floating around, but I'm trying to stick to the main subject. Right now, Wraith uh actually BlackRock is the one that we should focus on. Because BlackRock is taking up banks and taking up property so that's the biggest enemy right now i agree like this is what i've been trying to tell people is like people like jeff bezos and elon musk are these rich people absolutely but those are the easy targets those are the rich people that are seen right Mm -hmm. companies that are seen amazon is seen twitter is seen like it, it just spacex is seen BlackRock is not seen, and a lot of people don't know about it because they don't put themselves out there like that. Obviously, there's a reason for that. But they are brought, they're buying up homes, and this is not a new thing. They started doing this during the 08 housing crisis, which I covered that. They are buying up different properties. They own like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They own big pharma companies. They own banks. This is the biggest threat. Yeah, I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you some uh, receipts over here. Top five holdings of are AAPL, MSFT, Amazon, Google, Goog. I don't know what that is. That represent thirteen point fifty nine percent of BlackRock's portfolio. So you got to be scared of that. They're owning. They're owning everything. That's right. Do you hear that? That's right. Yeah. Did. I, I just and it's not just them. You have Vanguard, Vanguard Group, by the way. I should make that clear. Vanguard yeah. Group, Vanguard Black Group Rock, also. And State yeah. Street. Those are the top three. Yeah, so that's what we should be focusing on because we can focus on this little stuff that we're fighting against, our identity and all this stuff. Because if we don't we don't unite against this. We can always fail. I love Roger Meadows' uh, approach on everything, like state by state. But it's not long. It's no longer state by state. It's a global thing. This is a global thing. So if we can't focus on the actual people that are making the moves, we cannot win. Here's you have the to thing. start somewhere. You have to start locally first. Oh, like, I agree. Yeah. Go ahead. Noel. Yeah, we got to start somewhere. But this is a part of it. Um, When you look at it, it's like, how do you eat the elephant? So you have to have different strategies for different things. We have the long range overarching strategy of needing to disable, dismantle capital. But at the same time that we understand that that is the apex objective and the overarching theme we have very present and real pragmatic problems on a state by state day to day you know live my life basis and so 
to Roger's point, moving certain initiatives state by state is an effective strategy to deal with those pragmatic realities that we face day to day. And it may well prove to be a strategy towards creating the energy for national policy. Like Sabi said before, you know, the gay marriage thing started in Massachusetts. Then it made its way to, I think it was either California or Hawaii or whatever, but eventually it caught fire and it became something that they needed to address on a national basis. There's an, so the state by state strategy creates the momentum for the federal legislation or federal redress of a certain issue. But then we also have to understand that the state by state method have some frailties in that region by region, certain things are just not gonna make it. And so now we are living in a reality where the Supreme Court has um, reversed Roe v. Wade and some states instantly went to a full or almost full ban. And then you have some states responding, making, um, giving access to abortions and making it legal and this and that. So you end up with this hodgepodge thing. So yeah, we just- have to have strategies that address the local and prescient needs of the moment. But we have to understand that that big overarching thing is a global strategy. And when you think of BlackRock and all of these other multinational um, global organizations that have so much power, our only access to shifting that paradigm is through governance, which means the strategy that um, Shama puts forward about worker strike back that is the initiative to begin to organize the masses because our only attempts and our only feasible approach to deal with the corporate and capitalist beast is that we have to have the masses because our only approach to that is through governance. We would have to seize the reins of governance through, you know, a mass mobilization that leads to us you know, getting our elected officials in who will do the bidding of the whatever party or organization we put together. And then you can begin to wrest back power from the elite. But like I say, make no mistake that as they see that they are, we already have a government that enables and is really um, at the behest of the corporate beast. We are really already in an inverted totalitarianism where instead of a physical dictator like a Hitler, we have a corporate community and that is the invisible hand that is manipulating the entire governance structure, which is why all of the major legislation that passes from infrastructure to the um, spending authorities, They all benefit the elite and corporate community one way or the other. The things that we ask for, like a $15 minimum wage or Medicare for all those things get shoved to the back deliberately because Mm -hmm. this government is serving capital and it is indeed an inverted totalitarianism. People just don't see it. So we have to organize massively across the base 
to build that momentum to take back control of the governance structure because that's our only way of bringing capital is, and the corporate community into that is my question oh. like how do oh. you take back the power from the governance because uh money controls the government so my okay so you talked about banks so banks is my i didn't talk about my, banks i talked about no, blackrock uh, blackrock right well that's that's a bank isn't it no blackrock is is uh is like Private a pac man well they, they own everything. they own banks yeah they own banks for sure but that's not the only thing oh okay i was under the impression that they were a bank no I they're not they're banks. not just a bank Okay. That's what I was under the impression under like when I when I looked it up, I was like, oh, shit, they're they're not just buying banks. They're buying politicians. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're buying countries. They're buying land. They buy. So uh, they're not almost, just banks. Almost everything. I, I think it's important to remember how do these some of these policies get passed in the U.S. Now, CJ talks about this before, but it's it's this is really true. If you look at the way things pass in the United States not on the national level. It usually starts on the West Coast first, and then the Northeast, and it makes its way to the middle of the country. This happens with a lot of initiatives. I remember when people could smoke in restaurants. Some of you yep. may remember that, right? In New Baltimore. York, right, Roger? We used to smoke yeah. in the train stations. Right, right. Yeah. That changed. It started, I think it was New York City. New York was the first yeah, one. New York started, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then it was then the West Coast and then California. Same thing with legalizing marijuana. These things usually start on the coast first, the West Coast and the Northeast, and then it makes its way through the rest of the country. That's because those tend to be the more progressive areas, right? But even in reference to the region aspect, we've even seen a state like Virginia legalize marijuana. That was not done easily. That was done because Lee Carter, who was a House representative in the State House of Virginia, he's a socialist. He's not a Democratic socialist. He's a full socialist. And I've interviewed him before. He wrote the bill to actually get that to even be sorry. a part of the. Roger, can you mute for a second? Yeah, sorry. He wrote the bill for that to even be a part of the conversation. Now, a part of that bill was to also release the prisoners that had been convicted for marijuana convictions. When the bill came through to pass in the state house, they removed that piece from the bill and went ahead and passed the rest of the bill. So the people who still had possession charges, like they're still there in prison, but they went ahead and legalized the marijuana part. What I'm saying is, is that marijuana still has not been legalized or decriminalized on the national level, but it has been done so through the states. $15 minimum wage was struck down when they voted for it in the national level, but it has been passed through different states. So the problem that we constantly see is that when we put forth these, these policies on the national level. If it's not blocked by the House, it's blocked by the Senate. And if it's passed by both, then you have to go through the President of the United States who can veto it. So even if something like Medicare for All 
were to pass in the House and then miraculously pass in the Senate, you still have to have a president who is going to sign it off. And Joe Biden has already said if the bill came across his desk, he would veto it. it. Exactly. And this is why I keep telling people all three, all three pieces have to agree. If they don't agree, it doesn't move forward. This is also why I keep trying to get people to focus more on the state level. Then why a $15 minimum wage, it's easier for that to pass on the state level instead of the local, excuse me, on the state level instead of the national level. On the state level, you don't have to run up against all these different politicians that are backed by Big Pharma, that are backed by Wall Street, State politics is a little bit different. Like some of them take corporate money, but at the same time, it's it's not to the same level. So it's, it's not different. just some, Sabi. I'm sorry to say, it's not just some. It's it's the modus operandi. That's how they that that's how they conduct themselves. We can't we can't be blind to that shit anymore. They all take corporate money. That that is just <laughs> that is just a given. You can't. Well, be blind. I mean. I, mean, I understand, you, you I understand what same. Roger Meadows and, and what uh, Eric is going to try to say right now. Follow them. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it, it's the same problem at at every level. And as you saw it in, in California, they, they very effectively, you know, killed state level Medi- Medicare for all when they were like right on the doorstep. And why? Because, you know, a pile of, of insurance and, and other big money came in. Yep. And so I, I, I'm not like disagreeing with either one or the other strategy or whatnot, but I think at any level we look at it, we, we need to really have a, a primary focus on the money. And so at the state level, I mean, the good news is exactly. at the state level, that can be a ballot initiative to do public financing and clean elections. Right. Because money because money's going to buy everything. I mean, it yeah. could buy the the most basic people like Ilhan Omar or or the AOCs of the world. They will buy those people because they're weak. Like Bernie so, Sanders, he's weak. So yeah, uh, go so, ahead, Roger. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. You know what? These entities like BlackRock and these Wall Street banks fear. They fear public banks because that no. has. I, I have to. I have to disagree with that. They don't fear you because they won't public. be making those moves. They don't. Be, they won't be making those moves right now as they are. You know what they fear? Unity. No, but I, I think okay. the point. The point is, Saul, is that we have to break away from the central banking system. As long as we are connected to the central banking system, that includes the J.P. Morgans, the Wells Fargo's, like all of them. As long as we are connected to the central banking system, nothing is going to change. And I, I really, really want to, that. I still really, really want to bring on someone from the Bank of North Dakota okay. to come onto my show because North Dakota does not have these issues because they have public banks in North Dakota. If you well, go to North Dakota, right, but if you go to North Dakota, they've been able to pass things and not have to worry about who's going to pay for it because they have a public bank. If you go to North Dakota, and I've heard this from many people, a couple people that I knew that went there just to work and then moved back to North Carolina, they have more jobs than people 
So oh, you yeah. can go there and do, you can go there, get a job and make a lot of money, not pay a lot in rent. And then eventually, if you want to come back to your home state, you can. But yeah. we need to ask ourselves, let me finish. We need to ask ourselves, why is that? Why is it that you can do that in a state like North Dakota, but you can't do it? And I'll tell you, a lot of people say the Southeast is is more like affordable. The Southeast, the cost of living is low. That is changing. You guys, I lived in North Carolina. I lived in South Carolina. I've lived in Georgia. That is changing because so many people from the Northeast have decided to move to North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, and Florida. And so those states are now becoming more expensive to live in. But then you still look at a state like a North Dakota, and they don't have that issue. And it all goes back to the public bank. So this is the big piece. This is the piece that Bernie Sanders don't talk about this. The squad don't talk about this. When we talk about like Mint the Coin and MMT, they don't talk about it. Ro Khanna knows about it and he don't talk about it. And I know this because when I interviewed Fadil Kaboob, he said that Ro Khanna knew about it. He said the politicians, some of them in the Democratic Party know about it, but they never talk about it. They won't. So so, so what, I, what, I was, what I was saying is that they fear a public bank. They fear many of public banks because what happens is it decentralizes their centralized financial power because it's our taxes that hold up Wall Street, okay? So when our taxes leave the state, or at least, you know, like, well, in New York, it doesn't leave the state, but when our taxes leave the state and go to uh, downtown Manhattan to get processed, okay, Wall Street processes those taxes and sends it back to the states, Okay, so they charge the states a high interest rate processing fee. So now the governors, the mayors, county executives got to find a way to um, pay for that high processing fee. So they either have to raise taxes, cut services or start privatizing. Okay, so with a public bank that those taxes stay in the state and get deposited into the public bank. Okay. So now that's less money going to Wall Street to prop it up, okay? So that's the reason why I say BlackRock and all these guys fear public banks because they've been trying to end the Bank of North Dakota since its inception in June of 1919. And they weren't able to do it. Their last hope was the TPP that Obama was pushing. Yeah, yeah. So so now here's the thing. If all of these different uh, banks, oops, banks, if all of these different states started uh, doing um, chartering public banks, okay, that is going to be more uh, taxes staying within the state, in the we municipalities, without having to leave the state to go to Wall Street. Oh, that's right. That's Hold right. On. That's why there's a big push hey, for the public banks. Oh, okay. No, you, we heard you. Oh, yeah, okay. that's why there's that's why there's a big push uh, for the public banks is because we have to, and this is just it's not just a uh, Roger Meadows and and savvy thing. No, everybody needs to be thinking about this. We have to break I, away from the central banks. I move my my I move my bank into also. a union bank. Like, I, okay, so I think I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you said that. 
Yeah, I did. Yeah. Can you hear me now? My, but you know what? But do you know what my wife did? Okay. She no, stayed no, no, on so, the regular level. Yeah, okay, Roger. So, so let me. So let me. Roger, you're breaking up a little bit. Maybe chime. Up? Maybe chime back in a little bit later. Um. Yeah, I agree with I agree with um with Roger Meadows on a lot of points, but I'm just saying like I already moved my money to the Union Bank. I know where that I know where that's going. It's going to the community. So I already did that. So if but if I can do that for the people that I know that can push that across and maybe we can make an impact. No, you're good. So okay, all right. So check this out. I'm glad that you said the credit union. Here's the mm -hmm. thing. The credit union still has to go toward um, the federal government, FDIC. It still has to right. abide by federal um, regulations. So you're not as protected as you might think, because when those banks start speculating and engaging in speculatory derivative practices and so on and so forth, you will find that because the credit unions and the community banks have FDIC and insured by the federal government. Oh, it says it right in the window. Just like a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, just like you have another 2008, those, those banks, the, the credit unions can go under as well. So, this, so what happens is when you have a, um, a public bank, that's, that can be that can replace the FDIC as the insurer of your credit union and community banks. So you got to come to Florida, bro. So so this is the reason why after the 2008 subprime mortgage crash, um, none of the community right. banks and credit unions failed in North Dakota. So as yeah. a result, they have more credit unions and, and community banks per capita in North Dakota than any other state in the country. Because but what's the, the populace in North Dakota? But it's not about it. I have to look it up. Like I said, it's not about the population per se, because like I said, like I was told that they have more, more jobs than people. So like, obviously there's not as many people in North Dakota as there is in Massachusetts, but the, but that, that's not really the point. The point is that, we have to find a way to break away from the central banking system. As long as we are connected to the central banking system, this is going to be an issue. The two, the 2008 housing crisis that Roger just brought up is a perfect example because look how many of those banks like suffered and failed and look how many of the credit unions actually failed as well during that time. But North Dakota did not have that issue because they have the public bank. Um, I am working with Betsy, who's in the chat somewhere, um, to bring on uh, Senator Eldridge in Massachusetts, who it's his bill. He's the one that has the bill for public banks. And I think he also has the bill for single-payer healthcare too. That's right, the Medicare for all too. So I'm trying to I'm working with Betsy to get that to happen, see if I can bring him on so he can break down both of those things. And I'm also trying to bring on a gentleman from Philadelphia uh, Public Bank so we can break all this down for you guys so we can explain like what what it is and how you can get it accomplished. But I think it's really upon like honestly, like until Roger explained this to me, I was just like, why aren't more people talking about this? Like right. this needs to be known. So I'm I'm tired of people saying like how we're gonna pay for it. 
Like the answer right. is a public bank. And like nobody said this. Bernie Sanders on the debate stage, on the debate stage, you guys, when they asked him, how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to do it? Like he would just say, well, yeah, well, it pays for itself because da 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 and stuff like that. But I felt like the big key thing that was missing is that that would have been an opportunity for Bernie Sanders to say, by the way, in your states, you should be advocating for a public bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are actually. So, 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 also, um, check check this out. Um, you have to also take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a customer who was from North Dakota, by the way, and he didn't know he had a public bank, and he was just like, "Oh, that probably explains why we turned." He said, "Um, we had a we had a flood some some months ago or something like that." And the federal government offered uh, help for, for our infrastructure. And we was just like, nah, we good. <laughs> we, we got it. And we built it back up. He didn't know how he, they were able to do that. But when I explained it to him, he was like, oh, okay. I, thought, I just thought we just had that North Dakota can-do spirit. I was like, well, yeah, it's, it, yeah, you can have that North Dakota can-do spirit if you got a public bank backing you. But yeah, yeah he was just like, yeah, okay, yeah. But my point is, instead of breaking up the banks... What it does is it deflates the banks. Thank you. That's the right word right there, deflates. Because it's less blood, taxes, blood leaving the states to pump them up. You see what I'm saying? And also also it comes back to the community. Yes, it stays in your community. It stays in your community. And and on top of that. Here's the thing. sorry, Sorry, go ahead. It is a wonderful strategy and we see how it works. But I promise you, mark my word, if this public bank thing becomes a thing, you better believe you're going to have difficulty getting it through these state houses. You're going to have difficulty getting the bills passed to do it because they're not. Do you think they don't understand what has happened in the Dakota? They oh, are. Yeah, no, definitely. And so what I'm Absolutely. saying is they're, go- they're going to organize and pull the levers and you're going to have all kinds of problems because it's the right fight to be in. But big capital is not going to just sit around and be circumvented and deflated. That's just that's just that. And you will well, find trying to move these things through these state houses, you're going to have all kinds of problems once they realize what it is that is being attempted. But that's why, we gotta, you, no. that's why we got to act now. Like, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, we, yeah. we can't still be having this conversation like five years from now. Like, we have to act now and we got to move fast. Because, like, right now, they're not really paying as much attention to the states and yeah, the local busy. level. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. focused. They're focused more so on the national level and what's happening there. That's why I'm telling people we have to act now. Maybe one day more people will catch on to it. But I feel like by the time other people start telling people, maybe people with bigger platforms start telling people, yeah, we should look on the local level. It's going to be too late. That's why I'm trying to tell people to get moving now, because look at what happened with Roe v. Wade. You see what I'm saying? Like that should have been a big wake up call to a lot of people. And people are like pleading to Joe Biden and, and pleading to the Supreme Court. That's not and the answer. Stay, and people fell asleep anyway. Yeah. Uh, to answer um, Noel's point. Uh, yeah, they already they already know know about that. That's why, like in New York State, 
they put up some, we're not a ballot initiative state. So it's just like, I see the barriers that the, um, that the New York state uh, Senate majority leader, Andrea Stewart Cousins is putting up with feasibility. By the way, if you hear the word feasibility study, run because that yeah. is a stone run okay. you don't run a just run feasibility study you want a business plan and and so, so let me let me just give you an example of new york state what happened here right so the um senator james sanders jr who is the author of the public banking bills he has a permission slip i call it a permission slip bill he has a permission slip bill that's the one that got momentum um and more co-sponsors behind it what that does is it gives the state gives a permission slip to local governments in New York State to start and charter their own public bank. Right now, here's the thing. There's not as much momentum behind his other bill, which is a state public bank. And that's the one that Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart Cousins. I know you don't know who this person is, but I'm going to keep saying I their know. name. Um, but <laughs> one, yeah, she, her district is Westchester County. Um she wants to go the state public bank route because there's not momentum behind it. Then she puts up a, oh, we have to have a fee. She forced. Roger, oh. Roger, remind the people who lives in Westchester County. Yes, yes, Kyle Kalinske. So, there um, you go. <laughs> so, so she wants to put up a, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. So she's trying to, she forced the, the, um, the Senator James Sanders Jr., who's the author of the bill, to be like, well, you got to give me a feasibility study also, right? So, which I'm like, okay, so we're not going to do a state one. So there's momentum behind the permission slip bill. Okay. So I said, I called up um, Paul Alexander, which is the legislative director for Senator St. James Sanders Jr. And I said, listen, on the advisory board, which were the people that would be responsible for running the state public bank, you have it, it's an 11, you have it as an 11 panel member advisory board. And you only have two people, you would only have two people on there that represent the community, com marginalized communities, you know, social justice, environmental sustainability, consumer advocacy. But then you, it says six plus will have a background in uh, uh, community banking, credit union, and in finance. So I said, you realize that is a problem, right? Because those guys can just run roughshod over community interests. And he was like, yeah, unfortunately, that's the only way um, the Senate majority leader would take it if it had that big loophole in it. So I right. said, all right, so I guess we're not doing a state one then. It's, it, then it's best to just push the uh, the one that would allow, that would take it out of the hands of, of Albany, the state capital, and allow the municipalities to do it. So yes, no, Noel. So that fight is already there. I was just saying that's why it has to be the the state's that have the ability to place initiatives on the ballot to ratify right. their own amendments doing it. It can't even be the states that that's only right. allow. That's right. It has to be the ones that allow you. Right. To I want to jump in. Okay. Yeah. Right. I want to jump okay. in here for a second because I want to go ahead and move on to the next caller because some people have been waiting for a while. Um, yeah, be a, like a speaker or something. Yeah. Speaker. I'll um, stay quiet. I just listen great. to everybody. Cool. I want to uh, move on to Brady um, because the thing is, is that what Roger is saying is spot on. So Roger's in New York. I'm in Massachusetts. We're a BI state. So if we get a public bank passed in Massachusetts, that will actually put pressure on New York. This is exactly what we did with marijuana legalization. We got it passed here. That put pressure on the surrounding states. Go ahead, Brady. You just got to unmute. 
What's up, Sabby? Thanks again for doing all the hard work. Two hours and 20 minutes into it already. And I feel like we have totally hammered out so much of what is wrong with everything. I would love to hear what is good. And I have a couple cool um, vocabulary words to start off, and that is false dichotomy, which is exactly what the Republican-Democrat paradigm is, is a false dichotomy. They pretend like they're fighting each other in public, but behind closed doors, it's like wrestlers. You know, they're all going to the same barbecues together. They're all getting paid by the same people. Um, And uh, people who no longer subscribe to the false dichotomy can be considered no pilled. (laughs) You know, we have our red pilled people who are super, basically red pilled people are Donald worshipers. Black pilled people are narcissists or not, but nihilists is the word I'm looking for. And um, we need to focus on some good things to kind of give people hope and like a direction to like move towards. And I would just like to point out to you that I think your perceived weakness is actually your greatest strength. Um, I know you kind of didn't like the way that that, you know, interview went. Um, but I would offer, I mean, I mentioned that it was, uh, it got me to subscribe to RBN on YouTube at least. And so <laughs> that's one thing it did. Um, you haven't done that yet, Brady. I did. I did it. I did it. I did it. It was, you know, I, I just hadn't, you know, I'm not much of a YouTuber, <laughs> um, these days. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that that was actually your, your greatest strength is you are a political litmus test for p- potential candidates. And, uh, she totally failed the vibe check. And here's the thing is that she was on her way out the door before she ever even started the interview. She cut down the number of minutes before the interview, you know, and it's not all Nick's fault. Here's the thing. Uh, authentic leadership does not run from criticism. You know what I mean? If she wants to pretend like she's a leader, then she needs to approach criticism like a leader would. Um, and that's not running away from it. So good job to you guys on that. And as a matter of fact, I would love if you would be an official interrogator for the political barbecues of the future. If we can send political candidates from you, because ah, one more thing I need to remind you of is James Corbett and his solution, his solutions watch. Have you checked out James Corbett yet? Because he has these brilliant segment called solutions watch. He recently interviewed Nick Brana and the libertarian leadership about the rage against the war machine movement he asked them some questions about uh what they plan to achieve and they neither one could come up with a good answer well that's unfortunate um because i've said before like when we have these rallies we need to have a, a a a step two like the the response shouldn't just be the rally and there's no step. See, this is the thing that happened with the George Floyd protests. Is like there were the protests, but there was no step two. Okay, what do we do next? So there needs to be a what do we do next? Um, so that's that's unfortunate to hear. But yes, I have checked that out since you told me to. Um, and I think that I tried to find a way to get a hold of James Corp. Wasn't he in the in D.C. recently? Yes, he was here recently. And I tried to find a way. People were like Sabby try to get a hold of him while he's here. And I tried to find a way, but all I found was the the UK address. Everybody reach out in mass, see what we can do to get a hold of them. And um, I have a couple demands that I came up with on the fly. That, uh, as a matter of fact, there's someone here on Colin who's going to be going to the Rage Against the War Machine movement. And he's compiling a list of questions to ask people while he's at the rally. 
Uh, he's going to. Uh, one of his main questions is, um, "Do you believe in war with China? Would you be okay with war with China?" So he's really kind of kind of vibe check everyone there, you know. Well, that's so, a, good idea, uh, a good idea because I would hope anyone going to this rally wouldn't believe in war. Period. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So he's compiling a list of good questions to ask people. So if you can think of any good questions to send to Peter, he has a show here every Sunday. Um, and we're also looking for good candidates, uh, both for the people party and the libertarian side, um, for every national and local seat. And then also we're kind of making a demand and this goes out to anyone, whether you're going to the rally or not. Um, we need new music and comedy, political music and political comedy. We need more of both of those things, I think. And, um, if anyone can think of any more demands to, because I, th I think it's more constructive actually at this point to make demands of our allies than it is to make demands of our leadership because mm. those are two different categories. And I, I frankly think that our random Americans, <laughs> random humans everywhere are going to be more helpful than the current elected leadership at least. And uh, I would offer that we can bypass the ballot access problem by flexing the right-in vote and um yes. i'd yes. love just more solutions if anyone has more solutions anything to keep us moving forward let's uh, stay that stay oriented that direction or in any direction and uh oh the political barbecue golden clipboard wants me to explain the political barbecue and that's where we interrogate a political candidate or a politician in front of an infrared lie detecting camera. <laughs> they're like 99% accurate. If you combine them with machine learning, they're even more accurate. And they're so cheap, you can attach them to a cell phone camera and do it in the streets. And I think they also need to be attached to the C-SPAN cameras as well. Okay, awesome. One thing I want to ask really quick, Brady, please explain to people, which people party are you referring to? Nick Brana's uh, People Party. My, I changed the name of mine to the Proxy Party just to distinguish between the two. So mine is like the Purple People Proxy Party Project. <laughs> like, you know, I'm I'm okay. under aimed. the name. We can't. We can't so much get, right now. But I think the Proxy people, Party is a good one. People can't get people the People Party can't run candidates. Exactly. So I think that's, that's important to mention. They can't run candidates. They don't have ballot access. Uh, this has been an organization for over five years. They don't they don't have it. They they just don't. And so. Yeah, but I did just mention that we can bypass the ballot access problem by flexing the right in vote. I think would at least be an interesting direction to try. And I think it's important that we flex that right before we lose it. Rights are kind of like muscles. You got to flex them or they go weak. They, we lose them, you know. So that's something um, that Lucy did mention when she was on my show. Lucy said we need to start writing in candidates. And I think people need to do that more so. Um, and that's why I tell you guys, like, I know those of us at RBN have different opinions about voting, but I always tell you guys, no, I think you should still go vote, vote third party or independent or write someone in. And I think yeah. if we had more people actually writing people in, we would get further. In fact, there was a candidate one time and it was a joke. But it was a candidate called D's Nuts. I'm not even joking. I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was a candidate called D's Nuts for president. They got hundreds of votes. I remember that. And remember that, Roger? Yeah. Yeah. Uh oh. Have for the Rage Against the War Machine rally is to demand political, like open public democratic debate 
in front of infrared cameras before we ever spend any resources on any kind of war. There needs to be an open, democratic, diplomatic debate. And that debate has to fail before we ever um, even consider wasting any resources on war. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Brady. I'm going to bring in a Tory. I just want to remind everyone again that I will be at the Rage Against the War Machine rally. There's going to be a bunch of people there. I think one of the bank sisters is going to be there. At least one of them is going to be there. Um, Jimmy's going to be there. Max Blumenthal, uh, Kim Iverson, Tara Reid. There's going to be a lot of people. Garland Nixon. So if you're in the D.C. area, if you can make it, like definitely come check it out. Uh, what's up, Notori? Go ahead and unmute. Sabby, I don't know Brady, but I want to give him a shout out. Hallelujah. But anyway, I want to talk about um, Mariana Anna, that interview. It's just mess. Every time, every time somebody go on you all show, it's just a unmask moment because it's like, even with her, I knew she was trash before the interview, but the people that call themselves progressive and socialist still trying to do this circle thing be it like putting people in the democratic party and i'm sick of it and then I they get an attitude saying. i hear what you i hear what you're saying Natori. i think you know i i said back when we went on bad faith and it was me nick and cj and marianne was brought up and i said that marianne i would not vote for her because she is not good on foreign policy and we're not good on everything, but that's one of my big ones. She's not good on foreign policy and she's running through the two-party system. So even though we tried to explain to her why the two-state solution does not work, and I know other people have too, I don't want to mention their names on here, but I know other people have too, have had this conversation with her. She's not budging from it. So it's like it's, I- it's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And it's like these people like it's like don't they get it's, I guess they don't they don't get tired of the same stuff because I was with Bernie Sanders twice I don't fuck with him no more I will be um the squad they puzzle go in there and shake stuff up they don't sold out for a book and it's like I don't know is they getting paid or have somebody talked to them like I want to mention some names, but I don't even want to bring their names up in this because there's so many people that I had to like, I don't block people, but I had to block them today because I got sick of them saying the same shit. And it's like any, like I keep saying anybody that's talking about the Democrats, I don't care about, well, I like to hear your view, but it's like, it's not my cup of tea. I'm not for it. We done did it twice with Bernie, and he sold us out, and then we did it with the squad, and it's like I'm completely done with the Democratic Party. So it's like when they, like when I hear, I just got to say it, when I hear Crystal say that if you're trying to fight for something different, that you need to grow up, you're not serious, are you kidding me? Yeah, well, I think Crystal got ratioed for that comment. And I actually tagged Crystal in a tweet um, I don't know if she read it or not or whatever, but I tagged her in a tweet and I said, I'm sorry, Crystal Ball, but the DNC is not going to let a progressive candidate win and they're going to find a way to change the rules or rig the primary, whatever, the the same thing they've done before. They changed the rules to let Michael Bloomberg be a part of the debate stage 
And I, I don't forget that. And I'm pretty sure she hasn't forgotten that either. But I was just like, no, we need to talk about the obvious. We need to talk about the Ellie, the, not the obvious, but we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is the fact that the DNC is going to cheat its way so that a progressive candidate does not win. And I have to say this too. If Marianne Williamson has the same foreign policy ideas as Joe Biden, then what is really that much of the difference? So for me, it's just, I, I can't, look, I don't have it. If, if I was running against Joe Biden, I already see Marianne doing some of the same things that Bernie Sanders did. Bernie Sanders was like, look, I have a lot of respect for Joe. Joe's my good friend. That's what Bernie was like. Marianne on the status quo interview was like, well, Joe Biden has done some good. Da, da, da. Nah, if you're running against that dude, if that's your challenger, you knock him out the park. I'm not trying to dance with you in the ring. I feel like like Bernie and Marianne, they trying to dance with Joe in the ring. You don't dance with Joe in the ring. You knock Joe the fuck out. And so if you're showing me that you're already trying to dance with him, then I already know you're not really going to be that much different. And it's not just um, Crystal, it's other ones too. It's not shocking, but it's very disgusting and disappointing because it's like y'all say y'all, but the thing is, I realize that they millionaires and they fight is not my fight. I don't know about y'all, but not my fight because they don't feel the everyday struggles of um, everyday Americans like the working poor and the poor. And that's why I don't really... I don't watch their shows at all unless um, I think it's Q, what is it, QP, clip their stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, QB. Yes, I just can't, I don't watch none of that stuff. And it's just, like I saw on Twitter today, like I saw, it's some other people that's in the, um, like for Medicare for All and stuff, and then they get mad at you. They get mad at people if you um don't if you don't support like Marianne like they are cap capping for this hoe, I like I don't like y'all can do it but don't try to force her down my throat. I'm not fucking with her. She's a Democrat. Let me tell you something, Notori. Those same people came after my family members. Okay, those same people, that same group, that same organization, they have gone after multiple people. Like they've gone after people in their own organization. I don't have time for it. I'm too old for that. Like that shit. And that's why even tonight when I started the show, that's why I said, let me address something really quick. Because they created a video about me, about my family. These people posted my wedding pictures, all kind of shit. Like they have no life. They have no fucking life. As if this wasn't something I already had posted on Instagram, as if I haven't posted those pictures on Twitter before. It was ridiculous how they like, oh, look, Sabrina takes money from the MIC. And I want to say this for everyone to hear. If you have a YouTube channel, which a lot of them do, who created that video, you support the military industrial complex. If you have a 401k, you support the military industrial complex. If you uh, have products that are owned, that are made by Honeywell, you support the military industrial complex. And that includes some of the little space heaters because Honeywell makes those space heaters that we had at work. You support them. If you have a smartphone, you support child labor. If you work at a gas station, you're also supporting the military industrial complex and you are, you're hurting the climate. So how far do we go on this? And this is why I said before, 
instead of trying to come after me and other people, like my family members, maybe you should be coming after the fact that our economy in this country depends so much on the military industrial complex that it's gotten to the point where regardless of if you work at the company or not, any type of product that you use could be connected to the MIC. These people are deeply unserious. You notice they came after me right after that Marianne Williamson interview. And of course they came after me because I was the easier target. They didn't come after Rome. They didn't come after CJ. They didn't come after Nick. I'm not the one who yelled at Marianne Williamson, but they came after me because I was the easier target because I made it very clear that I think the state by state solution and the national solution should both work together. I think you should do both. You can't just focus on the national. Rokana admitted this himself in a recent interview. He said, you got to focus on all levels. Duh. This is what I've been telling people. So they came after me. The, the, the people emailing me saying, oh, you didn't tell people that you had a white husband? No, motherfucker, I did. You just weren't paying attention. That has never been a secret. I've made that clear multiple times. But for these people, these five white people to come after me and for two of them to tell me not to talk about race, for two of them to tell me not to talk about being black, I call bullshit on that. So I said, fuck your organization. Fuck your so-called activism, because if you were that focused on Medicare for all, that is what you would be putting your energy into and not putting your energy into stalking my family members on the fucking internet. I don't have time for it. And I, that's what I said. I love all people, but when I, like, I, they're not used to black people in this space. That's why I always give you big props and RBN big props because it was nobody like y'all and there's still nobody that's doing it like y'all that's not sugarcoating shit. And they're not used to y'all. They're used to black people sitting in a fucking corner or like that Tim guy or that Ben Dixon guy. They're used to people like that and Nina Turner whack ass. But y'all ain't nothing like that. And I'm glad and I'm, I give y'all much respect because it couldn't be me because I've been to run down on a bitch twice. But that's all I had to say. Love you. Keep doing you. And if you need me to walk somebody like a dog, I'll be happy to. Oh, well, thank you so much for that, Notori. It just, I just can't. I'm too old for this shit. I'm too old. Like, I'm not in high school. I'm not an undergrad. I'm not in grad school anymore. I am too old for this shit. The same people coming after me saying Sappy has a house. It reminds me of that time when people came after Jimmy Dore for having a house. I never hid the fact that I had a house. I've talked about it on this on my show multiple times. The problem is they weren't fucking paying attention. They thought they had me on something. They ain't had me on shit. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Doesn't that remind? Oh, sorry. Oh. Go ahead. Doesn't that remind you of when um like uh oh you're against the climate so uh, you're against climate change but you're driving a car to get to work or it, it, it's like kind of like one of those arguments you know what i mean not to mention the fact that um i you know i was just like oh sabrina has a nice home it, like like as if it's a mansion or something they were acting like they were acting like i had like a freaking they were acting like a freaking like mansion. I'm like, 
I have a Cape Cod, which I've talked about before my, on my show, and I told you how much these houses cost. I told you guys on stream that our parents helped us with the down payment. Even when it came to like my wedding, my parents helped. My dad paid for half of the venue, and my mother-in-law paid for other things as well. We couldn't afford this shit on our own. I live in Massachusetts. You know how expensive it is to live here? Um, Check this out. I got something for you. Um, So... The bill numbers for Massachusetts Medicare for All is SD2182, in case you want to look it up. They just got the numbers because it's a new term. So SD182, that's the Senate version. I don't know what the House version, the state Massachusetts House version is. And for the public bank, it's um, SD1589, that's the Senate, and the twin bill in the state House is HD2677. Um, I don't know who the uh, who's sponsoring the twin bill in the in your state house, but I know you have two sponsors in your state house for the um, what for the thing for the uh, public bank. Their names is State Rep Mike Connolly and State Rep Antonio F D Cabral. Just okay, thank you so much for that, Roger. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ashura, you're on the mic. You have to unmute. I hope Ashura didn't fall asleep. I try to make Ashura speak to her a while back, but I hope Ashura didn't fall asleep. Ashura, are you there? You're there. Yeah, I'm here. How's it going? <laughs> it's going okay, Ashura. So I'm, so I'm going to ask again, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I thought after your uh, venting session on, what was it, Thursday? I thought this was over. Uh, you came on BN, RBN on Friday in the chat where CJ and uh, Nick were doing their breakdown. All of a sudden, I got like three, six people are attacking you in mm-hmm. the chat. That was that group. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? They're like, oh, uh, Sabi's gone to her hideaway. On Colin, I'm like Colin is not a hideaway. It's it's free. You can go on there and listen. There's no there's no subbing. There's no really a subbing point where you have to listen to Savvy. You have to sub to her. And I'm like, what kind of bullshit is this? I'm like, didn't you say that whole Savvy uh, set up Nick with Marianne? I'm like, the fuck. It's those it's those people and those people. If you want to know who these people are, those people are it's Savage Joy, Lucky Burrito. Ricky Rance, Propaganda Live, and Anita Gill. It's those people. Are you serious? I'm on Lucky Burrito's fucking channel. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are. I was too. And I was also on her show. And like I said, they're totally fine with me until I said, I think we should do both. We should do the state-by-state option and we should do the national option. They posted a tweet on Twitter that said, we are going to purge anyone who supports the state-by-state solution. They created that video, and they really? created a page. They created, the, let me tell you something. The channel. The video I sent you on Twitter? No, I, I, listen, I, I yeah, okay. Listen, the channel yeah. was created right after the Marianne Williamson interview. Oh. And also was the video. Now, they came after me. Apparently, Savage Joy is upset because Marianne Williamson was yelled at. 
Was I the one who yelled at Marianne Williamson? No, they went after me because I was the easier target. Let's go after the black woman. I've seen these same people attack a black man who was a member of their own fucking group because he was deciding, let me go work for, do some stuff with whole Washington and do stuff with Medicare for all. They attacked him publicly on Twitter and called him a bad father. His wife had to jump into the conversation and said, whatever disagreements that you have with him, you don't attack his fatherhood. My husband is a good father. They doubled down. They doubled down. They didn't apologize for shit. And two years ago, when they did the March for Medicare for All, there was a couple of black activists that were in their organization group. And we had to call them out for excluding black commentators. They had a list of commentators that they said, these are the shows we're going to need to go on. There were no black commentators mentioned on, they excluded all of them. And so some of us raised our voices and said, how dare you not even mention the black commentators, which was including me. And they had already been on my show. And then they said, oh, it wasn't done on purpose. And I said, it doesn't matter if it was done on purpose. It shows you have a blind spot. It shows that you were willing to overlook the black people, but you remembered the white people and they kept doubling down, didn't apologize. And so I left the group. And so then there was another person who came and said, if we lose Sabby as the MC for the Boston rally, I'm going to be very pissed. And so that person talked to me and brought me back in. And I ended up organizing with uh, Kyle Davis, who actually ran for office here. I organized with Kyle Davis for the Boston Medicare for All March and ended up doing the, being the MC and I streamed it and everything. Then last year, when they did those marches, their turnout was really low because it was only in DC. And then also they said, well, we didn't have the resources to do it in 50 cities again. They didn't have it because people left the organization because they are very vindictive. Like I said, I don't like being bossed around. I don't like being bossed around at all. And there are some people that have really bossed people around in that organization, been very nasty to people. And I've worked with them on other issues as well and they really like to come in and try to tell people what the fuck to do they don't want to compromise they don't want to listen or anything like that i don't have that i don't have time for it if you're supposed to be organization we all supposed to be on the same level why people bossing other people around so that was another problem then whole washington was getting a lot of steam as were the red berets in washington state because they were trying to get this accomplished in washington state the single payer healthcare. You guys know this. I brought them on before multiple times. Next thing I know, last year they start attacking them, calling them all kind of names. This is public on Twitter. This is not a secret. And I'm like, why the hell are you attacking other healthcare activists? So then they said, I said, look, let's have a discussion on my show. So if you go back last year, you'll see we had this discussion on my show. It was Savage Joy. And it was, um, oh, shoot, I forget his name. Andre, Andre Stackhouse. Andre Stackhouse from whole Washington. So they had a debate about state versus national. And at the end of that debate, I said, is the argument that you don't want people to focus on the state level at all? Or can people do both? And Savage Joy responded, this is still on YouTube. You guys can see this for yourself. 
she responded, people can do both, but the priority should be Medicare for all. Now we see, now we see it's not about people doing both because they're attacking their, they're attacking people who want to do state by state. They said this publicly on Twitter. We're going to purge anybody who wants to do state by state strategy. So that, that, so she lied. The thing is, is this, they were pissed because there was another activist group that was trying to get something accomplished in their state, in Washington state. And they felt like it took people away from their action. Nah, that's not what took people away from their action. What took people away from their action is that you claim to be fighting for Medicare for all, and we see you all year long name calling, uh, attacking other healthcare activist organizations all year long. We see you doing that all year long. And the moment anyone pushes back on you, you want to cry and deactivate your account and then come back later. I saw this shit happen multiple times. That's the problem. That's why last year the turnout in DC was so fucking low because you can't say that you are dead serious about fighting for Medicare for all. And that's your passion. And you were taking more of your energy to attack other healthcare activists. I don't buy it. I don't fucking believe it. And I ain't got time for it. So why are they, why were they doing that? Do they want to be the top dog or they don't want to work? Yes. Yes. They want to be the top dog, Ashura. They want to be the only ones. And if it passes, they want to be the ones that get credit for it. They want to be the only ones. There's a lot of ego in this space. All of these people that I mentioned to you, they all have YouTube channels. Yeah, I know. I don't know. So it's like, it was hilarious to me for them to say, Oh, Zabby supports the military industrial complex. She gets money from the MIC. Bitch, if you on YouTube, you get money from the MIC. What, if you what, what, use what, Google, you get what, money what, from the MIC. What, why do they say you take money from the MIC? Is it because your husband works there or what? They went after my family, Ashura. They went after my fucking in-laws. Okay. Do you guys have any control over the jobs that your in-laws have? Do you guys have any control? Let me know. Let me know in the chat if you have control over what your in-laws do for work. I've told you guys multiple times on my show, my dad was a part of the military. Are they going to come after everybody? You know how many people in this space have been a part of military families? They going to come after them too? It's like when Jimmy says he has cops in his his family. Most of his family members are cops. The thing is, is this, the focus should not be on what my family does. The focus should be on what I do. I don't know about you guys, but everyone in my family does not have the same politics. Okay. I have people in my family, very few, very few people in my family that are Republican. I have people in my family that are Democrats. I have people in my family that are independents and I have some that are progressives. We're not a fucking monolith. And I'm pretty sure if I were to take a deep dive into their motherfucking families, you'd see the same thing. I'm putting, um, I didn't watch it yet, but I'm putting in the chat the YouTube uh, video from a year ago that um, talks about the only place in America that has single-payer health care, which is Libby, Montana. I didn't watch it yet, but I look forward to watching it. So here it is. Bow. Test a personal attack. I detest 
a personal attack. Yeah, um, it's it's like I'm surprised that Savage Joy. Savage Joy is like the one the most you would probably think would be defending you because no. she's the one that cried, cried her eyes out more when she was in the town hall with the Jimmy Dore thing. She was talking, said, "No, I, I got the thick of my eye. I gotta take shots in my eye. I can't, I can't see right. It cost me a lot of money." And then I'm like, "What?" And then you're being a mean girl behind the scenes. Like, what the fuck um, is this? It's not just behind the scenes. It's happened publicly, too. It's happened publicly on Twitter. She cussed me out right before there was that uh, March for Medicare for All fundraiser last year, that stream that she did. Jimmy came on. Marianne Williamson came on. She cussed me out right before that. I still have, the, by the way, I still have all these fucking receipts, all of it. If I really wanted to be a vindictive bitch, there's so many things that I have that I could reveal about her that would shut her whole damn organization down if I wanted to go that way. But I'm not like them. That's that's the difference. But you come after me all you want. I don't care. I'm in this space. I'm going to get attacked. The problem is you came after my family. They are not a part of YouTube. They are not in this political space. And you wouldn't like it if I came after your family, if I came after your husband. It's not just me. They've done it to other people, too. They've done it to other people in this space where they came after their family and their kids. These people have fucking problems. Can, can we say the fact that they're coming after you and they're basically going after black people, can we say that they're fucking racist, even covert at this point? I could say that. I mean, two of them told me not to talk about race. Lucky Burrito and her husband, Steve Cutler, told me not to talk about race, not to talk about black people. They told me right. this multiple times on Twitter. Again, I have all these receipts. See, this is the thing. These weren't things that were said to me privately. These were things that were said to me on Twitter. And then they wonder why I fucking block them. And it's not just me. Multiple people have blocked them. And then they get mad when people don't bring them on their shows. Because you are so fucking vindictive. But when they say not to bring races, are, are they afraid you're going to bring up the word reparations? But I've talked, yes, I've talked about reparations multiple times on my show. I've talked about, I was talking about policing multiple times on my show. I talked about being black, da, da, da. They don't like it. They say it's divisive. Why do I have five white people trying to tell me that I can't talk about race? And what type of black person doesn't get to talk about race? I'm confused. I mean, it's it's ridiculous because I know I know these people and they, and they they make themselves out to be progressives, leftists, and you're acting like a fucking liberal. I mean, I guess really Trump Darn broke people's brains. Here's the thing. People who don't want to talk about race because they find it to be divisive are the people who don't want to deal with the truth. Yeah, that's the, that's the key word there. Why, why are you saying it's divisive? Like, it's a dead oath. It's like when people bring up the thing, they say universal uh, programs. Sure. They say, well, what? Uh, sure. Basically, Can I chime in for a second? Yeah, sure. I know you want to be the peacekeeper and everything, but Sabi knows. I went on Lucky Burrito's show, and uh, they had um, his name was Applejack or something, and he was talking oh, about Puerto Applejack. Ricans. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he was talking about Puerto Ricans, and me and him got in a great conversation. And then uh, when I asked uh, Lucky, like, why do you wear dreads? Are you like Jamaican, or are you? Um, what are you trying to do with that hairstyle? 
And I was like, you know, because that's representative of Jamaicans to me, you know, or at least of that culture. And then right away they jumped on me. I was like, they were like, oh shit, don't talk about race. You know, everybody had braids back in the day. I was like, what no, I tell didn't. you, what I tell you, I told you guys, they didn't do this shit to just me. What I tell you, don't <laughs> talk it to about, me. Don't talk about race. Don't pretend that you're black. Let's not bring this up ever again. Once you start talking about that, they have a problem with it. And I'll be damned. If I'm going to sit up there and let five white people tell me not to talk about race, that's why I blocked those motherfuckers. And that's why I ain't got shit to say to them now. Also, ahead, uh, Kirby, I want to make sure you get uh, time to speak. You have to unmute. If you're still there, Kirby. Kirby might have fallen asleep. Go ahead. Uh. Um. So, yeah, Noel. So, so like you were saying, um, about like they don't want to talk about reparations because they're saying oh it's divisive i think it has more to do with the fact that they don't gain anything from it i think it has more to do with that oh i'm not gaining from that so we shouldn't talk right. about it unless i'm unless i'm going to gain from it then we could talk about it don't they I usually mean, say that's a republican talking point it's the republicans so, that bitch about that but see so, that so, is inherently white supremacist because the only things you want to talk about are the things to benefit you and you. that means that any of the other problems that this nation faces that don't impact you you're fine with it and so my thing is that is a part of the problem why we can't build some of these really diverse coalitions because if i can't come to the table in my whole self and bring my full set of contentions to the table. I'm not asking you to agree on everything, but I am concerned when it is a justice issue and you can't find the space to see and accept that it's a justice issue. There have been, you know, I've talked to white people who've had some very um, resistant perspectives, but it was because they did not know and when I had the opportunity to explain things to them and give them a reframing and a different context, they're able to see it. But for you to, to be so pejorative and draw the line and think you have the right to tell me what the topics I can and can't discuss, baby, this ain't no plantation. And if oh it is, God. you ain't the overseer. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the fundamental thing meet me as a equal and i have a real lineage and history in this country and you may not want to process it but it doesn't make it unreal it doesn't mean that it didn't happen and until we can cross some of those divides there will be no coalescing because my people have been at the effing bottom since the day the first one set foot here and I'd be damned if I'm going to be in coalitions and stuff that just been they, with this a uh, uh, rising tide lifts all boat shit, but it preserves the division. The wealth gap stay in place until we address the reasons that there is a gap. And I have problems with that when you only want with um, Bernie Sanders and all these other people. You are so afraid of dealing with the issue that I have been nailed to the damn floor 
till you so, and that's why I say all of American politics concedes to this white supremacist thing and Democrats and Republicans alike. And we need to be able in these contexts to speak to these things so that we can overcome them and build the diverse coalitions. But you don't build it by telling me my problems are unreal and un don't exist and they're divisive. It's not the truth that's divisive, it's the lie. That's Thank what's you. divisive. Yes, yes. That's right, Noel, that's right. I wanna make sure Kirby going once, going twice, I'm gonna move on to Seeley. Going three times, Kirby might have fallen asleep or either something happened with the app there. Gonna go oh, on Seeley's to Seeley. Cool. Hi. What's up? How are you? I'm so sorry that happened to you. That sucks. I'll be okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to check on my religion if, if I can talk to a, a black woman with a house that might be kind of, I don't know, against it or something. Like. <laughs> They, they have problems, these people have problems. Um, and the thing is that uh, there was all these things that you were saying, all these divisive, um, like they, they turn, right? Like everybody is pushing for a goal, but they are turning all these everywhere, right? Like they, they are turning all these tools that, they're, that they are at our disposable, like they, Changes with like they tainted all with ideology. So if you do this, you are out, or it's kind of a club, a, like a school. It's it it it, it leaves you with so few to work with. And what you were saying about I, I'm always been fascinated by the by the federal uh, the federalist uh, like uh, condition of your country, right? Is not. It doesn't happen always. Like we are a federal country, but it's not really. Uh, you know, it's it's everything goes through the capital, and yeah. and there is a very big, rich uh, province, and the rest. Well, now there is a couple of them that are more equal, but it's very, that some are really struggling, and it's it's very unequal. So, I think that what you were saying, right? Like about. Uh, running elections, I've heard that if you run an election, you don't have to, like you can have a third party if you run elections locally. And that's, I think, also the way where you get candidates eventually that get to know, like people getting to know, and maybe in years, right? But they could be your next president or someone that gets into the public eye. Because the sooner you start with that, the, the sooner you might find someone new. Because what I see is that you've been struggling to find someone that is representative after Bernie Sanders turned out to be not what you wanted. And yeah, yeah. That's it's been tough. You know, when I spoke to Claire Daly uh, recently, she said that um, in Ireland, they actually have state funded elections so like they don't have to they don't have to get like donations from corporations like she said there's a little bit of that but it's not the bulk of it so we don't yeah, have that argentina. here that's a big part of the problem is it the same way in argentina or yes yes you have uh, uh, the the money that goes to the parties uh, has to do with how many representatives or how many votes they got last the, the last time so it's not equal but because I mean it's it makes sense, but yeah, the the state has to provide 
time in in the spaces like TV, in radio. It has to provide certain money. It has to, to provide, provide the like yeah. the, the different paperwork and stuff that is then used to vote in. Yes, it is. It is like that, and that's that's also because you said you were reinventing the wheel, and yeah, sometimes uh, I, I like there is so many not just in your past but abroad, like sometimes I I see people struggling to to find okay let's do this and discussing if it's Mao better than Marx or and these are are things that are great ideas, but are but to take them to today. Like there is a lot of, of leftists that have been very successful movements, creators or organizers that have wrote, wrote books in, in the last five years. And we, there is a lot of different examples in the world. We have a lot of movements, right? But right now in, in the economic part, we, we are going to interview and, and watching what Portugal did because they were so successful in it to learn from And it's so different, right? It's the European Union. So as you said, is to take that, right? Take their advice, say, see what they're doing and to try to adapt it into our own reality. But sometimes, you, and you can skip, right? That maybe it, like during when they were creating these organizations, they were making mistakes and stuff that you can skip and, and make things faster, which I, I think is very important. And yeah, that I that is not just your history but what's going on abroad right because it's a, 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 like these things that you were talking like like the numbers right we used to to think that the numbers were all like we had this usually you know these organizations that brought the people together but now like things have changed and i think maybe not many people are aware like the 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 movements are being brought up from the bottom up right it's not like usually of course it, it is involvement but it's not this uh, like you know a lot of middle class people that are going to a march it's just like that the all the excluded from society are those are the ones that have the numbers so the the is it's going the other way right is is you going to them helping them And and then you got the numbers, and those are big numbers, usually. Very big numbers. I'm boring you. 100%, Celie. And I think, I think you brought up a really good point. I mean, like, the way elections are funded here in the United States is a big part of the problem. I mean, like, I wish we had, like, state-funded elections, like what Claire Daly was talking about. I wish we had that here. Like, then people wouldn't have to rely on, like, corporate interests. They wouldn't have to rely on like getting along with uh, pharmaceutical companies or anything like that. They wouldn't have, the donors wouldn't even be an issue. Oh, but they do anyway. Yeah. But they do anyway, because they don't need the money, but they like, for instance, we, uh, like we had a, a, a former economic minister that made a disaster and he went back to work to JP Morgan. Okay. He might not have a donation, right. He might have the state. Yeah. I, I mean, that doesn't, Like uh, maybe in Ireland, their, their laws are, or they are more aware, but yeah, mm -hmm. the thing is that anyway, corruption gets through. The same, I, I was wondering, I, I had to search these public banks on how, because we have public banks and yeah, I, I don't, I still don't get to see why. Oh, you should ask me, I would have sent you a ton of stuff. 
No, but yeah, but what what makes the difference? Because we have in all in every province has a public bank, and there's a national public bank, and there's yeah, they where, don't where seem to you? be in Argentina. They don't seem okay. to be that useful. But maybe it's yeah, maybe it's something that we are not knowing how to use. So please send me send me the stuff. And yeah, and one more thing that I was very like I liked a lot was somebody mentioned the Fourteenth Amendment. That was me. Yeah, that that's a great amendment, right? Like to go into court because all these these ridiculous things that someone managed to pull through about uh, I don't know corporations be, having the rights of people or stuff like that, right? Or or were you mentioning about yeah, money? That's, right. That's what I was going to mention when you guys was just talking about. Um, public financing of elections. So I was just saying that, well, since the court said that we can't limit big money, okay, so all right, so use the 14th Amendment against the First Amendment, where the 14th Amendment is the Equality Amendment. So you bring, so it's the government's responsibility to bring regular people's speech up to match big money speech by having a robust public financing of elections. So yeah, I thought I understood that. Go yeah. Ahead. So so you get those people, those politicians who relied on public financing of elections. And and I mean, I'm not saying it always works. I mean, AOC and the squad didn't depend on big money. But, you know, but anyway, um, you get you, you you bring those type of politicians in. They will be the ones that would actually push an amendment to uh, to, you know, to repeal the Supreme Court, these Supreme Court decisions that said that money is speech. May I, may I talk to Salih for a second? Hey, yeah. Hola, Salih, ¿cómo estás? Hola. ¿Está en Argentina o está en los Estados Unidos? ¿Vos qué? Eh, si estás en los Estados Unidos. No, estoy en Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires, Argentina, bien, bien lindo. Sí, ¿dónde estás en Puerto Rico? Yo sé que Roger Meadows es una persona que tiene toda la educación de la política que está en América, pero yo quiero escuchar lo que tú tienes que decir. Con respecto a qué. Yeah, she's... Roger Meadows. Yeah. Uh, I'm here. I want to make sure I go ahead and bring in the next caller, but thank you so much, Sile. No, thank you for having me. Uh, Roger is, is okay. I, I... Roger is amazing. <laughs> I talk to you. I don't know how to send you stuff. Bye-bye. Thank you for having me. Hey, es el awesome. Antes que te vaya, él quiere él quiere mandarte algo. ¿Cómo te puede mandar algo? Oh, uh, I, uh, you can DM me here. Like I I will follow you. Uh, how do I do that? ¿Cómo cómo cómo puede hacer eso? ¿Cómo tú le puedes uh, mandar algo? You know, in uh, like uh, in every people have uh, there's an envelope. A little envelope, like an icon, and you press that, and you send a direct message to that person. Yeah, just click I on her. I would really appreciate if you do that. There you click go, on Roger. Her, um, click on her, her little profile circle, and then you'll be able to message her. Okay. Oh. All right. Good. So, oh. Brady, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Te quiero mucho, Sele. Yo también. I'm going to follow you, so I we can talk. Bye. All right. Bye, Cile. All right, Brady, you already spoke, so I'm going to bring in uh, Jonathan, and then I'll go back to you, uh, Brady. 
All right. So Jonathan, you are the next caller. What's up? So I, I missed that part. Who was, who was doxing you earlier that you were mentioning? It's the Medicare for all March organization. It's, it's those people. Yeah. Cause the, the ones that uh, Maggie was mentioning to me, they're not like, there's no way the leadership of M for M for a would have authorized that. These are all Savage Joy's friends. She's gone rogue. I may be able to make a phone call to somebody who can pull the leash back on her. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's not even here's the thing, like I'm in the YouTube space. I expect to get attacked. It's not the first time. But when you go after my family who's not in this space, that's where I draw the line. Like I don't go after people's family members. They went after my in-laws, they went after my husband. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like I, I'm gonna try and make a phone call to somebody who might be able to do something about it, who actually is in the leadership of M for M for A, and they may be able to, to you know, put some pressure there and get them to knock it off. Maybe take down a video they put up. Uh, I'll see what I can do. I'm gonna get off here and make that call. Oh well, thank you so much, Jonathan. I just it this is just ridiculous. Like I'm just like. This is nothing I've never explained to people before, like ever before. And all of a sudden they're trying to make it a big deal. Like Sabby had a wedding. Sabby has a house. Like I've talked about these things multiple times. Yeah, it's like, obviously it's a nasty kind of below the belt, personal, just petty, mean girls type of thing to do. And yeah, there's, there's no excuse for it. So yeah, let me like basically they're going to go after anyone who supports the state by state strategy. And what I've said to them multiple times when they came on my show is like, why can't we do both? Why can't we have people fighting for the state level and people fighting for the national level? And the last conversation I had, they said that, well, they can do both, but the national level should be priority. But now I've seen after that conversation that that's not actually what they actually meant. So this yeah, will be- unfortunately, yeah, you, yeah, you had Savage Joy on to to defend that, and unfortunately, she's not the best person to explain it. I probably could have done better, although I don't think Andre would have come on if he knew I was on there. So, uh, like, I wrote a whole article on it, but it's like I said, it's not something that you like. Firstly, like you made a good faith attempt to try and get to the bottom of it. It's not your fault. Joy didn't explain it very well. And it's, um, you know, in any case, like you're entitled to be like, I'm not convinced that's, you know, the like, I'm sorry, like, there's no excuse for somebody going after your family and your personal stuff. And like, that's, that's harassing behavior. It's nasty. It's mean, it's cruel, and there's no excuse for it. So like, at at very least, I, I owe it to you to try to do something about it. Let me see if I can make a phone call to somebody who can do something. Okay. So, so John, we want to make it very clear on the record. We don't want any harm to come to anybody. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, no. Well, uh, I get we uh, the person, the person I'm, clear. yeah, Sabrina, the person I'm calling is anybody. The person I'm calling is like 70 something years old. She's not gonna, she's not gonna be beating anybody up, but she might <laughs> no. be able to, I she might be able to make a case. Movie. Hey, take it down, please. Yeah. It's not that kind of watched, phone call. Don't worry. I, I, I watched, I'm from New York. I watched too many mob movies, bro. <laughs> I can make it. Oh, I started hearing you. I can make a phone call. 
Well, Virginia <laughs> is pro peace, and I think she can do something about it. So I'm gonna. And luckily, she's on she's on West Coast time, so it's not too late for her. Okay. So let me let me see if I can get it done. Oh. All right. Well, thank but, you so much, Jonathan. Uh, by the way, no Simon, problem. That's the least I could do. Did you see the new clip on RBN about Joe Biden and um, Bernie Sanders in that one clip where Bernie just popped up like it was some SNL skit? I saw it on Twitter. I haven't seen it on RBN yet. But, yeah, I saw it on Twitter, and I thought that was pretty cringe. <laughs> and, and, and Joe Biden was just lying his ass off. And Bernie's like, yep, yep, yep. But it's, it's all the Republicans' fault. That yep. was Bernie's attempt at his own Me Too for the sycophants and shields. Because he steps in, Me Too. I'm like, boy, go somewhere <laughs> and sit down. But it was so funny because he sounded like he was teasing or something. It was just like a um, skit. And I'm like, oh, this is the Me Too movement for sycophants and shields. <laughs> yeah, because CJ likened it to, uh, you remember Superman 1? Like the guy that was a henchman to Lex Luthor? That's yes. who, yeah, That's who he likened Bernie Sanders to. And basically Joe Biden, well, Joe Biden's not Lex Luthor. <laughs> Lex Luthor's smart, but Joe Biden, his brain is melting. I know. I know. It's pretty bad. Literally, it's pretty crazy. Literally looking like the two guys from the balcony on the Muppet show. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is exactly right. Oh, yeah. Okay, come on, oh, like, just God. can't wait for Joe Biden to croak. Oh, my God. Do the Hustle just came back in my head again. I got that song back in my head again. Do the Hustle. Do the Hustle. What's up, Brady? Did you get those songs I sent in your call-in inbox? I sent you some cool music in your call-in inbox. It's like some revolutionary music. I'll have to check it out when I when I'm finished the room because um when I try to pivot to other things, something bad happens. No pressure, but just some good anti-capitalist music I sent you. And uh, you had a good show today with Chris Hedges talking, Richard Wolf talking about the duopoly or the false dichotomy, as I like to call it, and how to get rid of that. And it seems like the best thing, the best way to get rid of it or fight it, you know, or make it mad, whatever, is to create a legitimate left party, which we have. I think the biggest hurdle to that seems to be ballot access. And so I think some of the cool ways that we can get past that and also just a lot of electoral shenanigans, let's just say, you know, and I think some cool ways to get past that is for people to record themselves like going into the voting uh, building, <laughs> you know, and saying kind of logging their vote. But I voted today. Here's the pictures of me going to the voting booth. This is who I voted for and kind of voluntarily volunteering who they voted for as a way of kind of making our own census, making sure all the votes are getting counted. Just another idea. You know, I know it's kind of, yeah. it seems like a lot to do, but if you really want to make sure your vote counts, it's just one more. Th yeah, I hear you. I, I totally understand. And I think that um, when I, I talk to people in other countries about their election, like system, like they have paper ballots, it seems that way. Uh, most mostly for the the global south like because like fiorella and pasta they came on a couple months ago when the election happened with lula 
And they were talking about like how the election system is just different in the global South, like paper ballots, they count the ballots in front of the people. So like all of us will be able to stand around and see our ballots being counted, right? It's things like that, like um, just very different. And there's more transparency, whereas we don't have that as much like in our country. It just is what it is. I will say one thing, I think the computer, like the machines for the states that have the machines and we had them in North Carolina, those are not good. Those are not good. Um, There's a problem with those. And like, then I moved to Massachusetts and it's like all paper ballots. And I was like, and I realized that the paper ballots were actually better. But then even in Massachusetts, we still put the paper ballots through a machine. So there's still faulty there that can happen, right? So I think you need to have paper ballots and they need to be hand counted. And I I go back to the George W. Bush Al Gore election, which I'll never forget, right? That was a really important one. Like that one, I think really sticks out in people's minds because we still push back against the fact that they were not willing to count all the ballots in Florida. Remember they said, stop counting. Remember that you guys, you guys remember? I don't know how young everybody was. That was the Supreme court. There There you go, Roger. They said, stop counting. So what does that that tell you, you guys? They said, stop counting. And so for me, again, there was confusion at the machines. There were people who said they went to the machines and they thought they were voting for one person, but they weren't because the line was not uh, leveled with the name. And so they thought they were doing one thing and they were doing another thing. This is, But this is all on purpose is what I want to bring up yes. to people. This is all on purpose. Like we should have paper 100%. ballots. They should all be hand counted. And that would avoid a lot of this, but they don't do that on purpose because if they did that, then all the ballots would have to be counted, which they're not. And they admit this and they at least admitted on local news here. I don't know about everybody else's state, but in Massachusetts, they admitted on local news. There were such and such ballots that weren't counted. Right. So there's that issue. And then also it would remove the question of, okay, did everybody do what they were supposed to do on the machine. If you have paper ballots that are hand counted and the people can actually watch you count the ballots, that will remove all of that. So there you go. And you know what's funny? Um, Convo Couch actually exposed that. Like um, all the machines that were like doing all the ballots and everything, they went there. They were on site and they exposed it. Exactly. And Sile just said in the chat, um Sele. Sele, sorry. Sabby Sabs, the thing that's different also is that voting is mandatory. So that's different too. And the other thing that um Pasta and Fiorella mentioned was that they actually get an entire day off for election day. We don't get that in the U.S. Like, we don't have that. Like, there's early voting in some states and on others. We don't have Election Day as a federal holiday. 
And so because of that, people who work at businesses that don't give their employees that entire that time off to actually go and vote, they don't get that opportunity. And this is why I told you guys before, a lot of people who are poor and working class don't vote, not because they don't really want to, but because they don't have the time off. And then you have to take time off, just go stand in line for, for hours to vote. That's right on. Right. And possibly have that, the door shut in front of your face. That is so true, because if you're going to gonna vote, that should be a national open center. Like you should be free from any other obligation. You're doing your dual diligence as a voter to cast your vote. So why are companies always being the like the roadblock to that? Mm hmm. All right, Brady, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Michael. Cool. If that's okay. Thanks again, Sabs. Have a good night. Keep it up. Good job, Thank Brady. Michael, what's up? Hey, how you doing, Sabby? Hey, how are you? I'm well. I'm well. Um, sorry you're having some uh, not some experiences with the internet and all that. <laughs> but um, I. Uh, I was uh, I was thinking about the conversation we had the first time I called in, and you had asked me um, uh, to recommend some economists and people that you might want to talk to, and I gave it some further yes. thought. And uh, the, I, the first one at the top of my list would have been Radhika Desai. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Ben Norton has interviewed her a lot, and she's also been on Daddy Haifong's show. Uh, Okay. okay, I haven't. Because one of the things that people have said to me, and mm -hmm. by the way, guys, like I may not always respond, but I do see like the critiques. And one of the things um, that people said is like, Sabby, can you please recommend someone? Can you talk about a different economist besides Richard Wolf? And I totally get it, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I totally do. Well, he's so the I best. Wanna start doing that. I know, I know, but but some people have pointed out like Sabby. There are other economists besides Richard Wolf. By the I way, by the too. way, Norton left Gray Zone because he's not part of the truth anymore. Hmm. Yeah, that's facts. You have had yeah. move on, so that was another economist. I know, but he can't come. He can't make appearances anymore because he took a new job. I got the email from him. Like he can't make appearances anymore. Oh, really? That's sad. Yeah, he, he was I know. that's really sad. Well, she does a lot of appearances and she's part of the International Manifesto Group, which is out of the University of Winnipeg, which is about as radical uh, political economy as you get, I think, in North America, probably, or at least it's definitely in Canada. And they, um, they have a pretty big group. They do uh, like web, uh, web uh, seminars every couple of weeks and talk about pretty much everything. They get a lot of different guests on there. So they, I think they would be a good people to reach out to. Um, she also uh, collaborates a lot with um, Michael, the good one that everyone, Michael Hudson. And uh, yeah, she seems to be on that level. So I think if you want to talk to someone like Michael Hudson and maybe he was tough to book, um, I, I would probably talk to her um, or, or maybe consider talking to some of the other people in the group as well, but uh, she'd be my first choice. Um, I also thought okay. about Steve Keen. I don't know if you're familiar with him. 
I'm not, but this, this is good to know because I did look up contact info for Michael Hudson and I had a difficult mm. time like trying to find it. Yeah, I think he's really busy. I mean, he's, he's almost always talking to some different group and he does a lot of his own work as well. So he might be hard to get a hold of. Um, so yeah, I, I, would de- I think she's worth talking to anyway. She publishes a lot of really good stuff on geopolitical economy and all that stuff. And so I, I think you'd really like talking to her. Um, Steve Keen is another one. Um, he is, he talks a lot about UBI, um, sort of the, the, the exploitive nature of capitalism and how it always goes that way. And he has really interesting stuff to say about like how people, um, behave on UBI, UBI and, and basically talks about how it, um, people tend to actually just find things to do. Like it, it's sort of, um, a falsehood that people are unproductive on that kind of system. So, um, and he talks about other stuff as well, but that's sort of uh, the main ones that stick out to me. Um, there's also pa- uh, Pablo Escobar. Um, he's also been on Danny Haifung's channel. And he, um, I just think he's very RBN because he's very much, uh, I think he's banned on Twitter and on most social platforms. But he's really just a very smart economist. And I think he'd really like to talk to him. I'd probably, um, if you can't get a hold of him, maybe you talk to Danny Haifung because he must have a pretty good relationship with him. Um, and then just one other one that I was, uh, watching today, uh, Christian Parenti. I don't think he's actually an economist. I think he's more like a political economist, but, uh, I think he's the son of Michael Parenti. It sounds like he is. Um, and he's so. really, yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a lot of really interesting stuff to say. It's, it's very anti-capitalist, very, uh, I mean, he was one of one of the people that spoke against the, uh, the mandates and has been outspoken about sort of, uh, well, you know, the, the culture that supported that within the educational system. So, uh, he might be really good. And then I was wondering, uh, how good's your German? Like, can hmm. you speak German fluently? I do not. I haven't spoken German since I was a kid. Okay. Cause I don't know if you saw Glenn Greenwald's interview with her yesterday, but there's this German politician called Sarah Wegenknecht? I did. I did. Okay. Yeah, Glenn okay. said she needs a translator. Yeah, she really does. But she's um, she's really inspiring. I just think, you know, if we were looking for people that sort of speak to, you know, unifying left and right, whatever that means, and sort of speaking to the, the broader issues while still keeping it within a, you know, socialist prog- uh, progressive perspective, um, I think she's just a really good example. Like she's, she's very, very charismatic. She's very, very sharp. And uh, she has like something like 2 million people on her YouTube videos, so, uh, on her YouTube channel. So like she has an audience. Anyway, I just thought she'd be an interesting person to consider. So all the people that you just named, cause um, I suck at this. Uh, Do you want Michael. me to send you an email? Yeah. Um, no, I can, I can. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's no problem at all. Yeah. You have you have my email address? Um is it on your Patreon? Yeah, it is, right? It's somewhere. Shoot. Let me put it I'm gonna put it in the chat and that way Okay, I just yeah. put it in the chat. Why did it do it like that? Oh shoot. Why does this chat like make some of the words like red and some black? Anyway. Um, it's, it's linked, it's in the, um, description of all my YouTube videos. It's Sabrina Salvati at SavvySavs.com. Brilliant. 
I will send. If that. you can email it to me, that'll help. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. No, I'm happy. I have a you. question. You have a question for Michael. I have a question for you, Massachusettsans. Um, that thing <laughs> that you did on the Warburn teacher thing, right? So you said that um, you, the Massachusetts Constitution says that teachers don't have the right to strike. So um, there's a, a, a ballot initiative amendment you can do right there. That's what I was thinking, Roger, because when I read that, I was like, wait a minute, we need to change that. Like, we need to, um, Eric, feel free to uh, chime in here. But that that section that it said of the Constitution, I was like, we need to try to change that. Mm-hmm. I thought it said it was a, a, reactionary, a reactionary law that was passed. But a, a law yeah. or, in or any a, case, like an amendment? We'd, we'd have to investigate. Oh, and by the way, we are Bay Staters. What, what, what do you call? What, what do Bay you call Staters. Bay Staters? Yep. Yeah. Massachusetts, the Bay State. It was originally the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And so yeah. we are Bay Staters. It's, it's so, a real okay, thing. So, so you, you guys don't state. call yourself... Okay, so you guys don't call yourself Massachusettsans. You call yourself Bay Staters. Well, you can see why. Try calling somebody a Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> I think I pronounced a, it pretty fluently. It's hard. I'll be a Bay Stater any day. Okay, Bay Stater. And it gets confused sometimes with like people from like Oakland and San Fran because that's like the Bay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So it gets people get confused sometimes. So like, oh, you're from the Bay? I'm like, well, no, I'm from the Bay State. And they were like, oh, so you're from the Bay? You're from Oakland? I'm like, no, 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 no. California's not the Bay State. Yeah. Yeah, just like we have a, a Brentwood out here in, in Long Island. And that time when, um, back in the day when, you know, like uh, they went and a- arrested OJ, they said, oh, police uh, arrested OJ at his Brentwood home. I was like, OJ lives out here? So I, I didn't know there was a <laughs> Brentwood. <laughs> I want to ask Roger, where are you from, dude? Are you from BK or from BX or from Queens? Freeport. The, 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 the lane. You're, you're the not. Lane. You're not. You're not in the hood, bro. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Um, you're, in good you're in the good parts. Yes. Compared. Compared. Everything is perspective. Everything's perspective. Well, oh know, God, no! Oh God, education. no! Roger. Roger Meadows is not living in the hood. Let's all protest against hood. Roger Meadows. You guys see what <laughs> no. I'm saying? But you know what? I love his, house, I love Roger. the way he speaks. You're living in a house, Roger. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a house, Roger? Oh boy. Yeah. We rent houses out here. We don't we don't own them. Yeah. You can't live in New York without renting, bro. Right. But mm-hmm. but he's gonna say though, you're gonna say something. Oh uh by the way, Sabby, um I'm on Twitter right now and uh, there's a feed that just popped up and there's like a re election fundraiser. And it's starring Ocasio Cortez, Jamal Bowman, as hosted. Yeah, we're going to that. Oh, okay, okay. I think Lucy announced that, right? Yeah. Okay. So who, do you know who the woman is, Roger? She's a she. She's a city council person that um, ran for um, 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 what a DA and lost. 
and she ran for city council and won. Okay, um, I, I thought like she won over though. They're like just a re-election. I think the protest nah, is supposed nah. to be this Saturday, according to Lucy. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I will tell you guys, everyone, please, if you're going to be in the area in the Northeast, please, please bundle up this weekend because it's supposed to be negative temps in Massachusetts. So please, I don't know what it's going to be in New York, but bundle up. We're not that far from you. It takes me four hours, but it's going to be freaking cold. So, 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 so I sent you, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I thought you I thought you knew because I did I sent you the thing about the hip hop's 50th anniversary. Yeah, and I got it. That long. Yeah. Yeah. Because I sent it because those are the people from Long Island, the the people. Strong Island. England. We call it Strong, Strong Island. Island. Strong Island. Exactly. Pope. Yeah, exactly. Chuck, Chuck D. I used the to. Back in a... I know, the only person I know from Long Island is Flavor Flav. Well, that's the who, entire. Public. Who was that's, he part the... of? Public enemy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so a little we used to see so Sabrina, when I was um back in their heyday, cause cause um Roosevelt, which is where they're from. It's is called right Roosevelt. No, nah, we we call it Roosevelt. Roosevelt. We're from Queens. Oh, okay. Well we I'm from I'm from out here. We we, we call it Roosevelt. So so check it out. That's spot. right next to, that's right next door to Freeport, right? Sabrina. And um so I lived in Roosevelt until I was six, and then we moved to uh South Freeport, right? So it was kind of like um if you were in the neighborhood in the late eighties, you used to see flavor flav everywhere. What he came, he, he came up to my job when I used to work at Wendy's and Merrick. Uh, Flavor Flav was just out there. <laughs> like you would, it, it it would not be hard to. Yeah, to, to, boy. Yeah. Now the you hard met one. Flavor Flav. You met him. Yeah, Flavor Flav I mean, was all over the place. By the way, right? It wasn't like I never talked to him or anything, but I mean, he was he was just there. You just seen him. You know, like like how you see Burger King in your neighborhood, you see Burger King everywhere. You know, oh, this flavor. It was it was it was Chuck. It was Chuck that was the hard one to catch. So I I yeah. caught Chuck maybe a maybe about three times in, in my life. I saw him one time at the Kinko's Copies in, in Garden City. One time he came up to my job because I used to work as a as a hostess at this barbecue place called uh, uh, Bobby Rabino's. And um, I seen him somewhere else, but he he went to school with my cousins because my cousins still lived in Roosevelt. Because when my 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 mother and her sister moved up from North Carolina, they lived right next. After they got married, they lived right no, right next door next to each other until we moved out of Roosevelt and went to Freeport. But my aunt still stayed there, so I got like her three sons. Two of them, one of them, the youngest one. Oh, it might, I forgot which one went to was in school with with Chuck D and them or whatever. But a little interesting story. Um, when I was when we were still in Roosevelt, I was I don't know maybe five years old or something like that. I remember um, my my older sister had had a had a ten speed stolen, right? And I remember like we went over 
to the person's house who stole it. And I just remember the, the mother going, ah, la, 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 you know, whatever the case is. I didn't really think. You talking about Terminator it. X? No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. I, didn't, I didn't say the name yet. Hold, hold up. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, so shit. then. I got you. So, well, DJ so Lord. Then, so, then late, so then later on, right, you know, like back when, you know, 10 years go by. So I'm working at Wendy's. I'm working at Wendy's, and I see uh, Flavor Flav come in there with with S, with the S one with the S one Ws or whatever, right? And I was oh, so yeah. excited. Oh, Flavor Flav came up to my job, right? And then I, I I got off of work. I was riding my bike home. I saw Flavor Flav and um, Professor Griff. There was like they had a camera crew or something like that. Hell yeah, they so always my, had a camera crew. So, so so then my um my sister said, yeah. It was that N word. March. Oh, oh, you remember that oh, March with, with uh, Professor Griff? Hold on, let, let, let me finish, guys. I got to pick up a customer. So when I went, so when I went home, I was just like, "Yo!" I was all excited. My sister was just like, "Yeah." It was it was that N word, Professor Griff, that stole my bike when we was back in Roosevelt. I was like, word. "It was him." That's word. That's word. I believe that Dude, shit. That stole your bike. So that's that's with my Debo. little. Uh, yeah, but he he he. I guess he was the he was the most. Uh, he became the most disciplined, I guess, because he was the most wild one back then. So that's my little uh, story. Oh, also, Medea Benjamin is from Freeport, by the way. Damn. So yeah. Uh, awesome. Howard Stern awesome. is from Roosevelt. Let me go back. Yeah, to you should not put Howard Stern into that. Yeah. Well, still wrong. All right. Sorry. Okay, let me pivot back to uh, Michael. I wanted to make sure you got to say what you wanted to say. Um, so, Michael, you just have to. Yeah, um, actually, I think that was about it. I just wanted to uh, give you those links and uh, yeah, just wish you all a good night. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. Gonna bring in bad cookies who has a picture of richard nixon <laughs> hi bad cookies Ooh, bad. can you hear me i can hear you he is not uh, a you, you guys don't like my dick pic What's my dick pic right there? <laughs> don't, don't 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 hate the dick pic <laughs> right, i'll quit being silly and get to the point um i, I wanted to touch about the hedges and wolf duopoly um the the video you had on your stream uh you asked the question if uh if it's if it's even possible to break out of the duopoly mm -hmm. i i highly doubt it is in my personal opinion and like i told eric earlier i'm a big doomer i think it's already too late i don't think we can wrestle the power out of the hands of the duopoly in time to save the rest of us so at this point, I'm just really waiting for the end to see how things shake out because it's going to get real, real bad real soon. What do you think, Sabzi? What do you mean by that when you say it's going to get real bad real soon? Well, when I say it's going to get real bad real soon is the political climate is just going to get worse. We're just going to get at each other's throats more and more. Uh, the Democrats and the Republicans are going to keep pushing these war profit and these profit wars and it's just going to get worse to a point where we're eventually going to start World War III by our own hands. At least that's what I believe. I also believe that with uh, the potential water shortages and the fuel shortages that are coming into the future, if you haven't noticed yet, Sabi, uh, 
OPEC has estimated that we only have about 35 years of fuel left if we keep up with our current standards today. So with the politics that it, it's going the way it is, with the economy the way it's going the way it is, water shortages, food getting more expensive, gas getting stupidly more expensive, and we can't seem to figure out a way to move forward with a renewable energy source that everyone seems to argue about, but nobody tends to make any moves towards. So to me, the future is looking very, very bleak, hence why I don't even want to bring children into this world, because it's just looking real bad for them. That, that was what I meant by that. Well, I will say there is a way to combat the fuel shortage. I, I think we do know how to do it. I think it's just getting it done. And I think like climate activists and un including the Green Party, they have talked about this multiple times, like there are ways to get this done. This is why like we can't continue to rely on oil. We can't. And I know some people don't want to hear that because that's what they're comfortable with. But guys, we got to wake up to reality. We cannot continue to rely on oil. We cannot continue to rely on gas. Like we cannot continue to rely on these, these resources. Like we have to move to something else. Like this is something that like, as much as a lot of people don't like the Green Party, this is something the Green Party has been advocating for for years, for years. They've tried to tell people, climate activists, same thing. They've tried to tell people, scientists have tried to tell people, you have to move towards a different type of energy. And so for people who, who told me, they were like, you're being nitpicky at Joe Biden about his climate action. No, I'm being realistic. Because I know that that climate bill that Joe Biden approved from Congress is not enough. That's look up the um, American Society of Civil Engineers. Look them up. Look up American Society of Civil Engineers, the AC, the ASCE. Look them up. It's, it's public. It's free. They have a whole report. They tell you how much you need, how much money is required to maintain it, the infrastructure and all that stuff, and how much is needed to improve it. And that's what I was trying to tell people that like, this is nothing, nowhere near what we're supposed to have according to the civil engineers and according to the climate scientists. So that bill that they passed, where some people were like, yay, this is a major win. No, it's not. That's not even half of what we need. They even break down how much it's state by state, that, that report. You know, oh, yes, Abby, you know, the other thing is, as Richard Wolf pointed out, even if they had every penny they needed, it's going to go to the same people that caused the problem. It's going to be exactly the same as the railroad. Um, yeah, railroad, the airlines. It's going to be stock buybacks. It's going to be, it already is the money that they already. So it, it, it's not even about the amount. If you don't change, if these people, the same people that are in office and the same people that are in the revolving door, this money just, even like I said, even if it was every penny that the uh, environment, the uh, Green Party and everybody said we needed, 90% of it's going to be finance, like everything else is financialized. 
It'll just be instead of the military industrial complex, it'll be the military industrial intelligence climate complex. It already is. It already is. And think about it. We don't trust pharma science. We don't trust, you know, military thinking. All of a sudden, these same oligarchs and same corporations, yeah, we're on climate change, though. This one we're really honest about. Don't bet on it. Everything that we want to do for climate change, I'm all for it. It ain't going to happen. We don't have the engineers to do it. The money will get sucked away. I'm sorry to tell you, folks, I don't want to burst y'all bubble, but that's all a hoax. It's going nowhere. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat you are, Lance. I'm, I'm very skeptical about this, especially after. No, uh, no, when, I'm when not a cynic. You're more of a cynic. I'm not. Here's the thing. Can I say this other part, you know? Like Ralph Nader said, they want you to think that third. In other words, the third parties are so useless that now, of course, they're going to throw stuff at you. Ralph Nader, they destroyed him. You know why? Think about this. Back in the day, John Anderson in 88, Ross Perot in 92, they had to do the balanced budget thing because he talked about the deficits and the jobs getting sucked away. I said, "Uh oh, can never have this again. That's when they bought it. That's when the two parties bought up the debates, and they have never had a third-party candidate on stage with them since, and they're not going to. Okay, well, so, 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 but the idea that that's how scared they are of third parties. It's like they can't even let them get on the radar. And so, of course, every time someone who thinks they're some kind of good lefty, they're just fools. They're just being duped. Two reasons. you got to have third parties. Third parties have all been very successful. Tell Eugene Debs. Was he wrong? Was he a child? As uh, Crystal Ball wants to say, all these children like Eugene Debs, who's a, a communist, they didn't get near the presidency, did they? But they helped cause all of the changes that happened in the New Deal. The Farmer Populist Labor Party, these very smart farmers got together. Yeah, they were Lance. children, you know? I mean, no, I'm, I just want But to make the point about third parties, they, they, I, I just laugh at anyone who says, oh, you don't do it through the two parties. It's like, but you just in the previous sentence say it's all one party, it's a uniparty. Of course you have to have a third party. And like I said, they wouldn't try to destroy anyone who even gets to 1% of the vote if they weren't completely scared shitless that there would be like five or ten people that are independent, literal independents or, you know, some third party next to their name. That would destroy. Lance Anderson ran again in '88. I, I just know of 1980. The '80 and '92. Don't quote me on the date, but after Perot, they said we can never let this happen again. But my point, though, is just the other point, though, about the third party. They are petrified. If there were ten just independent party that call themselves the Independent Coalition, the Republicans and Democrats would freak the fuck out. And you know why else? Here's another reason. The consultant, follow the money. That's why they have to destroy progressives because it's a business. And all of Sanders' people, whatever you want to say about Bernie, it would be a whole different set of consultants, all those people to be out of work. So for all those reasons, it's got to be third party. It's not even – it's a joke for anybody. And like I said, people that want to think about pessimism and cynicism, listen to Richard Wolf, Listen to Ralph Nader. They know how to do it. They're not cynical. They know how it can be done. Nobody wants to listen. Can I just say something really quick? I just want to remind everyone, Bernie Sanders most likely will not be alive when the climate crisis hits. I just want to remind everyone of this. Thank you. This is really need to think about. He will not be alive most likely when the climate crisis hits. He will avoid it. A lot of the senators 
that we have right now in Congress will not be alive because a lot of them are older. They will not be alive when the climate crisis hits. A lot of us on this call will be and will be the ones left to deal with it. They will not be. And this is why I'm saying this is an emergency. This is not mm-hmm. like let's do climate reform. No, th- I don't like this word reform. Sabi don't like it. Because I've seen multiple reforms. I've seen educational reform. I've seen police reform. I've seen healthcare reform. They don't solve the actual problem. So I think the big problem that we have is that a lot of the people who are calling the shots, they are people who will not block. We have to keep that in mind. I, no, Sabi, I completely agree with you. Hello, everyone. And, uh, I didn't mean to be impersonal, but it's late in the game. I figured I'd cut to the chase, and we all know each other. Hi, Lance. Hi, Lance. <laughs> all right. So, um, I'm sorry, kind of threw me off track there. Um, if we look back at Bernie Sanders' campaign in 2016, he used to use the line, oh, well, scientists claim that in about 12 years, we'll reach the point of no return with climate change. Well, that was eight years ago. We have four years left before that quote-unquote point where we have a point of no return with climate. Do you really believe that we'll be able to wrestle power out of the duopoly and pass meaningful climate change bills in time within those four years? I I don't believe so, Sabi. That's me. I highly doubt it. Well, thank you. That's all I wanted to say. Thanks a lot, Sabi. Um, oh, Sabi. Sabi. Wait, hold on, Roger. You know Roger Waters, right? Yet. You know Roger Waters. This I know who he is, drill. but I, I know who he is, but this I haven't is met him. This is not a drill. Yep. Like you said, no. Speaking to what you said right now, I don't want to hear it. it. The time is now. We'll have to remember kind of why everybody knows the history. 64 to 66 in those two years, sweeping progressive legislation on all kinds of things. And then by 1970, all of the environmental laws, if you think of all the progressive legislation from 64 to 70, oh, my God. And now we spend two years saying, should we have a vote in the House? Because it might not go to the Senate. But it's, oh, my God, we're kindergartners thinking about that crap. Come on, folks. The idea that anybody that says, yeah, we'll just keep going the way we're going, crystal Ball. She, oh my God! I used to love her a lot, man. She's completely gone, Phil. Gone. To me, Krista Ball, she works out. Here's the thing. thing about <laughs> we are in the first early stages of the impact of climate change and global warming as it is. When you look at the weather system that we have experienced in this country for the last two, three years, and I mean winter, summer cycles back to back, we have had the most extreme weather systems that we that I have known in my lifetime. I've never heard of river rains like they had out west and fire nados and all this craziness, and they are not responding to it well yet. So when you think about it, it. there's, huh? Because they're causing it. But that's what I'm saying. They're not being, um, dealing with us with integrity 
they're just, you know, pretending that all of this stuff is normal and, oh, we have a winter freeze coming in and this and that. But these are extreme weather systems and they're not dealing with it. They're going to let the catastrophes continue to get worse and worse. They're going to use gentrification and move to the Midwest where things seem to be stable. And we already have a homelessness problem and this and that. They're just going to let those catastrophes continue to happen, let people die, explain it away, just like they did with the pandemic, come up with half-assed solutions, and people going to be dying faster than we know. There are still people, um, there are still people dying in this country. I think they just said today it's about 3,500 people pass weekly with the COVID stuff, but they're getting ready to take away the um, protocol around it. They're just not going to talk to you about it. That's why they have control over the major media. They're going to control that narrative and people are going to be down like flies. It's, I, I feel a type of anxiety that I cannot even articulate. Yes, it's just something in my, in the pit of my being that says something is fundamentally more wrong than you even know. Let me just say something um, here. I, I think Noel and, and Soul and, and all of you guys are right on, on target. I will say that I think that the pandemic should really wake a lot of us up. Because, yes, it happened. But I honestly don't believe this will be the last time something like that happens in the U.S. Oh, Sabi, they're already planning really for the don't. second attack. Right. So this is what I'm saying is that this is why when I say we have to take care of each other, this is what I'm talking about. How many of you that are listening know how to grow your own food? How I many? Do. Whether it's even just vegetables or something. Tomatoes. Like how many of you like know how to survive on a vegan diet or vegetarian diet? See, I know how to Not do many. it because I was vegan for a whole year. I think I told you guys this. I was vegan for a whole year and it wasn't wasn't very it didn't work out very well for me, but my husband yeah, and I started it as an experiment and then it just ended up lasting for a whole year. But and I had a lot of energy, but what we also noticed is that I had other issues. We had other issues. The muscle growth right. also de declines right. with just vegetarian diet. Right. Not everybody's meant to do it. So this also goes back to your history. Like for me, I'm African-American. Africans traditionally don't consume a lot of dairy. And I want to make this very clear to people who are listening. This is why it's not uncommon for African-Americans to have issues with dairy, whether it's lactose or whether it's maybe it makes your tummy hurt or you get acne. We're not really meant to consume dairy, dairy like that. We are meant to consume more so meat and vegetables. That's where we yes. come from. Yes. So you have to understand that. You have to know about the history of your people. There's a reason why some people, you guys ever go to the bar with a friend 
Let's let's go back to the bar com- combo. You ever go to a bar with a friend? And, and you know, it, it, for me, like when I was in college, like most of my friends were white. We go to the bar, they'll be throwing back vodka shots like it was nothing. And I'd be trying to like do the same thing. And I realized over the years, you know what? Vodka don't work that well. It's with, no, not good for savvy. And I had to realize like, again, because of like where you come from, your history, your people, you're not used to consuming that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important that all of us, something we can all do is that we can get in touch with our history of our people and we can try to understand like what is safe for us to consume. Go ahead, Mateo. Welcome. By the way, Sabi, you're so 100% right about that because our diet is is about our biology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just very briefly, you know, Sabi makes another point and that's why I don't want us all to melt into everything. And it was like, I think it was David Dinkins. He was a crappy mayor. Okay. But, um, <clears throat> I lived in New York City. I actually, I actually remember David Dinkins. <laughs> well, I, you know, but, uh, I, uh, yeah, so I lived in New York City when he was mayor. And, you know, he's, he's the one that said the beautiful mosaic. We're not a melting, I think it was, we're not a melting pot. We're a beautiful mosaic. And that's a really great thing to think about because it doesn't. I literally could walk to a, my, when I had to go to work early on Sunday, tell me it's a city that never sleeps. East Village don't get up that early on Sunday. It just doesn't. And I walked up first half from like 4th Street to 31st Street because it was a nice walk. I would literally, a, a lot of mornings, I would hear English would be like the fifth or sixth language I heard, even to, even yeah. in the late eighties, early nineties, because it was it the was store Korean or Chinese. Early. It was the storekeepers uh, that were up early, and it was it's like these these like layers, almost like sedimentary layers, where you can just like so. Right where I lived, it was Tereshchevanko. It was like the still the Ukrainian and Russian part. Then it was uh, the Italians up by Tenth Street, and you know, and, and it was like these different uh, ethnic groups, and so it was very still, very much. Uh, distinctive neighborhood and then of course trying to tell little Italy and all that but uh so yeah it's a mosaic of people savvy right it doesn't mean you have to erase your roots and you just either have to be all american so that doesn't mean that you're just identifying as i have to be tribal about it but yeah i think it's a beautiful thing to have the ethnic mix i love celebrating saint patrick's day or cinco de mayo etc which is actually not wait, even wait, wait, by the way cinco de mayo and saint patrick's day it's american no i know i know they're american no, it has no foundation on mexican or irish people I know. No, okay. I know. I, I said Cinco de Mayo is an American thing, but whatever it is, I, I said that. But yeah, it's just good. Let's embrace each other. Yeah, you guys are, I'm sorry, you guys are talking over each other. Sorry. Um, but I do want to bring in Mateo. Mateo, what's up? Hello? Oh, pues, the, the Cinco de Mayo, they do celebrate it in Mexico, more like in Puebla, in the city where the actual battle happened. Yeah, they do, but apparently yeah. not the way that Americans celebrate it. From no, and probably not in the rest of Mexico. Multi- oh and my gosh, the best thing in New York every year. Lance, Porter- Lance oh, I'm, I'm just sorry. Say the Puerto Rican Mateo- parade. Oh, I'm sorry. Lance, let Mateo speak. I'm sorry. Puerto Rican parade in New York. Okay, go ahead, Mateo. Oh, that's okay. Um, I, I called in when you guys were talking about the, uh, what was it, going vegan, the food crisis that's going to be happening in the next decade at least? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
there was also a point. I don't know which uh, congressional hearing or whatever it was, but General Milley was talking at one of them, and uh, it was something, you know, when you listen to military people talk, you really got to listen to military people talk. Um, they're very good at being tactful about what they say. He mentioned that the climate crisis was an actual uh, problem. And I think what people were thinking at the time is like, oh, you know, the sea level is going to go up 20 meters and it's going to be hard to work with the ports. And sure, that might be a problem, but that's not the problem. When you have like, when it's our American population that supports, you know, what it supports, right. you need like a stable populace. That's going to be the problem. Eh, hola, right. Mateo. ¿De dónde, yeah. ¿De dónde estás en México? Uh, I'm not in Mexico. So, where are you from and from Mexico? Uh, I'm Mexican. I'd rather not say. Mexico. I'd rather not yeah, say. Yeah, so, um, let, me, let me talk to Mateo for just a second. Um, so, Mateo, I, I totally hear what you're coming from and what you're saying. Um, and that's why I mean, ever... like, we really need to pay attention to um, how to grow our own food. Uh, rationing it we need to when i say go militant like that's what we need to think about we need to think about like bare bones how to keep our own communities functioning because it's going to get hard i um, agree 100 percent. mateo let me ask really you a question saying it that uh brashly go ahead let me ask you a question are you familiar with the show and i don't know if it's, it's a tv show but Sabado and Domingo? It, so, I'm sorry. I'm going to meet you for just a second. Um, so, Mateo, I'm, I'm really like curious. Have you ever heard of a show called The Expanse? No. Okay. There's a show. It's sci-fi. And I love sci-fi. It's a sci-fi show called The Expanse. And this show takes place after the climate crisis has already happened. And so what you have is you have Earth, you have Mars, and you have the asteroid belt. They call it the belt in the show. And because of the climate crisis, when you look at Earth, they don't even refer to it as America, Europe, South America, that that isn't even a thing. It's just all called Earth because so many of those continents have been swallowed up because of the climate crisis. So when you look at New York City, like New York, there's a huge wall around it to prevent the water from coming in because the water has risen so much. And what happened over time is that some of the earthers left earth and went to either mars or the asteroid belt now here's the tricky thing mars is now seen as the supreme planet that's We're where all the people not gonna be there right but but just listen that's where all the people who have learned how to respect the environment they're there and they're like the supreme military planet the asteroid belt 
is known as this is a place where people are poor. So a lot of people that live in the asteroid belt, they're poor, they're under resource, they're malnourished. But at the same time, the asteroid belt has a lot of resources. So you have Mars and Earth extracting all the resources from the asteroid belt and the people on Earth and the people on Mars are thriving, but the people on the asteroid belt are struggling because they have the resources, but they're being extracted. And I'm not going to say that that is a prediction of what is going to happen, but I will say this very much. I could see that being the case because it got to the point where people said we have to leave Earth because it's so bad here with the climate crisis. So we have to find other places for people to live. And that's right, how you have like the asteroid belt and that's how you end up having Mars. And for anyone, if you're not into sci-fi, you still may like this show. Again, it's called The Expanse. And I think you should check it out because it, it's a warning sign, I think. And we've had several of these warning signs. We've had Hollywood movies called The Day After Tomorrow, where they show you what happens when the climate crisis hits. And all of a sudden, all the people in the U.S. are trying to go to Mexico. And Mexico is like, well, no, you guys can't come here <laughs> because you told us we, can come, we couldn't come there, right? So it's kind of like payback in a way of sorts. These are movies, but these things eventually are going to happen. And I think that's something we all need to pay attention to. It's like, we can't just say, well, just Hollywood just said da-da-da. No. Hollywood is making these movies based off of scientific predictions. So when you watch a movie like The Day After Tomorrow, where New York City freezes, that is going to happen at some point because of what we've heard from the climate scientists. The, the, Arctic, the Arctic caps are melting. They're not supposed to melt. Well, the northern cap is definitely melting. And when that thing goes away, I don't think we're going to have the cold storms that are hitting us anymore right it's gonna get really fucking hot really quick mm -hmm. and see here's the thing we operate in such a short-term framework but it took decades you know centuries for these things to really gain momentum and then now within the last couple of decades things are accelerating accelerating but people can't discern it they don't necessarily, they're not listening to the scientists and they can't discern it in our own receptors. But when these things begin to take shape, it's not something you can change overnight. When the weather systems become so catastrophic that it interrupts the food supply, it's not like there's going to be anything we can do in one or two years to turn it around. And it's going to trigger a global shift in in life because people are going to become from the global south trying to get north and it's going to be our counterpopulation shifting. But 
with this whole concept of greed and extraction and the calcification of wealth and power at the top, they're not going to be trying to look out for people because they're not going, they're not doing it now. And I think we're just going to see things deteriorate in a precipitous way. And they're going to try and convince you that it's normal to the degree that it's happening to you because they're not going to talk about it. And I just see us slipping because if you ask me, it's already started and nobody mm-hmm. anything but trying to do more the same. And when it gets to the place where it just cannot be ignored, it's going to be too late. This is why it bothers me when people only focus on electoral politics and not on the other issues. Like if you guys notice, I talk about electoral politics, but I also talk about labor movements. I talk about the strikes. I talk about like gentrification. I talk about like the climate crisis. I've had people come on to tell you how to cook, how to grow your own food. Like these things are very important. I tell you about what you can do on your state and local level. And the reason why I try to cover all the bases, I'm not an expert in all by any means necessary. I'm an expert in some, but not all. But the reason why I try to cover all the bases is because I want people to understand that there is no electoral superhero. We thought that was Bernie Sanders. And I think that's why a lot of us are disappointed. A lot of us saw Bernie Sanders as a superhero in electoral politics. That Even that doesn't solve the problems. Even that doesn't fix a lot of the issues. At the end of the day, we have to get back to our roots. We have to get back to what people did before there was even a constitution, before there was even political representatives. Back to our roots in the sense that when people in the community helped each other, the hunters and the gatherers, they got the food, they brought it back to the people, and they worked together as a community. We have not been a part of that society yeah. in this country in a long, long time. And have you, you heard notice, about this? If you look at some of the other countries, you notice they still very much operate in a community mindset. We don't do that here. We live in a country where some of the parents tell their kids, once you're 18, you're gone. Whether you're going to college or not, you got to go. 18, you're out. And that happens a lot, so much, and we talked about this before, it happens a lot in the African-American community. You're 18, you're out. Sorry, you can't stay here anymore. There's no support. We can't help you anymore. That was me. You see, like, some of the, I noticed this when I was in college, some of the, some of my white peers, with their families, they did not have that. They could come back home anytime. We have have moved to a society in this country where it's all about the individual. It's all about individualism and it's no longer about community. How many of you know who your neighbors are? How many of you know that if your neighbors hit your neighbor's kids didn't come home from school, something is up? How many of you know? My parents knew if that was an issue. When my parents were growing up, everybody on the block knew each other. And if somebody's kid did something bad, they knew about it. And before the kid got home, the kid's parents knew about it before the kid got home. 
How many people know that now? We don't, we don't have, have that, type that type of community because a lot of people are so focused on social media. The smartphones distract you. You're not talking to people in your community because you're on your phone. And that's a big part of the problem is something has changed. I've talked to a lot of my students that are international students and they do not have this in their countries. I've talked to some of my students that come from India and they've come from places like China and all different other countries. And they have told me that in their country, you don't even move out of your parents' house until you get married. And that's a choice if you want to move out. Most of the time, you move in with the family and their family moves in with your family. So it's all one big family. But in this country, there is this big push that the moment you turn 18, it's like you're an adult, you have to go do your own thing. Why do we do that here in this country? What happened to the, the, the same type of community ideals that used to be a part of this country when the pilgrims came here, which is that you're getting married. Okay, cool. You move into our family house with our family and we'll all be one big family. That doesn't happen anymore, guys, but it still happens in other countries. So what happened? Why is it that when you come, when people come to this country, you are only seen as an individual and you're responsible for yourself and yourself only. And everybody else around you is on their own. And the lack of community has disappeared. What happened? Um, I, I wanted to go back to something real quick when you was talking about the climate thing. There might be a glass half full instead of half empty uh, thing. I remember last year, Professor Richard Wolf was talking about how car manufacturers are slowing production. And you could look at that as half empty or half full. Um, this is why more people are, they say, he said part of it was because the supply chain, because we don't make everything here in America. So what he said, what's going to happen is there's going to be fewer cars made and the, the prices on it are going to go um, sky high. Um, and people are going to be depending more on used cars. Now, that can, looking at the glass half full instead of half empty, well, that could kind of be a good thing because it could probably push toward, if you take all those cars off the road, it could push toward, um, you know, a, a high-speed rail uh, throughout the country. Thank I guess more, more, but more buses or whatever the case is, um, right? But that's what's happening is that um, the car manufacturers are not going to be because we built this country based on more on the the road, the whole thing of having a car and so on and so forth. Where I guess when you look at Europe, they built it around the uh, the high speed rail system, as far as getting around is is concerned. So doing that, I guess that could also take you know you're taking cars off the road that's like less uh uh pollution or whatever the case is especially a push toward you know uh rail high speed rail but could, could, and probably yeah you know, could, I, that more could I throw that throw something back sorry yeah you know a couple things man it's been <laughs> something interesting when they built the throughway uh, the north south roads of New York are pretty curvy 81 if 
anybody who knows New York Road, throughways really straight, Mohawk Valley, Buffalo to Albany. They bought the median strip, which helps for safety. It really does, instead of a rail between, you know, like the Pennsylvania Turnpike. But what they really did it for was when they had to do all those rights away, it was for, high, it was for rail. They didn't have high speed. In case they wanted to do trains. Okay, another point is, you know, I think most folks know that it was Goodyear and Ford and GM and the car and, and Rockefeller, and, you know, and the oil and gas companies and the rubber companies, they all got together and they said, let's destroy. They literally bought and used propaganda, okay, and con- convince, just like they do now with like, oh, give us billions and we'll create jobs. No, and yeah, in this case, it was the freedom of the road and they deliberately destroyed a wonderful trolley systems uh, starting in the 20s and 30s and right by the 50s they got rid of the last ones i mean it was a, it was like a war <laughs> it was like uh, you know and so they did and now we have cars now we have the interstate and so nobody we're not doing it with $60,000 teslas which stink and if it's not a hybrid it's useless and they don't know what to do with the batteries it, it, so in the cobalt and the lithium it ain't going to be electric cars that's an, that's a total 100% 10,000% scam folks i'm sorry to burst your bubble again but that's it we got to do mass transit or we're doomed and that's just the, <laughs> i'll stop there yeah that's, that's pretty much what he was saying you know we got to do mass cuz you know they're doing um i don't know if you saw this uh, i don't know if you saw um Colin and Rifa do their show uh yesterday a couple of days ago when he was talking about the the uh, child labor mining that's going on over there in Africa. I, I saw it. Okay, so you already know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So this whole green move revolution ain't gonna be anything if we're using uh, slavery to mine, go mine. Well, first of all, if anything, we should be. Yeah, but, I'm pretty sure we may not have as much as Africa, but I'm pretty no, sure. Even if you didn't have to lift a finger and put up all these sixty thousand cars, dollar cars on lots. Who's going to buy them? Who's, how many people are going to be able to afford them? You know no, what I mean? Lance, no. Lance, I'm sorry. Let Roger finish what he was saying. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, so, you know, so, yeah, yeah. So you're going to have, you know, because, I mean, this Green New Revolution, it, it seems like, a, a, you know, the, 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 the oligarchs, you know, we use that word all the time, you know, like, oh, yeah, just, just like how Lance was talking about how, uh, Rockefeller, Goodyear, and all those guys was got rid of the trolleys, and we could have had a train system and saying, no, this will create jobs. We'll build an interstate highway system and so on and so forth. You could see say the same thing about what Elon Musk and all these people that want to do uh, electric cars want to do, you know, but like, oh, yeah, we're going to do the Green New Revolution. And meanwhile, they have uh, uh, slavery going on in the, the Democratic Republic of Congo as they're mining these you know not with any special equipment or anything just bare feet and everything just out there digging for uh this stuff you know what i mean and meanwhile i mean well first of all i'm pretty sure we have those same things here that we can uh, uh dig for maybe not as much as the continent of africa but because the fact that we have like workers are going to demand things such as unions union protected or even more a minor cooperative you know to to create a supply chain they would they don't want to do it here but at the same time regardless um the prices are going up for you know they you make less of something just like how we say um we need to build more homes because because there's less of something the more expensive they are well that's what's happening with cars so you know in a way it's like yeah 
looking at the is the glass half empty or is the glass half full if we're taking these cars off the road and what do you, yeah and again once you buy the car what's the maintenance going to be on electric cars you're not going to your corner mechanic it's going to be like everything else you're not going to have right to repair you're not going to have your you know some guy's going to get up under the hood and oh, it's going to take you a million dollars he's going to cost you a million dollars after you buy it to just get it fixed if it breaks down you know what they're not magic you know what the governor did right lance with the with how she destroyed the right to repair law, the the Digital Fair Repair Act. Yeah, you know what else she just canceled was the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, death wrongful death thing. She yeah, what was that about? I, she, I, I saw something about that. It's an eighteen seventy law, eighteen seventy two, the wrongful death law that existed. It isn't like they're updating it from some recent one to make it even harsher, like in some liberal woke thing. She's evil. I'm sorry, she's evil. But, but, I'm sorry. But, no, but I'm saying what what was it? I mean Oh, I, it was uh, it was a wrongful death, right? So that and they were and she kept saying, Well, we didn't talk about it. No, they were talking about it for a year. They did the process. Come on, it's New York. <laughs> this is New York. You know you gotta go through more hoops and jump over more hurdles, even if you're this, you know, in no matter what. So they did everything by protocol. They did everything according to how they do it. And they had plenty of time to negotiate after the fact. And they said, no, it's not unusual after the bill is settled to come back afterwards, even after it gets passed, before she vetoes. Okay, we'll change it. We can write another law. So all the things that Hochul said that we have to do this, we didn't do that. She's lying on every count. So it's not even about, right. oh, well, maybe do it. explain to everybody what the what that law was like explain explain it well it expanded like things like for instance like if Cuomo had done what he he would never be able to do what he did because he'd go to jail because that would be wrongful death or at least the people that were involved in yeah all that stuff because it would apply to more malpractice not just wrongful death when you kill someone it was I don't know the specifics of the legislation but it was sweeping and as I say Okay, for anybody that was going, oh, yeah, sure. They just want to be, you know, because they're woke and left. And, uh, you know, she went, no, 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 no. That's not what they did. Hoka was reining them in. Like I said, the previous law, it hadn't been updated since 1872. So the same thing applies. Yeah. So anyway, so all the things and all the corporatization and all the things that could go wrong and all that. So, yeah, no, it was a perfectly reasonable law. And like I said, all of all of the kind of courtesies as the governor and the and what the people that voted it in overwhelmingly, maybe not veto proof. Uh, it was all done according to Hoyle. You know, what I mean? it was zero excuse like all these other bills for her to veto it or yeah, to veto it. So. I don't know what, what, what she's about. I mean, she might as well. She, I mean, she seems like it's almost like there's things that like, like Rand Paul would say, yeah, we should, or, or at least some version of the mass incarceration or something could even might be able to get paid. Like, where is she coming from? She's like, she wants to make sure that everything she does is just the most furthest to the right. She even got overturned a couple. Yeah. So, so the wrongful death thing is, would be like, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, like, uh, uh, something happened in the hospital. Yeah, medical malpractice, which is like almost untouched. It's almost like qualified immunity because of the information won't be allowed. And therefore, if the information isn't allowed and you don't have a law, huh, case closed. But now if you have a law that says wrongful death, now, and I'm just guessing here, right, that then you all of a sudden you can get discovery. In other words, you don't have a law uh, just like you can go after people. You can't go after the information that's so secret right now that you can't figure anything out because they don't let you find that stuff out. The only time you find out is when a whistleblower gets, you know, hounded out of town. Or the person themselves kills too many people on the operating table and they find, uh oh, this guy really is bad. You know, so I mean, it's just so horrible. Oh, how to keep everything well, I want to pivot back to Mateo and then I'm going to head out pretty soon. Um, Mateo, was there anything else you wanted to add? 
Oh no, and I'm sorry, I came on a little panicked because I don't is thinking of the collapse becoming real. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's still kind of shit. I know. I hear you. I hear you. Um, very thankful we got voices like yours. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm trying to be very, like, I'm trying to be so much better about not letting these go until 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> As you should. Your yeah. sleep is important, too. Yeah, we appreciate you, Savvy. We do really appreciate you. Not yes, so many people give this voice to us. I mean, we are spread out. Like, Mateo is Mexican-American. And he doesn't identify with Mexico anymore. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm Mexicano, but I I don't live there yet. Oh well, you still Mexico. Yeah. And we, this is this is this is the this is the melting pot. And as Roger Meadows, as Noel, and everybody that's here, we see that. And um, I just want to be helpful in this conversation. And I'm sorry that I, I, I went I, I went over my time and you had to mute me and that's cool. I mean I understand. Your time is very precious and as my time is also. I really wanted to run away from all this kind of conversation, but you keep me here, Sabby. You keep me bringing you bring me back in. You bring me back Aww. in. You oh, always bring me so back much, in. Sarah. Talking to I don't want to be here because I have a lot of things to attend to. I have my family. I have I have I have my life. I make music. I design. So for me to Sorry. pay attention to this politics is beyond my um perception right now. Because right now bandwidth. I'm focused yeah, my bandwidth exactly. So well, when I come to you, Sabby, it's because I I want to hear you. Oh, well, thank you. That's very sweet. So, um, it's funny. Uh, last, I think it was Sunday, Sunday evening. Um, I had a limit because I had a meeting and, uh, Robin said, I was like, wait a minute. Isn't the game supposed to start? Cause I was trying to watch like, or listen to the Bengals and Kansas city game in the background. And I was like, wait a minute, why is this game not starting? And I think I had the time wrong. And Robin was like, yes, the game will be starting soon. And so you know that I love you if I'm here instead of watching the game. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing. I don't, I don't follow sports, not because I don't like it, because I love sports. It's just that it's, it's a mind-numbing effect on you. So... I don't I don't I don't care if I mean I don't mind that anybody else loves sports. I used to love the Mets, by the way. I was a Mets fan because I'm from New York and the Giants, of course. But you know what I found out? They're making the money. Not me. Mm -hmm. We can cheer them on, but at the end of the day, they're athletes. And which mm -hmm. is awesome. I love them for, for, for what they are. But for me, it's like I'm I'm taking time out of my my life right now to listen to a voice that is resonating with me and I'm sorry that sometimes I sound weird and that I make weird comments but it's 
It comes from me. I hear you. And that's, that's all I want to say to you. I hear you. But I can't be here anymore because sometimes it's like it takes up all my time because it's not just you. It's Convo Couch. is everybody else, you know, the whole circle. And I want to be here because Roger actually woke me up to a lot of things in Florida. And also you woke me up to a lot of things in the black community. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm Dominican, you know, I look white. I act white sometimes and I get get off sometimes because I look the way I do. But I, I am tied to my Taino culture and I feel your pain also because it's my pain. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. So, I mean, it's it's a lot to take in. I think so much. Yeah, I mean, I, cry. I was I cry. I cried when somebody was coming after you, by the way. It hurts me. Okay, so I'm so I'm 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 sorry to hear that. Um, you know, I didn't cry, um, because again, like I, <laughs> some things I can't say on YouTube, I can say on here. Like I really just give zero fucks. <laughs> like it's just. Like, again, if people come after me, I don't care. But you don't mess with my family. You don't. Never. And it, it just, it's one of those things. Like, that's the, that's stooping really low. I don't go after people's family members, especially that have nothing to do with the space. They're not even in the space. Like, they're just, they're doing their job and they're trying to do what they can, like, for their family. And, that was a breaking point for me. Like you don't fuck with my family. Like like period. But you can and do so, it for yours, but you don't have to hurt anybody. Right. Like you just you don't go there. You don't right. go there. And that's why I said like earlier tonight I was like I don't have kids, but could you imagine if I did? They would have went after my kids. Like they've done you this before. I've seen them do it. Like this is terrible. This is terrible. And and this is why, like, like honestly, this is why we don't win on the left because of trivial things. Look, I'm not perfect, and I never claim to be. No one But is. it just seems like to me, there's a group of people who apparently think they are perfect, and they're going to attack anyone who disagrees with them, who are activists. This is not even commentator shit. This is activist shit. They're going to attack any other healthcare activist that they feel is using a different strategy. And I still agree with the national strategy. I never disagree with that. Ever. Not once. Roger Meadows, you know this. Those of you, been, Eric, obviously, my producer, Eric, obviously, you know this. They've been on multiple times. A lot of people ask me, how did Eric uh, become my producer? Do you guys know how I met Eric in person? I met him at the Medicare for All March in Boston two years ago. That's how I met Eric. So it's not like I was ever against this. I was never against it, ever, not once. But the fact that I say, well, people should be able to organize locally if they want to do that too. 
Now all of a sudden I'm the enemy. I'm a bad person because I'm not just for one strategy. I'm for both. So I'm the enemy. I'm the person you want to target. And this isn't just about that. This is also about the fact that Marianne Williamson was criticized on our show and Savage Joy is very good friends for Marianne. I want to make something very clear. Oh, I, don't oh, have I saw that. I, you know, you know, sorry, wait, sorry, Sabby. She, she was on. Sh- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I want to say something. I want to make this very clear. I don't have Marianne Williamson's phone number. I don't text me. Some people do. I don't. I don't know her in that way. I've interviewed her uh, twice on my show. That was two years ago. First time was two years ago. The second time was last year in February on the women's panel. This is all on my channel. It's public information. You can see it yourself. So I'm not close with her the way that Savage Joy is. Marianne donated to Savage Joy for her to get equipment because Savage Joy is going blind. So she donated to her her effort to get that equipment to help help her. Right? So keep that in mind. I do. I've never asked Marianne for any money. I don't have Marianne's phone number. We are not besties. We're not friends. I don't know her like that. So, not to mention them. yeah. Yeah, it's not on that level. And I know people who are with her on that level. I don't know her in that way. So I want to make that very clear because some people they heard what she said and they kind of ran with it. Like when Marianne was like, Sabby, text me, da da da. I don't have your number. <laughs> I don't. Have you guys seen her on my show since then? Have you seen her nope. on my show since over a year nope. ago? Nope. What does that tell you? She's running away. I just want to say good morning, you guys. I have a doctor's appointment, so I'm going to bid you farewell. But it, I appreciate the discourse and keep the faith. I love you, Thanks Noel. Thanks so much, Noel. Love you all, too. Good night. Yeah, I was going to say that the same thing, too, Sabrina, What she because it was weird that she came... I said, "Hey, don't you know your best friend is was chill was was chill with uh, Sabrina when she left? So shouldn't you be going after you know the you know uh, Roman or them? You know, they, instead of you coming after the one that what that um, Miriam Williams said said, hey, call me, we cool. You know that that was kind of weird. They know not to come after Rome, number one. Yeah, yeah." Number two, they know not to come after CJ. CJ. That's right. They, number three, they know not to come after Nick. I'm the easiest target. Mm-hmm. You got that. Not easy. Video. By the way, you're not easy, Sabby. You're well spoken. That's the that's the thing that they want. They want to hear the well spoken one. Not the righteous person. They, you're righteous, by the way. But you you put it in a way that is simple for them. Right. It's like you come after the person who Marion said she's willing to still talk to instead of the Yeah, right. It just That's exactly what I was trying to tell you again. See, they didn't entertain the state by straight. Like when it had already been decided that we're gonna go against people who are like for state by state. 
I was the I was the only person they came on RBN, but I was the only person that was still advocating for, hey, we need to do this. Who's the one talking about ballot initiatives? That's me. Right? And I got that from Roger Meadows. Who's the one talking about, hey, look at what's happening on local level? That's why they keep coming after me. And they were actually very nasty towards Roger Meadows, too. On Twitter. Yeah, they, they was kind of like talking around it. Yeah, they try to pedal Rose Roger Meadows' talk. No, but they were nasty. No, I'm just going to keep it real. They were nasty towards you, Roger. Yeah, Roger, thank you for telling us about ballot initiatives. Da, 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 bye. That's how they are. Yeah. You know, I must have missed I must, I must have missed those ones. I just I just know like a couple of let me see. I just knew this vegan succubus person. They was uh face it, Rog, that it's not gonna work. Now if they said if they like it maybe it's cause I didn't look at mentions or something like that. But um you know, I I don't know. I guess maybe because they're uh um you know, I just stay focused and mission-minded and say, okay, I guess I got them off their game where they're talking more about me than talking about strategizing their national strategy. Yeah, you so should. Without, right. Yeah, so so without, because, you know, like, this is not a, a competitive thing. It's more supposed to be cooperative. You feel yes. what I'm saying? But and, it's a competitive thing to them, though, Roger. Right? No, no, that's, that's the point. No, right. That's exactly what I'm saying. So since it's competitive to them, they see me winning the argument. That's what it is. And it's there was no argument. It's just that the narrative has changed because I, I convinced people because the federal government convinced me. We ain't going to do shit for you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Supreme Court is Where? kicking everything back to the states. So get it done there. So I'm like, okay. And I have to say this, and I want to bring in Vita. I have to say this, and I'm going to bring in Vita. Rokana flat out lied. Like, I want to be very clear, you guys. He lied on my fucking show when he asked me, when I said, Rokana, but there's a Medicare for All March this Saturday in D.C., da-da-da. And he was like, this Saturday? And I was like, yes. I think you guys remember this. When I like people I do. were like, what the hell? Does he not understand what this Saturday means? And then I he heard that me, one. Oh, you mean this past weekend? I was like, no, this Saturday, coming up this weekend. He was like, oh, well, I didn't know about that. And I was like, <laughs> he lied. He outright he like, lied. Well, you guys can't protest on the weekends because we're not here in DC. After that happened, Savage Joy DM'd me and she said, I'm so, I can't believe him. I sent this to him, by the way. And then she sent me the tweet that she sent to Rokana. She tagged him and it said, Rokana, I can't believe what I just heard you say on Sabby Sab show. We're the Medicare for all activists that you met in DC. We met you in person. And then she sent a copy of the picture where all of them took together with Rokana. It was like, we told you that the march was happening. You knew about it. And then it was all this thing, but Rokana had to backtrack and be like, okay, I support the march in DC and did it and all that kind of stuff. But what was interesting to me, and that really told me something, she really still believed that Rokana was gonna do what he said. 
And that's when it hit me. It really hit me. Like, you really believe when Connor was going to listen to you? When you went to meet with him in person in D.C., you really believe that Ro Connor was going to fight for Medicare for all? You believe that after what he said on my fucking show? Mm-hmm. And again, that's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, if you're going to go the national strategy, what is the plan? I have a plan in the state by state. It's ballot initiatives over there and let, and those states that are not ballot initiative register people independent in mass to make these uh, uh, parties have to work for your vote and probably provide an exit strategy for them to a safety net for the, for the those politicians who don't want to be in their party anymore to jump out and push you know what I'm saying and, and, and push from the outside but also as this state does it, it's going to put, you know, this ballot initiative state does this and that, it'll put pressure on the non-ballot initiative states to do it as well. You know, if we can get a couple of these things passed as initiative in Maine and in Massachusetts, that can put, I mean, that could, that could definitely, like, like I said, the, the New York Health Act and the Massachusetts Medicare for All covers people that, that, uh, work in other states, that, that live in other states, but work in Massachusetts. So Massachusetts touches like five states, you know what I mean? And um, New York is one of them, you know? So I can imagine people going over there and working in Massachusetts and going, oh, wow, this is great. Yo, we should do it. We should do that over, over here, you know, that type of thing, you know? So it puts pressure on the non-CBI states to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I totally hear you. Um if you're not speaking, can you mute? There's some type of Yeah, I could hear the Lincoln Tunnel. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that might be Rogers. <laughs> you driving. <laughs> yeah, Rogers always driving. I'm jealous. I remember you know the, I remember the tunnels. Always try to get there in the early morning hours when I came from out of town. Try to get there rush hour, forget it. You got you know that big like it's circle that goes down and down and down. Yeah, but what I hear what Sabi and Roger Meadows is putting down because it has to come from us. It has to come from every state because if you're if you're still believing that duopoly is doing something for you, then you're lost. What what Sabi and everybody else is doing out here and my voice actually I, I like I like to be a voice for the Spanish speakers because this you know they don't speak Spanish. I do. So if I can help them like connect with other Spanish people like Sele, I will do that because that's my role. I want I want people to be inclusive. And what Roger Meadows is putting down is direct action. And what Sabi's talking about is proper speaking to the delegates that are out there. I totally hear you, Saul. I totally hear you. Um, and I just want to say that, like, again, um, I think a lot of times we're fighting against the wrong enemy. But I'm not going to let anyone come after my family, period. <laughs> hey, Never. Never come up to my family. That is fighting words. Yeah. 
fuck that shit, man. Is that, you know, as the left movement, I mean, we have like a real kind of laser focus on, on the powerful, you know, the billionaires, the big corporations, the big banks. And when it comes to our colleagues in the left movement who are acting in good faith, we should bend over backwards, you know, to be open and, and kind and empathetic, you know, like I said, assuming they're working in good faith. And so it's, it's a pretty, strong clue when you're working with people who aren't doing that. Could I throw out my dream ticket? I, I keep, I never had a chance to say it and tell me you guys, it's two former presidential candidates. And if I give you the right two pair in the right order, tell me you'll help me draft them. Jill Stein and Jesse Ventura. I think that would be a. Jesse Ventura, Jesse Ventura is a no. Yeah, that's See, a big no. I've already. I want to say I've interviewed Jesse Ventura. He's a part of the forward party now. He's against oh, yeah. canceling student loan debt. That was a big one okay, for but me. Jill Stein, okay, Jill Stein and a plausible Veep. Jill is not – Jill is local here with us in Massachusetts. I've talked to her about this before in person. Jill is not running again on the national level. Right. I got you. No. Sabrina and Mike Ravel. Bring him back. <laughs> Mike Ravel's dead. Dude, <laughs> know, wake him up. He's the perfect vice president. <laughs> bring him back. Resurrect. What is this, X-Files? Do, 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 do. By the way, I want to be Fox Mulder. I just, again, one sentence, man, but I'm so re-inspired by Ralph Nader. You know, Chris, how does these guys all get on these shows? Ralph Nader doesn't. I think he tells it like it is. I don't know, man. He's got the formulas. He really does. He's so up to date. He knows what Hakeem Jeffries had for breakfast. It's not like he's in any way stuck yesterday, let alone in the past. He's the most sharp 88-year-old I've ever met. Ralph Nader, Ralph Nader, Ralph Nader, his lectures. But he talks, he's so bleak. Like Chris, Chris Hedges, why are you so bleak? Chris Hedges is a beautiful human being. He loves to laugh. He's a gentle soul. And he's yeah. religious, really, in his own way. So, I mean, you know, it's just what he, it, that's that's his tone. That's what he does. His oratory is, like, right. amazing. But what I mean, though, it's I Ralph Hedges. Ralph Hedges, Hedges, is, Ralph right Hedges is such a brutal uh, analyst, uh, but he's also so hopeful. He knows exactly how, or, you know, how it can be done. The 1% of people, and uh, he really has prescriptions and with eyes wide open as to how hard it is now than when he wrote the bills in the 60s and 70s. But he's way underrated. He's very much alive. He needs to be savvy. Oh my God. Please get him on your show. I think he's probably available. Yeah. I've, I've, I've interviewed Chris Hedges twice. Oh yeah. I yeah. I'm still trying to find a way to get Ralph he- Ralph Ralph I'll say Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Is he a hard get? Ralph Nader. I, I may have to I may have to um God I don't want to do this. I really don't like asking shoot. I really don't like asking other people to help me get other right. people if that sounds weird. I don't like doing that. But I may have to reach out to Chris Hedges and say, Hey, um, no. Oh my God. By the way, by the way, Savvy, Savvy, you know what's funny is that Travis could do stuff for me because I'm doing something with John and I know John's got, he's really happy. I can see in the thing. I was like, John, leave Travis out of this for now. I don't want to do that either, you know, for similar reasons, but. I don't, no, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I think I have, it's a pride thing. I, I don't, I really no, don't Brina. like asking people. Savvy, Savvy, Chris Hedges will hear you out. 
No, I hear you. I, so I, 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 I don't, 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 don't want to be like, I don't want to be like, hey, I know you just met me like a couple months ago and you came on twice, but can you help me get Ralph Nader? It's the you know, same thing. Like, it's yeah. you know, he's, he's worth it. When, he's worth when, it. When Chris, <laughs> when, yeah, um, Ralph Nader would be a good get. When um when Chris was on, I could tell he really liked you, Sabrina. Just saying. Yeah, but still, it's a pride thing. It, it's <laughs> like someone Same. told me recently they were like, "You should bring on um Gabor Mate," and I was like, I couldn't find contact information for him. And they came back and they said, "Ask Aaron. You had Aaron on." I'm like, "What am I supposed to do? Like, Did you, I'm not gonna Sabrina. wait. Wait. I'm not gonna. De- Did you ask him directly? And I was like, I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't feel comfortable, like just. And I know Aaron, but I'm not gonna. I don't feel comfortable DM and Aaron saying like, "Can you help me bring on your dad?" Like it just it's yeah. stuff like that. Did, like, did you ask Nader directly? Did you reach yeah. out? Yeah, I don't. I don't have contact information for Nader directly. But Gabor, Gabor, Gabor Monte, he's super cool. He will come onto your show for sure. Right, but still, I don't want to be like. Aaron, can you help me bring on your dad? No, like, I don't him. like it. Just ask him directly. Don't wanna. Dude, he's awesome. He's very intelligent. He knows. I'm pretty sure he already knows about you. S- Sabrina. You do it kind of as passing on the invitation, I guess? No, I don't. I don't. If I don't <laughs> have contact information for them, I can't contact them. Unless someone else connects me with them, and I don't like doing the someone else route. Savvy don't like it. Mm. All right, well, do, do it when, when you're comfortable. Um, Sabrina, you sh- um, what was it? What was it? Oh, oh, I'm willing to bet. So, uh, Scott the, the Noyes, right? He went all the way to Washington to help out whole Washington. Yeah. Their own initiative. Yeah, I know so, Scott. So here's the thing: if you guys started a uh, took James Bill Medicare for All and started it as an initiative amendment, it wouldn't be nothing for him to walk across state lines just to help you guys out. I agree. And I and I'd probably come to. I'd most likely come to. Maybe even Lance, because he's he's up there. He could walk right over the border as well. Me, I'd probably have to take a plane to Boston. I'm just saying. Probably Canada. A plane? Roger. We're four. We're four. Dude, it's four hours. It's a four-hour drive for me to you. I'm not gonna be driving. I know I drive for a little. I drive too much. I want to be like boom, done. Okay. Aeroplane. Look, I drove from South Carolina. I drove my little Hyundai from South Carolina up to Boston. Okay. That's fine. I'll I'll take a plane, though. I drive too much. (laughs) I want to be like, because, you know, like, I would probably do it for like a, a, like, you know, help collect signatures for a whatever. Be like, all right, jumping back on the plane. Sile said, Sabby Sabs, he is promoting a boy. I don't know what that means. What? 
I don't know what that means. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just don't. And she meant a bork. A bork? What's that mean? A, a bork. He's promoting a book. Oh, a book. A book. Oh, book. A book. Okay. I still, I don't want to do it. I don't want to oh, ask think... people for help. No, no. I think that meant like, uh, hey, you want to come on my show and promote your book? Yeah, but I have no contact information for him. If you Google him, there's no contact info, but that's like public, which let means me I this, have to let, ask Let me put it else. this way. Let me put it out there. I'm going to reach out to Aaron and see if he can call his dad. No, don't. I don't like people asking people to, can you contact your parent? I don't. No, but Aaron is mad cool, man. I'm telling you. I know, you. but still. Like, I, I, Sabby, no. So then reach out to him. I'm pretty sure he's going to reach out to you. I just told you I don't have the contact information to reach out. Okay, can I get you that information then? No. <laughs> so what, the, what the hell? I want I, I want I want you to connect because uh, his dad is awesome. Like he's on a different level, and you will love him. Gabor Mate is amazing. Maybe the way to do it is you want to you want to switch it around and have them ask to come on your show. There you go. That's that's how that's that's when you know you have made it. Oh, I want to go on baby. the Sabby show. You know, that's 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 how you do it. No, no, I'm saying that when when it, when when you get to that point where they want to come on your show, where they ask you, "Can I come on your show?" That's, no, I'm just throwing this out there. If you went to find out what the book is, went to his publisher, the publisher knows the agent. They will say, "Yeah, they're the ones that would uh, have them booking stuff." That would be the way to do it. Like that, I think. I, you know that. Yeah, that's a good route. Sabby, you gotta right, so you gotta reach out. No pressure. No pressure. Right, let, let, let her do it when she she feels <laughs> when she feels like it. It's like she'd be you trying to help. get me on I, I still I still would like to interview Russell Brand, but again, like I'm not gonna <laughs> No contact info. I can actually we get you that. Still, too. We still, we still <laughs> want to get, and I really do. I think this would be epic. We still want to get Nick on with Joe Rogan. That would be. Oh yeah! Epic. Oh yeah! Yes! 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 Epic! I'm like, I could be there, but Nick would be so much better. <laughs> oh, Nick already knows the ground rules. Yeah, they would shoot the shit. Could you guys imagine? Hell yeah! I would love that. Oh, Nick and Joe Rogan. That will be yes. something that I want to see. Guys, it will be lit. They could shoot the breeze. <laughs> it was like one time, one time, like Jimmy called into my call-in show and Jimmy was like, I want you guys to talk to Dave Chappelle. And I was like, Jimmy, mm -mm, we don't mm -mm, know this person. That's a no. Dave Chappelle has gravitated to the, you know, that class, that 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 great beyond in the sky where we all want to be. 
Butterflies yeah, in the sky. I can tell very high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. Yes. <laughs> Dave well, Dave has moved on, baby. Yeah, didn't he he, he I think didn't he do like a NIMBY thing when he protested oh, yeah. not protested, but he spoke at his city council oh, about bad. affordable housing. Yeah. Built. Yeah. 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 Dave said he literally, he, about he, that he, he literally owned a property right next to that where that development was going to be. He literally owned a property right next to it. And he said he wants to keep the place quaint. He doesn't want the sprawl, but it was going to be less sprawl. It was going to be denser because it was going to be, two, you know, uh, 200,000 instead of 400,000 duplexes, right? You know, side by side instead of single family. Plus, he's building a casino club. He loves bringing in the big shots. They're going to come in with all their fancy stuff. So this idea of keeping the quaintness, he was wrong, wrong, wrong. Hypocrite, hypocrite. I'm sorry. Dave Chappelle. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Dave Chappelle ain't the one. And he was born rich. He was born to Professor's parent. That's his hometown. Super affluent, one of the richest counties in the country. And he pretend, he even said this. Yeah, I used to hang out with the guys, you know, clubs, you know, with rappers and different things at these clubs and a comedy thing. And they would all talk about life in the hood because not all of them, but a lot of them were, you know, hardcore, hard scrabble. You know what it was like, Dave? And he'd be like, Dave says, this himself says, yeah, man. I'd be like, yeah, man, it was rough. It was rough. Thinking, yeah, you know. So he even admitted that he would just, instead of saying, hey, man, you know what? I live this other way, you know, just be honest about it and own it and be funny about it. You're a comedian. So he's been, oh, no, uh, Dave Chappelle ain't the one, I'm sorry to say. Another bubble burst. I'm sorry, man. But Dave is not the goat. Exactly. Yeah, none Sorry of these celebrities. They're rich. They're, they're rich. Yeah, they're he's priority. super funny, but he's not the Think about George Carlin. George Carlin would be harsh on gays and lesbians and everyone and straight and oh. right and left. But the way that Dave's just using it as a thing, this long Dave, you know, it's not even that funny, that thing, Netflix thing. And it is punching down. I know he's right. Yes, of course, it's silly and all that. But no, nah, I don't. I don't. I don't. Punch up, man. Start, start, start punching up at, at like the oligarchies. It's past but Sappy I agree with you. So, Sappy, got to go. All righty. Good night, Sappy. Thank you, thank you so, so much, much for your time. We love you so much. Thank you for all your time. 